Thank you for listening to this free audiobook created by Project Gutenberg and Microsoft AI. To learn more about the project or give feedback on the quality of a recording, please visit aka.ms/audiobook. Ballads of Romance and Chivalry by Frank Sidgwick. Contents. Page. Preface. 9. Introduction. 17. Ballads in the First Series. 43. Glossary of Ballad Commonplaces. 46. List of Books for Ballad Study. Lee. Note on the Illustrations. LV. Footnotes. Glassjurian. 1. Young Bikki. 6. Old Robin of Portingale. 13. Little Musgrave and Lady Barnard. 19. The Bonnie Birdie. 25. Fair Annie. 29. The Cruel Mother. 35. Child Waters. 37. Earl Brand. 44. The Douglas Tragedy. 49. The Child of L. 52. Lord Thomas and Fair Annette. 54. The Brown Girl. 60. Fair Margaret and Sweet William. 63. Lord Lovell. 67. Lady Maisry. 70. 76. The Nut Brown Maid. 80. Fair Janet. 94. Brown Adam. 100. Willie O'Winsbury. 104. The Marriage of Sir Gawain. 107. The Boy and the Mantle. 119. Johnny Scott. 128. Lord Ingram and Sheil Wyatt. 135. The TWA Sisters O'Binnery. 141. Young Waters. 146. Barbara Allen. 150. The Gay Goshawk. 153. Brown Robin. 158. Lady Alice. 163. Child Maurice. 165. Foz Footrage. 172. Fair Annie of Rough Royal. 179. Hindhorn. 185. Edward. 189. Lord Randall. 193. Lampkin. 196. Fair Mary of Wallington. 201. Index of Titles. 209. Index of First Lines. 211. Preface. Preface. Of making selections of ballads there is no end. As a subject for the editor, they seem to be only less popular than Shakespeare, and every year sees a fresh output. But of late there has sprung up a custom of confusing the old with the new, the genuine with the imitation, and the products of civilized days, ballads by courtesy or convention, are set beside the rugged and hard-featured aborigines of the tribe, just as the delicate bust of Clitty in the British Museum has for next neighbor the rude and bold unknown barbarian captive. To contrast by such enforced juxtaposition a ballad of the golden world with a ballad by Mr. Kipling is unfair tether, each being excellent in its way, and the collocation of Edward or Lord Randall with a ballad of Rossetti's is only of interest or value as exhibiting the perennial charm of the refrain. Of. There exists, however, in our tongue, though not only in our tongue, 
narratives in rhyme which have been handed down in oral tradition from father to son for so many ages, that all record of their authorship has long been lost. These are commonly called the old ballads. Being traditional, each ballad may exist in more than one form. In most cases the original story is clothed in several different forms. The present series is designed to include all the best of these ballads which are still extant in England and Scotland. Ireland and Wales possess a similar class of popular literature, but each in its own tongue. It is therefore necessary, in issuing this the first volume of the series, to say somewhat as to the methods employed in editing and selecting. Ballad editors of your were confronted with perhaps two, perhaps twenty, versions of each ballad, some unintelligibly fragmentary, some intelligibly complete, some in print, some in manuscript, some, perchance, in their own memories. Collating these, they subjected the text to minute revision, omitting and adding, altering and inserting, to suit their personal tastes and standards, literary or polite, and having thus made it over, forgot to record the act, and saw no reason to apologize therefore. Pioneers like Thomas Percy, Bishop of Dromore, and Sir Walter Scott, may well be excused the general censure. The former, living in and pandering to an age which invented and applied those delightful literary adjectives elegant and ingenious, may be pardoned with the more sincerity if one recalls the influence exercised on English letters by his publication. The latter, who played the part of Percy in the matter of Scottish ballads, and was nourished from his boyhood on the relics, printed for the first time many ballads which still are the best of their class, and was gifted with consummate skill and taste. Both, moreover, did their work scientifically, according to their lights, and both have left at least some of their originals behind them. There is, perhaps, one more exception to the general condemnation. Of William Allingham's ballad book, as truly a vade mecum as Palgrave's lyrical anthology in the same Golden Treasury series, I would speak, perhaps only for sentimental reasons, always with respect, admiring the results of his editing while looking askance at the method, for he mixed his ingredients and left no recipe. But in the majority of cases there is no obvious excuse for this omnium gatherum process. The self-imposed function of most ballad editors appears to have been the compilation of refacimenti in accordance with their private ideas of what a ballad should be. And that such a state of things was permissible is doubtless an indication of the then prevalent attitude of half-interested tolerance assumed towards these memorials of antiquity. Today, however, the ballad editor is confronted with the results of the labors, still unfinished, of a comparatively recent school in literary science. These have lately culminated in the English and Scottish popular ballads, edited by the late Professor Francis James Child of Harvard University. This work, in five large volumes, issued in ten parts at intervals from 1882 to 1898, and left by the editor at his death complete but for the introduction, Vald de Flendis, gives in full all-known variants of the 305 ballads adjudged by its editor to be genuinely popular, with an essay, prefixed to each ballad, on its history, origin, folklore, etc., and notes, glossary, bibliographies, appendices, etc., exhibiting as a whole unrivaled special knowledge, great scholarly intuition, and years of patient research, aided by correspondents, students, and transcribers in all parts of the world, Lacking Professor Child's introduction, we cannot exactly tell what his definition of a popular ballad was, or what qualities in a ballad implied exclusion from his collection, e.g. he does not admit the children in the wood.
Otherwise one can find in this monumental work the whole history and all the versions of nearly all the ballads. It will be obvious that Professor Child's academic method is suited rather to the scholar than the general reader. As a rule, one text of each ballad is all that is required, which must therefore be chosen, but by what rules? To the scholar, it usually happens that the most ancient and least handled text is the most interesting, but these are too frequently incomplete and unintelligible. The literary dilettante may prefer tasteful decorations by a Percy or a Scott, doubtless Buchan has some admirers, but the student abhors this painting of the lily. Therefore I have compromised, always a dangerous practice, and I have sought to give, to the best of my judgment, that authorized text of each ballad which tells in the best manner the completest form of the story or plot. I have been forced to make certain exceptions, but for all departures from the above rule I have given reasons which, I trust, will be found to justify the procedure, and in all cases the sources of each text or part of the text are indicated. I am quite aware that it may fairly be asked, why not assume the immemorial privilege of a ballad editor, and concoct a text for yourself? Why? When any text of a ballad is, as you admit, merely a representative of parallel and similar traditional versions, should you not compile from those other variants a text which should combine the excellences of each, and give us the cream? There are several objections to this course. However incompetent, I should not shrink from the labor involved, nor do I entirely approve the growing demand for German minuteness and exactitude in editors. But firstly, the ballad should be subject to variation only while it is in oral circulation. Secondly, editorial garnishing has been overdone already, and my unwillingness to adopt that method is caused as much by the failure of the majority of editors as by the success of the few. Lastly, check in a sun gout. There is a kind of literary selfishness in amending and patching to suit one's private taste, and if anyone wishes to do so, he will be most pleased with the result if he does it for himself. This lengthy apologia is necessitated by a departure from the usual custom of ballad editing. For the rest, my indebtedness to the work of Professor Child will be obvious throughout. Many of his most interesting texts were printed for the first time from manuscripts in private hands. These I have not sought to collate, which would, indeed, insult his accuracy and care. But in the case of texts from the Percy Folio, where the labor is rather to decipher than to transcribe accurately, I have resorted not only to the reprint of Hales and Furnival, but to the folio itself. The whimsical spelling of this MS pleases me as often as it irritates, and I have ventured in certain ballads, e.g. Glastyrian, to modernize it, and in others, e.g. Old Robin of Portingale, to retain it literatum. In either case I have reduced to uniformity the orthography of the proper names. Transcripts from other misses are reproduced as they stand. Mess. MSS. In the general introduction I have tried to sketch the genesis and history of the ballad impartially in its several aspects, not for scholars and connoisseurs, but for those ready to learn. To supply deficiencies, I have added a list of books useful to the student of English ballads, to go no further afield. Each ballad also is prefaced with an introduction setting forth, besides the source of the text, as succinctly as is consistent with accuracy, the derivation, when known, of the story, the plot of similar foreign ballads, and points of interest in folklore, history, or criticism attached to the particular ballad. Where the story is fragmentary, I have added an argument. 
it will be realized that such introductions at the best are but a thousandth part of what might be written. But if they shall play the part of ordiovra, and whet the appetite to proceed to more solid food, the labor will not be lost. Difficulties in the text are explained in footnotes. Few things are more vexatious to a reader than constant reference to a glossary. But as compensation for the educational value thus lost, the footnotes are, to a certain extent, progressive. That is to say, a word already explained in a foregoing ballad is not always explained again, and to the best of my ability I have freed the notes from the grotesque blunders observable in most modern editions of ballads. Besides my indebtedness to the books mentioned in the bibliographical list, I have to acknowledge my thanks to the Rev. Sabine Baring Gould for permission to use his version of The Brown Girl, to Mystery. K. Chambers, for kindly reading the general introduction, and to my friend and partner Mr. A. H. Bullen, for constant suggestions and assistance. F.S. Introduction. Introduction. Cosquin. The old ballads of England and Scotland are fine wine in cobweb bottles, and many have made the error of paying too much attention to the cobwebs and not enough attention to the wine. This error is as blameworthy as its converse. We must take the inside and the outside together. The. I. What is a ballad? The earliest sense of the word ballad, or rather of its French and Provencal predecessors, ballada, ballade, derived from the late Latin ballet, to dance, was a song intended as the accompaniment to a dance, a sense long obsolete. One next came the meaning, a simple song of sentiment or romance, of two verses or more, each of which is sung to the same air, the accompaniment being subordinate to the melody. This sense we still use in our ballad concerts. Another meaning was that of simply a popular song or ditty of the day, lyrical or narrative, of the kind often printed as a broadsheet. Lyrical or narrative, because the Elizabethans appear not to distinguish the two. Read, for instance, the well-known scene in The Winter's Tale, Act 4. SC 4. Here we have both the lyrical ballad, as sung by Dorcas and Mopsa, in which Autolycus bears his part because it is his occupation, and also the ballad in print, which Mopsa says she loves, for then we are sure it is true. Immediately after, however, we discover that the ballad in print is the broadside, the narrative ballad, some of a usurer's wife brought to bed of twenty money bags at a burden, or of a fish that appeared upon the coast on Wednesday, the fourscore of April, in short, as Martin Marsixtus says, fifteen ninety two, scarce a cat can look out of a gutter but out starts a halfpenny chronicler, and presently a proper new ballet of a strange sight is indie Ted. Chief amongst these halfpenny chroniclers were William Elderton, of whom Camden records that he did arm himself with ale, as old father Ennius did with wine when he balladed, and thereby obtained a red nose almost as celebrated as his verses, Thomas Deloney, the ballading silk weaver of Norwich, and Richard Johnson, maker of garlands. Thus to Milton, to Addison, and even to Johnson, ballad essentially implies singing, but from about the middle of the eighteenth century the modern interpretation of the word began to come into general use. 1. 4. In 1783, in one of his letters, the poet Cooper says, The ballad is a species of poetry, I believe, peculiar to this country. Simplicity and ease are its proper characteristics. Here we have one of the earliest attempts to define the modern meaning of a ballad. Centuries of use and misuse of the word have left us no unequivocal name for the ballad, and we are forced to qualify it with epithets. Traditional might be deemed sufficient. 
but popular or communal is more definite. Here we adopt the word used by Professor Child, popular. What, then, do we intend to signify by the expression popular ballads? Far the most important point is to maintain an antithesis between the poetry of the people and the consciously artistic poetry of the schools. Wilhelm Grimm, the less didactic of the two famous brothers, said that the ballad says nothing unnecessary or unreal, and despises external adornment. Ferdinand Wolff, the great critic of the Homeric question, said the ballad must be naive, objective, not sentimental, lively and erratic in its narrative, without ornamentation, yet with much picturesque vigor. It is even more necessary to define sharply the line between poetry of the people and poetry for the people. To the latter may still be written, the making of the former is a lost art. Poetry of the people is either lyric or narrative. This difference is roughly that between song and ballad. With us, says Ritson, songs of sentiment, expression, or even description, are properly termed songs, in contradistinction to mere narrative compositions which we now denominate ballads. This definition, of course, is essentially modern. We must still insist on the fact that genuine ballads were sung. I sing Musgrove, three says Sir Thwack and Davenant's the wits, and for the Chevy Chase no lark comes near me. Lastly, we must emphasize that the accompaniment is predominated by the air to which the words are sung. I have heard the modern comic song describe as the kind in which you hear the words, thus differentiating it from the drawing-room song, in which the words are, happily, as a rule less audible than the melody. In the ballad, as sung, the words are most important, but it is of vital importance to remember that the ballads were chanted. 2. 3. 2. Poetry of the People Now what is this poetry of the people? One theory is as follows. Every nation or people in the natural course of its development reaches a stage at which it consists of a homogeneous, compact community, with its sentiments undivided by class distinctions, so that the whole active body forms what is practically an individual. Begging the question, that poetry can be produced by such a body, this poetry is naturally of a concrete and narrative character, and is previous to the poetry of art. Therefore, says Professor Child, while each ballad will be idiosyncratic, it will not be an expression of the personality of individuals, but of a collective sympathy, and the fundamental characteristic of popular ballads is therefore the absence of subjectivity and self-consciousness. Though they do not write themselves, as Wilhelm Grimm has said, though a man and not a people has composed them, still the author counts for nothing, and it is not by mere accident, but with the best reason, that they have come down to us anonymous. By stating this, the dictum of one of the latest and most erudite of ballad scholars, so early in our argument, we anticipate a century or more of criticism and counter-criticism, during which the giants of literature ranged themselves in two parties, and instituted a battle royal which even now is not quite finished. It will be most convenient if we denominate the one party as that which holds to the communal or nebular theory of authorship, and the other as the anti-communal or artistic theory. The tenet of the former party has already been set forth, namely, that the poetry of the people is a natural and spontaneous production of a community at that stage of its existence when it is for all practical purposes an individual. The theory of the artistic school is that the ballads and folk songs are the productions of scalds, minstrels, bards, troubadours, or other vagrant professional singers and reciters of various periods. It is allowed, however, 
that, being subject entirely to oral transmission, these ballads and songs are open to endless variation. On the continent, Herder was pioneer, both of the claims of popular poetry and of the nebular theory of authorship. Traditions of chivalry, he says, became poetry in the mouths of the people, but his definition of popular poetry has rather extended bounds. Herder's enthusiasm fired Goethe, who, however, did not wholly accede to the nebular theory, to study the subject, and the effect was soon noticeable in his own poetry. Next came the two great brothers, whose names are ever to be held in honor wherever folklore is studied or folktales read, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. Jacob, the more ardent and polemical, insisted on the communal authorship of the poetry of the people. Ballad or song sings itself. Both the Grimm's, and especially Jacob, were severely handled by the critic Schlegel, who insisted on the artist. To Schlegel we owe the famous image in which popular poetry is a tower, and the poet an architect. Hundreds may fetch and carry, but all are useless without the direction of the architect. This is specious argument, but we might reply to Schlegel that an architect is only wanted when the result is required to be an artistic whole. The Tower of Babel was built by hundreds of men under no superintendence. Schlegel's intention, however, is no less clear than that of Jacob Grimm, and the two are diametrically opposed. In England, literary prejudice against the unpolished barbarities and uncouthnesses of the ballad was at no time so pronounced as it was on the continent, and especially in Germany, during the latter half of the 18th century. Indeed, at intervals, the most learned and fantastic critics in England would call attention to the poetry of the people. Sir Philip Sidney's apologetic words are well known. Certainly I must confess my own barbarisms. I never heard the old song of Percy and Douglas, that I found not my heart moved more than with a trumpet. Addison was bolder. It is impossible that anything should be universally tasted and approved by a multitude, though they are only the rabble of a nation, which hath not in it some peculiar aptness to please and gratify the mind of man. With these and other encouragements the popular poetry of England was not lost to sight, and in 1765 the work of the good Bishop of Dromore gave the ballads a place in literature. Percy's opening remarks, attributing the ballads to the minstrels, are as well known as the scoffs of the hard-hitting Joseph Ritson, who contemptuously dismissed Percy's theories, for and refused to believe any ballad to be of earlier origin than the reign of Elizabeth. Sir Walter Scott was quite ready to accept the ballads as the productions of the minstrels, either as the occasional effusions of some self-taught bard, or as abridged from the tales of tradition after the days when, as Alfred de Musset says, our old romances spread their wings of gold towards the enchanted world. 4. This brings us nearer to our own day. The argument is not closed, although we can discern offers of concession from either side. Sven Grundvig editor of the enormous collection of Danish ballads, distinguished the ballad from all forms of artistic literature, and would have the artists left out of sight. Nyrop and the Scandinavian scholars, on the other hand, entirely gave up the notion of communal authorship. Howbeit, the trend of modern criticism, five on the whole, is towards a common belief regarding most ballads, which may be stated again, in Professor Child's words, though a man and not a people has composed them, still the author counts for nothing, and it is not by mere accident, but with the best reason, that they have come down to us anonymous. 5. 3. The Growth of Ballads Let us then picture, however vaguely and uncertainly, the growth of a ballad. 
It is well known that the folklores of the various races of the world exhibit common features, and that the beliefs, superstitions, tales, even conventionalities of expression, of one race, are found to present constant and remarkable similarities to those of another. Whether these similarities are to be held mere coincidences, or whether they are to be explained by the theory of a common ancestry in the cradle of the world, is a side issue into which I do not intend to enter. Suffice it that the fact is true, especially of the peoples who speak the Indo-European tongues. The lore which has for its foundation permanent and universal acceptance in the hearts of mankind is preserved by tradition, and remains independent of the criteria applied instinctively and unconsciously to artistic compositions. The community is one at heart, one in mind, one in method of expression. Tales are recited, verses chanted, and the singer of a clan makes his version of a popular story. Simultaneously other singers, it may be of other clans of the same race, or of another race altogether, elaborate their versions of the common theme. Meanwhile the first singer has again recited or chanted his ballad, and having forgotten the exact wording, has altered it, and perhaps introduced improvements. The same happens in the other cases. The various audiences carry away as much as they can remember, and recite their versions, again with individual omissions, alterations and additions. Thus, by ever-widening circles, the tale is distributed in countless forms over an unlimited area. The elements of the story remain, wholly or in part, while the literary clothing is altered according to the taste and fancy of the reciter. The lore is now traditional, whether it be in prose, as Merkin, or in verse, as ballad. And so it remains in oral circulation, and therefore still liable to variation, until it is written down or printed. It is left masterless, unsigned, for of the original author's composition, maybe, only a word or two remains. It has passed through many mouths, and has been made over countless times. But once written down it ceases virum volatere per ora. The invention of printing has spoiled the powers of man's memory. We can now take up the tale at the 15th century. Let us henceforth confine our attention to England. It is agreed on all sides that the 15th century was the period when, in England at least, the ballads first became a prominent feature. Of historical ballads, the hunting of the Cheviot was probably composed as early as 1400 or thereabouts. The romances contemporaneously underwent a change and took on a form nearer to that of the ballad. Whatever may be the date of the origin of the subject matter, the literary clothing, language, mode of expression, color, of no ballad, as we now have it, is much earlier than 1400. The only possible exceptions to this statement are one or two of the Robin Hood ballads attributed to the 13th century by Professor Child, but at Huck's sub Judis, and a ballad of sacred legend, Judas, which exists in a 13th century manuscript in the library of Trinity College, Cambridge. During the 15th century, the ballads, still purely narrative, were cast abroad through the length and breadth of the land, undergoing continual changes, modifications, enlargements, for better or for worse. They told of romance and chivalry, of historical, quasi-historical, and mythico-historical deeds, of the traditions of the church and sacred legend, and of the lore that gathers round the most popular of heroes, Robin Hood. The earliest printed English ballad is the jest of Robin Hood, which now remains in a fragment of about the end of the 15th century. The 16th century continued the process of the popularization of ballads. 
minstrels, who, as a class, had been slowly perishing ever since the invention of printing, were now vagrants, and the profession was decadent. Towards the end of the century we hear of Richard Scheele, whom we may describe as the first of the so-called last of the minstrels. He describes himself as a minstrel of Tamworth, his business being to chant ballads and tell tales. We know that the ballad of the hunting of the Cheviot was part of his repertory, for he wrote down his version, which is still preserved in the Ashmolean Mises at the end of the 16th century the minstrels had fallen, in England at least, into entire degradation. In 1597, Percy notes, a statute of Elizabeth was passed including minstrels, wandering abroad, amongst the other rogues, vagabonds, and sturdy beggars, and fifty years later Cromwell made a very similar ordinance. 6. Mmss. 6. In Elizabeth's reign we first meet with the ballad mongers and professional authors of ballads. Simultaneously, or nearly so, comes the degradation of the word ballad, until it signifies either the genuine popular ballad, or a satirical song, or a broadside, or almost any ditty of the day. Of the ballad mongers, we have mentioned Elderton, Deloney, and Johnson. We might add a hundred others, from Anthony Munday to Martin Parker, and even Tom Durfee, each of whom contributed largely to the vast mushroom literature that sprang up and flourished vigorously for the next century. Chapel mentions that 796 ballads remained at the end of 1560 in the cupboards of the council chamber of the stationer's company for transference to the new wardens of the succeeding year. These, of course, would consist chiefly of broadsides, the narrations of strange events, monstrosities, or true tales of the day. It is true that many of the genuine popular ballads were rewritten to suit contemporary taste. But the style of the 17th century ballads cannot be compared to the noble straightforwardness and simplicity of the ancient ballad. Let us play side by side the first stanza of The Hunting of the Cheviot and the first few verses of Fair Rosamond, a very fair specimen of Deloney's work. The popular ancient ballad wastes no time on preliminary seven. 7. The purse out off Northumberland, and a vow to God made he, that he wold hunt in the mountains, off Chiviot within days thre, in the magger of doubt dogless, and all that ever with him be, now for the milk and water, when as King Henry rolled of this land, the second of that name, besides the queen, he dearly loved, a fair and comely dame, most peerless was her beauty found, her favor in her face. A sweeter creature in this world could never prince embrace. Her crisp locks like threads of gold, a purr to each man's sight. Her sparkling eyes, like orient pearls, did cast a heavenly light. Ritson's taste actually led him, in comparing the above two first verses, to prefer the latter. Or again, we might contrast Sir Patrick Spence. The king sits in Dumferling town, drinking the blood reed wine, to sail this ship of mine, with the children in the wood. Now ponder well, you parents dear, these wards which I shall write. A doleful story you shall hear, in time brought forth to light, artificial, tedious, didactic. The author of the ancient ballad seldom points, and never draws, a moral, and has unbounded faith in the credulity of the audience. The seventeenth-century balladists pitchforked nature into the midden. These compositions were printed as soon as written, or, to be exact, 
they were written for the press. We now class them as broadsides, that is, ballads printed on one side of the paper. The difference between these and the true ballad is the difference between art and nature. The broadside ballad was a form of art, and a low form of art. They were written by hacks for the press, sold in the streets, and pasted on the walls of houses or rooms. Jameson had a copy of Young Bachon which he picked off a wall in Piccadilly. They were generally ornamented with crude woodcuts, remarkable for their artistic shortcomings and infidelity to nature. Dr. Johnson's well-known lines, though in fact a caricature of Percy's Hermit of Workworth, ingeniously parody their style. As with my hat upon my head, I walked along the strand. I there did meet another man, with his hat in his hand. Broadside ballads, including a few of the genuine ancient ballads, still enjoy a certain popularity. The once famous Catnac Press still survives in Seven Dials, and Mr. Such, of Union Street in the borough, still maintains what is probably the largest stock of broadsides now in existence, including Lady Isabel and the Elf Knight, or May Colden, perhaps the most widely dispersed ballad of any. Minstrels of all sorts were by this time nearly extinct, in person if not in name, their successors were the vendors of broadsides. Nevertheless, survivors of the genuine itinerant reciters of ballads have been discovered at intervals almost to the present day. Sir Walter Scott mentions a person who acquired the name of Rosewall and Lillian, from singing that romance about the streets of Edinburgh in 1770, or thereabouts. He further alludes to John Graham, of Support in Cumberland, commonly called the Long Quaker, very lately alive. Ritson mentions a minstrel of Derbyshire, and another from Gloucester, who chanted the ballad of Lord Thomas and Fair Eleanor. In 1845 J. H. Dixon wrote of several men he had met, chiefly Yorkshire Dales men, not vagrants, but with a local habitation, who at Christmas tide would sing the old ballads. One of these was Francis King, known then throughout the western Dales of Yorkshire, and still remembered, as the Skipton Minstrel. After a merry Christmas meeting, in the year 1844, he walked into the river near Gargrave, in Craven, and was drowned. In Gargrave churchyard lie the remains of perhaps the actual last of the minstrels. 8. 8. 4. Collectors and Editors Now a word or two as to the collectors and editors. To take the broadsides first, the largest collections are at Magdalene College, Cambridge, 1800 broadsides collected by Selden and Pepys, in the Bodleian at Oxford, and in the British Museum. The Bodleian contains collections made by Anthony A. Wood, Douse, and Rawlinson. The British Museum, the Great Roxbury and Bagford collections, which have been reprinted and edited by William Chapel and the Rev. J. W. Ebsworth for the Ballad Society, as well as other smaller volumes of ballads. But it is not among the broadsides that our noblest ballads are found. The first attempt to collect popular ballads was made by the compiler of three volumes issued in 1723 and 1725. The editor is said to have been Ambrose Phillips, whose name and style combined to produce the word namby-pamby. Next came Alan Ramsey, with The Evergreen, a collection of Scott's poems wrote by the ingenious before 1600. By the ingenious, we note, not by the elegant. The tide is already beginning to turn. Pitchfork nature will ever come back. Followed the tea table miscellany, also compiled by Alan Ramsey, which contained about twenty popular ballads, the rest being songs and ballads of modern composition. 
The texts were, of course, chopped about and pruned to suit contemporary taste. It was still necessary to adopt an apologetic attitude on behalf of these barbarous and crude relics of antiquity. These books paved the way to the great literary triumph of the century. The first edition of Percy's Relics was issued in three volumes, in 1765. He received for it 100 guineas, instant popularity and patronage, and subsequently, the gratitude of succeeding centuries. Nevertheless, Percy himself was so far under the influence of his contemporaries that he felt it necessary to adopt the apologetic attitude. In his preface he wrote, In a polished age like the present, I am sensible that many of these relics of antiquity will require great allowances to be made for them, and again, to atone for the rudeness of the more obsolete poems, each volume concludes with a few modern attempts in the same kind of writing, and to take off from the tediousness of the longer narratives. They are everywhere intermingled with little elegant pieces of the lyrical kind. In short, he could not trust that large. Child, the people of England, to take its dose of powder without the conventional treacle. To vary the metaphor, his famous folio manuscript he regarded as a Cinderella, and in his capacity as fairy godmother refused to introduce her to the world without hiding the slut's uncouth attire under fine raiment. To which end, besides adding little elegant pieces, he recast and rewrote the more obsolete poems, many of which came direct from the folio manuscript. Are we to blame him for yielding to the taste of his day? He did not satisfy everyone. Ritson's immediate outcry is famous, and Ritson stood almost alone. He did, indeed, go so far as to deny the existence of the folio manuscript, and Percy was forced to confute him by producing it. In the later editions of the relics, Percy sought to conciliate him by revising his texts, so as to approximate them more closely to his originals, but still Ritson cried out for the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And by this time he had supporters but the whole truth as regards the folio was not to be divulged yet. The manuscript was most jealously guarded. Meanwhile the influence of the publication was having its effect. The poetry of the schools, the poetry of the intellect, the poetry of art, brought to its highest pitch by writers like Dryden and Pope, was shelved. Metrically exact diction, artificiality of expression, carefully balanced antitheses, and all the mechanical devices of the school were placed in abeyance. There was a general return to nature, to simplicity, to straightforwardness, not without imagination, however. Wordsworth, besides insisting, in a famous passage, the preface to the lyrical ballads, on the spontaneity of good poetry, recorded his tribute to the relics. I do not think that there is an able writer in verse of the present day who would not be proud to acknowledge his obligation to the relics, while failing often to catch the gusto of ancient poetry witness his translations from Chaucer. Wordsworth was full of the spirit, witness his rifacimento of the owl and the nightingale, and, best of all, handed it on to Coleridge. Nine these two fought side by side against the conventions of the preceding century, against Dryden, Addison, Pope, and last, but not least, Johnson. Some have gone so far as to place the definite turning point in the year 1798, the year of the publication of the lyrical ballads. Coleridge's Annus Mirabilis was 1797, and the publication of The Ancient Mariner is significant of the change. But we need not bind ourselves down to any given year. Enough that the revolution was effected, and that it is scarcely exaggeration to say that it was almost entirely due to the publication of the relics. 
9. Sir Walter Scott remembered to the day of his death the place where he first made acquaintance with the relics in his thirteenth year. I remember well the spot where I read those volumes for the first time. It was beneath a large platonist tree, in the ruins of what had been intended for an old-fashioned arbor in the garden I have mentioned. The summer days sped onward so fast that, notwithstanding the sharp appetite of thirteen, I forgot the hour of dinner, was sought for with anxiety, and was still found entranced in my intellectual banquet. Almost immediately competitors appeared in the field, and a special attention was given to Scotland, exceedingly rich ground, as it proved. In 1769, David Hurd published his collection of ancient and modern Scots songs, heroic ballads, etc. Then, at intervals of two or three years only, came the compilations of Evans, Pinkerton, Ritson, Johnson. In 1802 Sir Walter Scott's Minstrelsy of the Scottish Border, fit to be placed side by side with the relics. In 1806 Jameson's popular ballads and songs, then Finley, Gilchrist, Lang, and Utter Son. In 1828 the egregious Peter Buchan produced ancient ballads and songs of the north of Scotland, hitherto unpublished. Buchan hints that he kept a peddler or beggarman, a white of Homer's craft, traveling through Scotland to pick up ballads, and one of the two, probably Buchan, must have been possessed of powerful inventive faculties. Each of Buchan's ballads is tediously spun out to enormous and unnecessary length and is filled with solecisms and inanities quite inconsistent with the spirit of the true ballad. But Buchan undoubtedly gained fresh material, however much he clothed it, and his ballads are now reprinted, as Professor Child says, for much the same reason that thieves are photographed. Scotland continued the work with two excellent students and pioneers, George Kinloch and William Motherwell. Next, Robert Chambers published a collection of eighty ballads, some being spurious. This was in 1829. Thirty years later Chambers came to the conclusion that the high-class romantic ballads of Scotland are not older than the early part of the 18th century, and are mainly, if not wholly, the production of one mind. And this one mind, he thinks, was probably that of Elizabeth, Lady Wardlaw, the acknowledged forger of the ballad Hardinet, which deceived so many. Chambers, of course, was absurdly mistaken. So the work of collecting and editing progressed through the 19th century, till it culminated in the final edition of Professor Child's English and Scottish popular ballads. But even this is scarcely his greatest benefaction to the study of ballads. We must confess that had it not been for the insistence of this American scholar, the Percy Folio manuscript would remain a sealed book. For six years Professor Child persecuted Dr. Furnival, who persecuted in turn the owners of the folio, even offering sums of money for permission to print the MS. Eventually they succeeded, and not only succeeded in giving to the world an exact reprint, ten but also once for all secured the precious original for the British Museum, where it now remains. 11. MS. 10. 11. And what is this manuscript? In brief, it is an example of the commonplace books which abounded in the 17th century but it is unique in containing a large proportion of early romances and ballads, as well as the lyrics of the day. Of the hundreds of commonplace books made during that century, no other example is known which contains such matter, for the obvious and simple reason that such matter was despised. Twelve the handwriting is put by experts at about 1650. It cannot be much later, 
and one song in it contains a passage which fixes the date of that song to the year 1643. Percy discovered the book lying dirty on the floor under a bureau in the parlor of his friend Humphrey Pitt of Shifnal, in Shropshire, being used by maids to light the fire. Mr. Pitt's fires were lighted with half-pages torn out from incomparably early and precious versions of certain Robin Hood and other ballads. Percy notes that he was very young when he first got possession of the MS, and had not then learned to reverence it. When he put it into boards to lend to Dr. Johnson, the bookbinder paired the margins, and cut away top and bottom lines. In editing the relics, Percy actually tore out pages to save the trouble of transcribing. In spite of all, it remains a unique and inestimably valuable manuscript. Its writer was presumably a Lancashire man, from his use of certain dialect words, and was assuredly a man of slight education, nevertheless a national benefactor. 12. Mess. In speaking of manuscripts, we must not omit to mention the Scottish collectors. Most of them went to work in the right way, seeking out aged men and women in out-of-the-way corners of Scotland, and taking down their ballads from their lips. If we condemn these editors for subsequently adorning the traditional versions, we must be grateful to them for preserving their manuscripts so that we can still read the ballads as they received them. The old ladies of Scotland seem to have possessed better memories than the old men. Besides Sir Walter Scott's anonymous old lady, there was another to whom we owe some of the finest versions of the Scottish ballads. This was Mrs. Brown, daughter of Professor Gordon of Aberdeen. Born in 1747, she learned most of her ballads before she was twelve years old, or before 1759, from the singing of her aunt, Mrs. Farquhar of Braemar. From about twenty to forty years later, she repeated her ballads, first to Jameson, and afterwards to William Teitler, each of whom compiled a manuscript. The latter, the Teitler Brown MS. Unfortunately is lost, but the ballads are practically all known from the other manuscript and various sources. Mess. Perhaps the richest part of our stock are the Scottish and border ballads. Beside them, most of our mawkish English ballads look pale and withered. The reason, perhaps, may be traced to the effect of natural surroundings on literature. The English ballads were printed or written down at a period which is early compared with the date of collection of the Scottish ballads. In fact, it is only during the last hundred and thirty years that the ballads of Scotland have been recovered from oral tradition. In mountainous districts, where means of communication and intercourse are naturally limited, tradition dies more hard than in countries where there are no such barriers. Moreover, as Professor Child points out, oral transmission by the unlettered is not to be feared nearly so much as by minstrels, nor by minstrels nearly so much as modern editors. Sven Grundtvig illustrates this from his 29 versions of the Danish ballad Ribold and Guldborg. In versions from recitation, he has shown that there occur certain verses which have never been printed, but which are found in old manuscripts, and these recited versions also contain verses which have never been either printed or written down in Danish, but which are to be found still in recitation, not only in Norwegian and Swedish versions, but even in Icelandic tradition of two hundred years standing. Such, then, is the history of our ballads, so far as it may be stated in a few pages. With regard to origins, the nebular theory cannot be summarily dismissed. 13. But, after weighing the evidence and arguments, the balance of probability would seem to lie with the supporters of the artistic theory in a modified form. The ballad may say, with Topsy, 
Specsike Road, but varies at Quirit Yundo is only true of the ballad to a certain point. Progress, which includes the invention of printing and the absorption into cities of the unsophisticated rural population, has since killed the oral circulation of the ballad. Thus it was not an unmixed evil that in the Middle Ages, as a rule, the ballads were neglected, for this neglect, while it rendered the discovery of their sources almost impossible, gave the ballads for a time into the safekeeping of their natural possessors, the common people. Civilization, advancing more swiftly in some countries than in others, has left rich stores here, and little there. Our close kinsmen of Denmark, and the rest of Scandinavia, possess a ballad literature of which they do well to be proud, and Spain is said to have inherited even better legacies. A study of our native ballads yields much interest, much delight, and much regret that the gleaning is comparatively so small. But what we still have is of immense value. The ballads may not be required again to revoke English literature from flights into artificiality and subjectivity, but they form a leaf in the life of the English people, they uphold the dignity of human nature, they carry us away to the legends, the romances, the beliefs, the traditions of our ancestors, and take us out of ourselves to fleet the time carelessly, as they did in the golden world. 13. Ballads in the First Series Ballads in the First Series The only possible method of classifying ballads is by their subject matter, and even thus the lines of demarcation are frequently blurred. It is, however, possible to divide them roughly into several main classes, such as ballads of romance and chivalry, ballads of superstition and of the supernatural, Arthurian, historical, sacred, domestic ballads, ballads of Robin Hood and other outlaws, and so forth. The The present volume is concerned with ballads of romance and chivalry, but it is useless to press too far the appropriateness of this title. The Nut Brown Maid, for instance, is not a true ballad at all, but an Amorbian idol, or dramatic lyric. But on the whole, these ballads chiefly tell of life, love, death, and human passions, of revenge and murder and heroic deed. These things are life. And life, some think, is worthy of the muse. They are left unexpurgated, as they came down to us. To apologize for things now left unsaid would be to apologize not only for the heroic epoch in which they were born, but also for human nature. And how full of life that heroic epoch was! Of what stature must Lord William Steed have been, if Lady Maisry could hear him sneeze a mile away? How chivalrous of Gawain to wed an ugly bride to save his king's promise, and how romantic and delightful to discover her on the morrow to have changed into a well-fared may. The popular muse regards not probability. Old Robin, who hails from Portugal, marries the daughter of the mayor of Lynn, that unknown town so dear to ballads. In young Biki, Birdisbel's heart is wondrous there to find, on liberating her lover, that the bold rats and mice have eaten his yellow hair. We must not think of objecting that the boldest rat would never eat a live prisoner's hair, but only applaud the picturesque indication of Durance Vile. In the same ballad, Birdispel, to keep her from thinking Lang, a prevalent complaint, is told to take T.W.A. Mary's on her journey. We suddenly realize how little there was to amuse the Birdispels of yore. T.W.A. Mary's provide a week's diversion. Otherwise her only occupation would have been to chem her golden hair, or perhaps, like fair Annie, drink one water to preserve her complexion. But if their occupations were few, their emotions and affections were strong. 
Ellen endures insult after insult from child waters with the faithful patience of a Griselda. Hector the Hound recognizes Bird Isbel after years of separation. Was any lord or lady in need of a messenger, there was sure to be a little boy at hand to run their errand soon, faithful unto death. On receipt of painful news, they kicked over the table, and a silver plate flew into the fire. When roused, men murdered with a brown sword, and ladies with a penknife. We are left uncertain whether the cruel mother did not also halk a grave for her murdered babe with that implement. But readers will easily pick out and enjoy for themselves other instances of the naive and picturesque in these ballads. Glossary of Ballad Commonplaces Glossary of Ballad Commonplaces There survive in ballads a few conventional phrases, some of which appear to have been preserved by tradition beyond an understanding of their import. I give here short notes on a few of the more interesting phrases and words which appear in the present volume, the explanations being too cumbrous for footnotes. Bow. Bent his bow and swam, Lady Maisry, 21, Johnny Scott, 10, Lord Ingram and Sheil Wyatt, 12, etc. Set his bent bow to his breast, Lady Maisry, 22, Lord Ingram and Sheil Wyatt, 13, Fawes Footrage, 33, etc. Child attempts no explanation of this striking phrase, which, I believe, all editors have either openly or silently neglected. Perhaps bent may mean unbent, i.e. with the string of the bow slacked. If so, for what reason was it done before swimming? We can understand that it would be of advantage to keep the string dry, but how is it better protected when unstrung? Or, again, was it carried unstrung, and literally bent before swimming? Or was the bow solid enough to be of support in the water? Some one of these explanations may satisfy the first phrase, as regards swimming. But why does the messenger set his bent bow to his breast before leaping the castle wall? It seems to me that the two expressions must stand or fall together. Therefore the entire lack of suggestions to explain the latter phrase drives me to distrust of any of the explanations given for the former. A suggestion recently made to me appears to dispose of all difficulties and once made, is convincing in its very obviousness. It is, that bow means elbow, or simply arm. The first phrase then exhibits the commonest form of ballad conventionalities, picturesque redundancy. The parallel phrase is he slacked his shoon and ran. In the second phrase it is, indeed, necessary to suppose the wall to be breast high. The messenger places one elbow on the wall, pulls himself up, and vaults across. Lexicographers distinguish between the Old English bog or bow, oichibug equals arm, Sanskrit, bahuas equals arm, which means arm, arch, bow, or bow of a ship, and the Old English boga, oichibogo, which means the archer's bow. The distinction is continued in Middle English, from the 12th to the 15th century. Instances of the use of the word as equivalent to arm may be found in Old English in King Alfred's translation of Gregory's Pastoral Care, E.T.S., 1871, edition H., Sweet, written in West Saxon dialect of the 9th century. It is true that the word does not survive elsewhere in this meaning, but I give the suggestion for what it is worth. Briar. Briar and Rose, Douglas Tragedy, 18, 19, 20, Fair Margaret and Sweet William, 18, 19, 20, Lord Lovell, 9, 10, etc. Briar and Birk. Lord Thomas and Fair Annette, 29, 30, Fair Janet, 30, etc. Roses, Lady Alice, 5, 6. See introductory note to Lord Lovell, 
page 67. The ballads which exhibit this pleasant conception that, after death, the spirits of unfortunate lovers pass into plants, trees, or flowers springing from their graves, are not confined to European folklore. Besides appearing in English, Gaelic, Swedish, Norwegian, Danish, German, French, Romanian, Romaic, Portuguese, Serbian, Wendish, Breton, Italian, Albanian, Russian, etc., we find it occurring in Afghanistan and Persia. As a rule, the branches of the trees intertwine, but in some cases they only bend towards each other and kiss when the wind blows. In an Armenian tale a curious addition is made. A young man, separated by her father from his sweetheart because he was of a different religion, perished with her, and the two were buried by their friends in one grave. Roses grew from the grave and sought to intertwine, but a thorn bush sprang up between them and prevented it. The thorn here is symbolical of religious belief. Pin. Thrilled upon a pin, Glasgerian, ten. Knocked at the ring, fair Margaret and sweet William, eleven. C.P. lifted up the pin, fair Janet, fourteen. Throughout the Scottish ballads the expression is turled at the pin, i.e. rattled or twisted the pin. The pin appears to have been the external part of the door latch, attached by day thereto by means of a leathern thong which at night was disconnected with the latch to prevent any unbidden guest from entering. Thus any one turling at the pin does not attempt to open the door, but signifies his presence to those within. The ring was merely part of an ordinary knocker, and had nothing to do with the latching of the door. Sword. Bright brown sword, Glasgerian, 22, Old Robin of Portingale, 22, Child Maurice, 26, 27, Good brown sword, Marriage of Sir Gawain, 24, etc. Dried it on his sleeve, Glasgerian, 22, Child Maurice, 27. On the grass, 26, Straked it over a stray, Bonnie Birdie, 15, Struck it across the plain, Johnny Scott, 32, etc. In Anglo-Saxon, the epithet brun as applied to a sword has been held to signify either that the sword was of bronze, or that the sword gleamed. It has further been suggested that sword blades may have been artificially bronzed, like modern gun barrels. Striped it through the straw and many similar expressions all refer to the wetting of a sword, generally just before using it. Straw, unless stray and straw means something else, would appear to be very poor stuff on which to sharpen swords, but Glasgerian's sleeve would be even less effective. Perhaps, however, dried should be tried. Johnny Scott sharpened his sword on the ground. Miscellaneous. Gare equals gore, part of a woman's dress. Brown Robin, 10. C.P. Glasgerian, 19. Generally of a knife, apparently on a chatelaine. But in Lampkin, 12. Of a man's dress. Lynn, Lynn Young Bikki, 5. Old Robin of Portingale, 2. A stock ballad locality, castle or town. Perhaps to be identified with the city of Lincoln, perhaps with Lynn, or King's Lynn, in Norfolk where pilgrims of the 14th century visited the rude chapel of Our Lady of Lynn, on their way to Walsingham. With equal probability it is not to be identified at all with any known town. Shot window, gay goshawk 8, brown robin, 3, lambkin, 7, etc. This commonplace phrase seems to vary in meaning. It may be a shutter of timber with a few inches of glass above it, Wadrow's History of the Sufferings of the Church of Scotland, Edinburgh. 1721-2, two volumes, 
in Volume 2. Page 286. It may be simply a window to open and shut, as Ritson explains it, or again, as is implied in Jameson's Etymological Dictionary of the Scottish Language, an outshot window, or bow window. The last certainly seems to be intended in certain instances. Thought Lang Young Biki, 16, Brown Adam, 5, Johnny Scott, 6, Foz Footrage, 25, etc. This simply means thought at long, or thought at slow, as we should say in modern slang. In short, was bored, or weary. Wildwood Swine, a simile for drunkenness, Brown Robin, 7, Foz Footrage, 16. C.P. Shakespeare, All's Well That Ends Well, Act 4. 3. 286. Drunkenness is his best virtue, for he will be swine drunk. It seems to be nothing more than a popular comparison. 4. List of books for ballad study for English readers. List of books for ballad study for English readers. A. The Literary History of Ballads. The Introductions, etc., to the Collections of Ballads and Lists B. The Introductions, etc., to the Collections of Ballads and Lists B. 1861. David Irving. History of Scottish Poetry. David Irving. History of Scottish Poetry. 1871. Thomas Wharton. History of English Poetry Edition W. Carew Hazlitt. Four Volumes. Thomas Wharton. History of English Poetry Edition W. Carew Hazlitt. Four Volumes. 1875. Andrew Lang. Article in Encyclopedia Britannica, 9th edition, Volume 3. Andrew Lang. Article in Encyclopedia Britannica, 9th edition, Volume 3. 1876. Stopford Brook. English Literature. New edition, enlarged, 1897. Stopford Brook. English Literature. New edition, enlarged, 1897. 1883. W. W. Newell. Games and Songs of American Children. New York. W. W. Newell. Games and Songs of American Children. New York. 1887. Andrew Lang. Myth, Ritual, and Religion. Two Volumes. Andrew Lang. Myth, Ritual, and Religion. Two Volumes. 1893. John Beach. History and Poetry of the Scottish Border. Two Volumes. John Beach. History and Poetry of the Scottish Border. Two Volumes. 1893. F. J. Child. Article Ballads in Johnson's Cyclopedia, Volume 1, pages 4646. F. J. Child. Article Ballads in Johnson's Cyclopedia, Volume 1, pages 4646. 189597. W. J. Corhope. A History of English Poetry. Volumes I and II. W. J. Corhope. A History of English Poetry. Volumes I and II. 1897. G. Gregory Smith. The Transition Period, being Volume Four, Of Periods of English Literature, Edition G. St. Sparebury. G. Gregory Smith. The Transition Period, being Volume 4. Of Periods of English Literature, Edition G. St. Sparebury. 1898. Andrew Lang in Quarterly Review for July. 
Andrew Lang and Quarterly Review for July. 1901. F. B. Gummier. The Beginnings of Poetry. F. B. Gummier. The Beginnings of Poetry. 1903. E. K. Chambers. The Medieval Stage. Two Volumes. E. K. Chambers. The Medieval Stage. Two Volumes. 1903. Andrew Lang in Folklore for June. Andrew Lang in Folklore for June. 1903. J. H. Miller. A Literary History of Scotland. J. H. Miller. A Literary History of Scotland. B. Collections of Ballads. This list does not pretend to be exhaustive, but to give the more important collections, especially those containing trustworthy introductions. 172325. A collection of old ballads corrected from the best and most ancient copies extant. Three Volumes London. A collection of old ballads corrected from the best and most ancient copies extant. Three Volumes London. 1724. Alan Ramsey. The Evergreen. Two Volumes Edinburgh. Alan Ramsey. The Evergreen. Two Volumes Edinburgh. 17-427. Alan Ramsey. The Tea Table Miscellany. First eight editions in three volumes. Edinburgh, Dublin, and London. Ninth and subsequent editions in four volumes, or four volumes in one, London. Alan Ramsey. The Tea Table Miscellany. First eight editions in three volumes, Edinburgh, Dublin, and London. Ninth and subsequent editions in four volumes, or four volumes in one, London. 1765. Thomas Percy, Bishop of Dromore. Relics of Ancient English Poetry. Three Volumes London. Thomas Percy, Bishop of Dromore. Relics of Ancient English Poetry. Three Volumes London. 1769. David Hurd. The Ancient and Modern Scots Songs, Heroic Ballads, etc. Edinburgh. The Second Edition, 1776, under a slightly different title. Two Volumes Edinburgh. David Hurd. The Ancient and Modern Scots Songs, Heroic Ballads, etc. Edinburgh. The Second Edition, 1776, under a slightly different title. Two Volumes Edinburgh. 1781. John Pinkerton. Scottish Tragic Ballads. London. John Pinkerton. Scottish Tragic Ballads. London. 17871803. James Johnson. The Scots Musical Museum. Six Volumes Edinburgh. James Johnson. The Scots Musical Museum. Six Volumes Edinburgh. 1790. Joseph Ritson. Ancient Songs, etc. London. Printed 1787, dated 1790, and published 1792. Joseph Ritson. Ancient Songs, etc. London. Printed 1787, dated 1790, and published 1792. 1791. Joseph Ritson. Pieces of Ancient Popular Poetry. London. Joseph Ritson. Pieces of Ancient Popular Poetry. London. 1794. Joseph Ritson. Scottish Song. Two Volumes London. Joseph Ritson. Scottish Song. 
2 Volumes London, 1795. Robin Hood, 2 Volumes London, Robin Hood, 2 Volumes London, 18023. Walter Scott, Minstrelsy of the Scottish Border, 3 Volumes Kelso and Edinburgh, Walter Scott, Minstrelsy of the Scottish Border, 3 Volumes Kelso and Edinburgh, 1806. Robert Jameson. Popular Ballads and Songs from Tradition, Manuscripts, and Scarce Editions. Two Volumes Edinburgh. Robert Jameson. Popular Ballads and Songs from Tradition, Manuscripts, and Scarce Editions. Two Volumes Edinburgh. 1808. John Finley. Scottish Historical and Romantic Ballads, Chiefly Ancient. Two Volumes Edinburgh. John Finley. Scottish Historical and Romantic Ballads, Chiefly Ancient. Two Volumes Edinburgh. 1822. Alexander Lang. Scarce Ancient Ballads. Aberdeen. Alexander Lang. Scarce Ancient Ballads. Aberdeen. 1823. Alexander Lang. The Thistle of Scotland. Aberdeen. Alexander Lang. The Thistle of Scotland. Aberdeen. 1823. Charles Kirkpatrick Sharp. A Ballad Book. Edinburgh. Charles Kirkpatrick Sharp. A Ballad Book. Edinburgh. 1824. James Maidment. A North Country Garland. Edinburgh. James Maidment. A North Country Garland. Edinburgh. 1826. Robert Chambers. The Popular Rhymes of Scotland. Edinburgh. Robert Chambers. The Popular Rhymes of Scotland. Edinburgh. 1827. George Kinloch. Ancient Scottish Ballads. London and Edinburgh. George Kinloch. Ancient Scottish Ballads. London and Edinburgh. 1827. William Motherwell. Minstrelsy, Ancient and Modern. Glasgow. William Motherwell. Minstrelsy, Ancient and Modern. Glasgow. 1828. Peter Buchan. Ancient Ballads and Songs of the North of Scotland. Two Volumes Edinburgh. Peter Buchan. Ancient Ballads and Songs of the North of Scotland. Two Volumes Edinburgh. 1834. The Universal Songster. Three Volumes London. The Universal Songster. Three Volumes London. 1845. Alexander Whitelaw. The Book of Scottish Ballads. Glasgow, Edinburgh, and London. Alexander Whitelaw. The Book of Scottish Ballads. Glasgow, Edinburgh, and London. 1846. James Henry Dixon. Ancient Poems, Ballads, and Songs of the Peasantry of England. London. James Henry Dixon. Ancient Poems, Ballads, and Songs of the Peasantry of England. London. 1847. John Matthew Gutch. A L-Y-T-Y-L-L Jest of Robin Hood. Two Volumes London. John Matthew Gutch. A L-Y-T-Y-L-L Jest of Robin Hood. Two Volumes London. 185559. William Chapel. Popular Music of the Olden Time. Two Volumes London. William Chapel. Popular Music of the Olden Time. Two Volumes London. 1857. Robert Bell.
Ancient Poems, Ballads, and Songs of the Peasantry of England. London. Robert Bell. Ancient Poems, Ballads, and Songs of the Peasantry of England. London. 185759. Francis James Child. English and Scottish Ballads. 8-volume 2nd edition, 1864. Francis James Child. English and Scottish Ballads. 8-volume 2nd edition, 1864. 1864. William Allingham. The Ballad Book. London. William Allingham. The Ballad Book. London. 186768. J. W. Hales and F. J. Furnival. Bishop Percy's Folio Manuscript. Four Volumes London. J. W. Hales and F. J. Furnival. Bishop Percy's Folio Manuscript. Four Volumes London. 1882-98. Francis James Child. The English and Scottish Popular Ballads. Five Volumes Boston, New York, and London. Francis James Child. The English and Scottish Popular Ballads. Five Volumes Boston, New York, and London. 1895. Andrew Lang. Border Ballads. London, Lawrence and Bullen. Andrew Lang. Border Ballads. London, Lawrence and Bullen. 1897. Andrew Lang. A Collection of Ballads. London, Chapman and Hall's Diamond Library. Andrew Lang. A Collection of Ballads. London, Chapman and Hall's Diamond Library. 1897. Francis B. Gummier. Old English Ballads. Boston, USA Athenaeum Press Series. Francis B. Gummier. Old English Ballads. Boston, USA Athenaeum Press Series. 1902. T. F. Henderson. Minstrelsy of the Scottish Border. By Sir Walter Scott. New Edition. Three Volumes London. T. F. Henderson. Minstrelsy of the Scottish Border. By Sir Walter Scott. New Edition. Three Volumes London. Note on the Illustrations. Note on the Illustrations. The illustrations on pages 28, 75, and 118 are taken from Royal M.S. 10. E. 4 of the 14th century, in the British Museum, where they occur on folios 34 verso, 215 recto, and 254 recto respectively. The designs in the original form a decorated margin at the foot of each page, and are outlined in ink and roughly tinted in three or four colors. Much use is made of them in the illustrations to J. J. Jusra's English Wayfaring Life in the Middle Ages, where M. Jusra rightly points out that this MS has perhaps never been so thoroughly studied as it deserves. 28. 75. 118. MS. E. MS. Footnotes. Footnotes. Glasgerian. The heard I playin' on and harp. That sown boda WEL and sharp. Orpheus full craftily. And on his side, fast by. Set the harper Orion, and Esides Chiron, and other harpers Menion, and the Breta Glascurian. A. Chaucer, House of Fame, 3. Chaucer, 3. The text from the Percy Folio luckily is complete, saving an omission of two lines. 
a few obvious corrections have been introduced, and the folio reading given in a footnote. Percy printed the ballad in the relics, with far fewer alterations than usual. The text. The story is also told in a milk-and-water scotch version, Glenkindy, doubtless mishandled by Jameson, who improved it from two traditional sources. The admirable English ballad gives a striking picture of the horror of Churl's blood proper to feudal days. The story. In the quotation above, Chaucer places Glascurian with Orpheus, Arion, and Chiron for great harpers. It is not improbable that Glascurian and Glasgerian represent the Welsh bard Glascarraint, Carraint the blue bard, the chief bard wearing a blue robe of office, said to have been an eminent poet, the son of Owain, prince of Glamorgan. The oath taken by Oak and Ash and Thorn, stanza 18, is a relic of very early times. An oath by Corn is in young hunting. Glasgerian? Glasgerian was a king's own son. Glasgerian? And a harper he was good. He harped in the king's chamber, where cup and candle stood. And so did he in the queen's chamber, till ladies waxed wood, and then bespake the king's daughter. And these words thus said she, Said strike on, strike on, Glasgerian, of thy striking do not blin. There's never a stroke comes over this harp, but it glads my heart within. Fair might you fall, lady, quoth he. Who taught you now to speak? I have loved you, lady, seven year. My heart I durst ne'er break. But come to my bower, my Glasgerian, when all men are at rest, as I am a lady true of my promise. Thou shalt be a welcome guest. But home then came Glasgerian. A glad man, Lord, was he. And come now hither, Jack, my boy. Come hither unto me. For the king's daughter of Normandy. Her love is granted me. And before the cock have crown. At her chamber must I be. But come you hither, master, quoth he. Lay your head down on this stone. For I will waken you, master dear. Afore it be time to gone. But up then rose that lie the lad. And did on hose and shoon. A collar he cast upon his neck. He seemed a gentleman. And when he came to that lady's chamber. He thrilled upon a pin. The lady was true of her promise. Rose up and let him in. He did not take the lady gay. To bolster nor no bed. But down upon her chamber floor. Full soon he hath her laid. He did not kiss that lady gay, when he came nor when he yode, and sore mistrusted that lady gay. He was of some churl's blood, but home then came that lie the lad, and did off his hose and shoon, and cast that collar from about his neck. He was but a churl's son. Awaken, quoth he, my master dear, I hold it time to be gone, for I have saddled your horse, master. Well bridled I have your steed. Have not I served a good breakfast? When time comes I have need. But up then rose good Glasgerian, and did on both hose and shoon, and cast a collar about his neck. He was a king's son, and when he came to that lady's chamber, he thrilled upon a pin. The lady was more than true of her promise. Rose up and let him in. Says, whether have you left with me? Your bracelet or your glove? Or are you back returned again? To know more of my love? Glasgerian swore a full great oath. By oak and ash and thorn. Lady, I was never in your chamber. 
sit the time that I was born. Oh, then it was your little foot page. Falsely hath beguiled me. And then she pulled forth a little pen knife that hang by her knee. Says there shall never no churl's blood spring within my body. But home then went Glasturian. A woe man, good lord was he. Says, come hither, thou Jack, my boy. Come thou thither to me. For if I had killed a man tonight, Jack, I would tell it thee. But if I have not killed a man tonight, Jack, thou hast killed three. And he pulled out his bright brown sword and dried it on his sleeve. And he smote off that lie the lad's head and asked no man no leave. He set the sword's point till his breast, the pommel till a stone. Thorough that falseness of that lie the lad. These three lives were all gone. Young Biki. The text is that of the Jameson Brown MS, taken down from the recitation of Mrs. Brown about 1783. In printing the ballad, Jameson collated with the above two other Scottish copies, one in MS, another a stall copy, a third from recitation in the north of England, a fourth picked off an old wall in Piccadilly by the editor. The text. Mess. Mess. The story has several variations of detail in the numerous versions known, Young Bicham, Brechin, Bicky, Beechin, Bachon, Bichon, Lord Bachon, Lord Bateman, Young Bonwell, etc. But the text here given is one of the most complete and vivid, and contains besides one feature, the belly blin, lost in all other versions but one. The story. A similar story is current in the ballad literature of Scandinavia, Spain, and Italy. But the English tale has undoubtedly been affected by the charming legend of Gilbert Beckett, the father of St. Thomas, who, having been captured by Admiraud, a Saracen prince, and held in durance vile, was freed by Admiraud's daughter, who then followed him to England, knowing no English but London and Gilbert, and after much tribulation, found him and was married to him. Beckett is sufficiently near Bikki to prove contamination but not to prove that the legend is the origin of the ballad. The belly blin, Billy blin equals Billy, a man, blin, blind, and so Billy blin equals blind man's buff, formerly called Hoodman blind, occurs in certain other ballads, such as Cospatrick, Willie's Lady, and The Knight and the Shepherd's Daughter, also in a mutilated ballad of the Percy Folio, King Arthur and King Cornwall, under the name Blowbeanie. In the latter case he is described as a loudly fiend, with soon heads, and one body, breathing fire, but in general he is a serviceable household demon. C.P. German Bilwas, and Dutch Bellowit. Young Biki. Young Biki was as brave a knight. Young Biki. As ever sailed the sea. And he's done him to the court of France. To serve for meat and fee. He had nay been at the court of France. A twelve-month nor essay long. Till he fell in love with the king's daughter and was thrown in prison strong. The king he had but a daughter. Bird Ispel was her name. And she has to the prison house gain. To hear the prisoner's main. O gin a lady would borrow me. At her stirrup foot I would rin. Or gin a widow would borrow me. I would swear to be her son. Or gin a virgin would borrow me. I would wed her wire ring. I gi her haas, I gi her bowers. The bonny Taurus o' Lynn. O barefoot, barefoot geed she but. And barefoot came she ben. It was no for want o' hosen shoan. 
nor time to put them on. But afore fear that her father dear had heard her making din. She stound the keys o' the prison house door, unlatten and the prisoner gang. Oh, when she saw him, young Bikie, her heart was wondrous sare, for the mice but in the bold rottens had eaten his yellow hair. She's giant him a shaver for his beard, a comber till his hair, five hundred pound in his pocket, to spend and nay to spare. She's giant him a steed was good in need, and a saddle o' royal bone, a leash o' hounds o' a litter, and Hector called one. Atween this TWA a vow was made, twas made full solemnly, that or three years was come and gain, well married they shall be. He had nay been in Zion country, a twelvemonth till an end, till he's forked to marry a duke's daughter, or then lose a his land. Ohan, alas, says young Biki, I know not what to dee, for I can o win to Burdisbul, and she kens need to come to me. Oh, it fell once upon a day, Burdisbul fell asleep, and up it starts the belly blin, and stood at her bed feet. Oh, waken, waken, Burdisbul. How can you sleep so soon? One, this is Biki's wedding day. And the marriage gain on? Ye do ye to your mithras bower. Think either sin nor shame. And ye tack TWAO your mithras marries. To keep ye fray thinking lang. Ye dress your cell in the red scarlet. And your marries in dainty green. And ye pit girdles about your middles. Would buy an earldome. Oh, ye gang down by yon seaside. And down by yon sea strand. Essay bonnie will the Holland's boats. Come rowin till your han. Ye set your milk white foot aboard. Cry, Hail ye, Domini, and I shall be the steer oat. To row you o'er the sea. She's tain her till her mythus bower. Thought neither sin nor shame. And she took TWAO her mythus marries. To keep her fray thinking lang. She dressed her salai the red scarlet. Her Mary's eye dainty green, and they pat girdles about their middles, would buy an earldome, and they gid down by yon seaside, and down by yon sea strand. Essay Bonnie did the Holland boats, come rowin to their han. She set her milk white foot on board, cried Hail ye, Domini, and the belly blin was the stir oat, to row her o'er the sea. Once she came to young Bicky's gate, she heard the music play. Essay well she kent Freya she heard. It was his wedding day. She's pitten her han in her pocket. Gin the porter guineas three. Hey, tack you that, ye proud porter. Bid the bridegroom speak to me. Oh, one that he came up the stair. He fell low down on his knee. He hailed the king, and he hailed the queen. And he hailed him, young Biki. Oh, I've been porter at your gates. This thirty years and three. But there's three ladies at them now. They're like I never did see. There's a know them dressed in red scarlet. And TWA in dainty green. And they hay girdles about their middles. Would buy an earldome. Then out it spake the burly bride. Was a gowd to the chin. Gin she be bra without, she says. Wees be as bra within. Then up it starts him, young Biki. And the tears was in his ee. I'll lay my life at Spurdisbull. Come o'er the sea to me. Oh, quickly ran he down the stair. And one he saw twas she. 
he kindly took her in his arms and kissed her tenderly. Oh, hey, ye forgotten, young Biki, the vow ye made to me. One I took ye out o' the prison strong. One ye was condemned to die. I gi you a steed was good in need. And a saddle o' royal bone. A leash o' hounds o' a litter. And Hector called one. It was well kent what the lady said. That it was ne a lee. For at ilka word the lady spake. The hound fell at her knee. Tack hame, tack hame your daughter dear. A blessing gi her why. For I maun marry my bird Isbel. That's come o'er the sea to me. Is this the custom o' your house? Or the fashion o' your lawn? To marry a maid in a May morning? And send her back at even? Old Robin of Portingale. Text. The Percy Folio is the sole authority for this excellent ballad, and the text of the MS. Is therefore given here literatum, in preference to the copy served up with considerable corrections by Percy in the relics. I have, however, substituted a few obvious emendations suggested by Professor Child, giving the folio reading in a footnote. Text. Mess. The story is practically identical with that of Little Musgrave and Lady Barnard, but each is so good, though in a different vein, that neither could be excluded. The story. The last stanza narrates the practice of burning a cross on the flesh of the right shoulder when setting forth to the Holy Land a practice which obtained only among the very devout or superstitious of the crusaders. Usually a cross of red cloth attached to the right shoulder of the coat was deemed sufficient. Old Robin of Portingale. God, let Neuer so old a man. God, marry so young a whiff. As did old Robin of Portingale. He may rue all the days of his lif. For the Myers' daughter of Lynn, God what? He chose her to his wife and thought to haw lewd in quietness, with her all the days of his lif. They had not in their wet bed laid. Scarkly were both on sleep. But VPP she rose, and forth she goes, to Sir Giles, and fast can weep. Says, sleep you, wake you, fair Sir Giles. Or be not you within? But I am waking, sweet, he said. Lady, what is your will? I haw venda thought me of a while. How my wed lord we shall spill. Four and twenty nights, she says. That dwells about this town. E'en four and twenty of my next cousins. Will help to dinge him down. With that be heard his little foot page. As he was watering his master's steed. So. His very heart did bleed. He mourned, sicked, and wept full sore. I swear by the holy rood. The tears he for his master wept were blend water and blowed. With that be heard his dear master, as in his garden sate. Says, you are alack, my little page. What causes thee to weep? Hath any one done to thee wrong? Any of thy fellows here? Or is any of thy good friends dead? Which makes thee shed such tears? Or if it be my head cook's man, gray you to gain he shall be. Nor no man within my house shall do wrong to thee. But it is not your head cook's man, nor none of his degree. But or tomorrow ere it be noon, you are deemed to die. And of that thank your head steward, and after your gay lady. If it be true, my little foot page, I'll make the heir of all my land. If it be not true, my dear master, God let me know thigh. 
If it be not true, thou little foot page, a dead corse shalt thou be. He called down his head cook's man. Cook, in kitchen super to dress. All and anon, my dear master. Anon ate to your request. And call you down, my fair lady. This night to sup with me. And down then came that fair lady. Was clad all in purple and pale. The rings that were upon her fingers. Cast light thorough the hall. What is your will, my own wed lord? What is your will with me? I am sick, fair lady. Sore sick, and like to die. But and you be sick, my own wed lord. So sore it gray you with me. But my five maidens and myself will go and make your bed. And at the wakening of your first sleep, you shall haw a hot drink made. And at the wakening of your next sleep, your sorrows will haw a slake. He put a silk a coat on his back, was thirteen inches fold, and put a steel cap upon his head, was gilded with good red gold. And he laid a bright brown sword by his side, and another ATT his feet, and full well knew old Robin then, whether he showed wake or sleep, and about the middle time of the night, came twenty-four good nights in. Sir Giles he was the foremost man. So well he knew that gin, old Robin with a bright brown sword, Sir Giles had he did win. So did he all those twenty-four. Nor a one went quick out again. None but one little foot page crept forth at a window of stone. And he had two arms when he came in. And when he went out he had none. VPB then came that lady light, with torches burning bright. She thought to haw brought Sir Giles a drink. But she found her own wed night. And the first thing that this lady stumbled upon was of Sir Giles's foot. Says, you are a lack, and woe is me. Here lies my sweetheart root. And the 2D thing that this lady stumbled on was of Sir Giles's head. Says, you are a lack, and woe is me. Here lies my true le dead. He cut the paps beside her breast and bade her wish her will. And he cut the ears beside her heed, and bade her wish on still. Mickle is the man's blood I haw spent, to do the enemy some good. Says, You are a lack, my fair lady. I think that I was wood. He called then VP his little foot page, and made him heir of all his land. And he shoked the cross in his right shoulder, of the white flesh and the red. And he went him into the holy land. Whereas Christ was quick and dead. Little Musgrave and Lady Barnard. The text here given is the version printed, with very few variations, in Wit Restored, 1658, Wit and Drollery, 1682, Dryden's Miscellany, 1716, etc. The Percy Folio contains a fragmentary version, consisting of some dozen stanzas. Child says that all the Scottish versions are late, and probably derived though taken down from oral tradition, from printed copies. As recompense, we have the Scotch Bonnie Birdie. The text. The story would seem to be purely English. That it was popular long before the earliest known text is proved by quotations from it in old plays, as from Fair Margaret and Sweet William. Marathot in the Night of the Burning Pestle, 1611, sings from this ballad a version of stanza 14 and Beaumont and Fletcher also put quotations into the mouths of characters in Banduka, circa 1619, 
and Monsieur Thomas, circ. 1639. Other plays before 1650 also mention it. The story. The reader should remember, once for all, that burdens are to be repeated in every verse, though printed only in the first. Little Musgrave and Lady Barnard. As it fell one holy day. As. Hey down. As many be in the year. When young men and maids together did go. Their maddens and mass to hear. Little Musgrave came to the church door. The priest was at private mass. But he had more mind of the fair women. Than he had of Our Lady S. Grace. The one of them was clad in green. Another was clad in pall. And then came in my lord Barnard's wife. The fairest amongst them all. She cast an eye on little Musgrave. As bright as the summer sun. And then bethought this little Musgrave. This lady's heart have I won. Quoth she, I have loved thee, little Musgrave. Full long and many a day. So have I loved you, fair lady. Yet never word durst I say. I have a bower at Bucklesfordbury. Full daintily is a date. If thou wilt win thither, thou little Musgrave. Thou'st lig in mine arms all night. Quoth he, I thank ye, fair lady. This kinds thou showest to me. But whether it be to my weal or woe, this night I will lig with thee. With that he heard a little time page. By his lady's coach as he ran. Although I am my lady's foot page, yet I am Lord Barnard's man. My Lord Barnard shall know of this. Whether I sink or swim, and ever where the bridges were broke, he laid him down to swim. Asleep or wake, thou Lord Barnard, as thou art a man of life. For little Musgrave is at Bucklesfordbury, a bed with thy own wedded wife. If this be true, thou little tinny page, this thing thou tellest to me, then all the land in Bucklesfordbury I freely will give to thee. But if it be L.Y., thou little tinny page, this thing thou tellest to me, on the highest tree in Bucklesfordbury, then hang shalt thou be. He called up his merry men all. Come saddle me my steed. This night must I to Bucklesfordbury, for I never had greater need. And some of them whistled, and some of them sung. And some these words did say, and ever when my lord Barnard's horn blew. Away, Musgrave, away! Methinks I hear the thrustle cock. Methinks I hear the jay. Methinks I hear my lord Barnard. And I would I were away. Lie still, lie still, thou little Musgrave. And huggle me from the cold. Tis nothing but a shepherd's boy. A driving his sheep to the fold. Is not thy hawk upon a perch? Thy steed eats oats and hay. And thou a fair lady in thine arms. And wouldst thou be away? With that my lord Barnard came to the door. And lit a stone upon. He plucked out three silver keys. And he opened the doors each one. He lifted up the coverlet. He lifted up the sheet. How now, how now, thou little Musgrave? Doest thou find my lady sweet? I find her sweet, quoth little Musgrave. The more tis to my pain. I would gladly give three hundred pounds, that I were on yonder plain. Arise, arise, thou little Musgrave, and put thy clothes on. It shall ne'er be said in my country. I have killed a naked man. I have two swords and one scabbard. Full dear they cost my purse. And thou shalt have the best of them. 
and I will have the worse. The first stroke that little Musgrave stroke. He hurt Lord Barnard sore. The next stroke that Lord Barnard stroke. Little Musgrave ne'er struck more. With that bespake this fair lady. In bed whereas she lay. Although thou art he dead, thou little Musgrave. Yet I for thee will pray. And wish well to thy soul will I. So long as I have life. So will I not for thee, Barnard. Although I am thy wedded wife. He cut her paps from off her breast. Great pity it was to see. That some drops of this lady's heart's blood. Ran trickling down her knee. Woolworth you, Woolworth, my merry men all. You were near born for my good. Why did you not offer to stay my hand? When you see me wax so would? For I have slain the bravest sir knight. That ever rode on steed. So have I done the fairest lady. That overdid woman's deed. A grave, a grave, Lord Barnard cried. To put these lovers in. But lay my lady on the upper hand. For she came of the better kin. The bonny birdie. Text. From the Jameson Brown M.S. Jameson, in printing this ballad, enlarged and rewrote much of it, making the burden part of the dialogue throughout. Text. M.S. The story is much the same as that of Little Musgrave and Lady Barnard, but the ballad as a whole is worthy of comparison with the longer English ballad for the sake of its lyrical setting. The story. The Bonnie Birdie. There was a knight, in a summer's night. There. Was riding o'er the lee diddle. And there he saw a bonnie birdie. Was singing upon a tree. Diddle. Oh, wow for day. Diddle. And dear gin it were day. Diddle. Gin it were day, and gin I were away. For I ha na lang time to stay. Diddle. Make haste, make haste, ye gentle knight. What keeps you here so late? Gin ye kent what was doing at hame. I fear you would look blate. Oh, what needs I toil day and night? My fair body to kill. One I hae nights at my command. Unlattice at my will? Ye lee, ye lee, ye gentle knight. Essay louds I hear you lee. Your lady's a knight in her arms, T.W.A. That she lees far better nor thee. Ye lee, ye lee, you bonny birdie. How you lee yipo my sweet? I will tack out my bonny bow. And in troth I will you sheet. But afore ye hae your bow well bent. And a your arrows yar. I will flee till another tree. Where I can better fare. Oh, where was you gotten? And where was ye clecked? My bonny birdie, tell me. Oh, I was clecked in good green wood. Until a holly tree. A gentleman my nest harried. And ye me to his lady. Why good white bread and farrow cow milk. He bade her feed me aft. And ye her a little wee simmerdale wani. To ding me sindle and soft. Why good white bread and farrow cow milk. I would she fed me not. But why a little wee simmerdale wani. She dang me serin aft. Gin she had deen as ye her bade. I wouldna tell how she has wrought. The night he rayed, and the birdie flew. The live lang simmer's night. Till he came till his lady's bower door. Then even down he did light. The birdie sat on the crap of a tree. And I would it sang food dight. Oh, wow for day. Diddle. And dear gin it were day. Diddle. Gin it were day, and gin I were away. For I ha na lang time to stay. Diddle. 
What needs ye lang for day, diddle? And wish that you were away, diddle. Is no your hounds I my cellar, eating white meal and gray, diddle. Oh wow for day, etc. Is nay you our steed in my stable, eating good corn and hay, and is nay your hawk I my perch tree, just perching for his prey, and is nay your cell I my arms twa. Then how can ye lang for day, oh wow for day. Diddle, and dear gin it were day, diddle, for he that's in bed why on either man's wife, has never lang time to stay, diddle, then out the knight has drawn his sword, and straked it o'er astray, and through and through the effacy knight's waist, he guard called iron gee, and I hope ilkane sal essay be served, that treats an honest man essay, fair Annie. The text is that of Scott's minstrelsy, chiefly from the recitation of an old woman. Scott names the ballad Lord Thomas and Fair Annie, adding to the confusion already existing with Lord Thomas and Fair Annet. The text. The story. Fair Annie, stolen from the home of her father, the Earl of Wemyss, by a night out o'er the sea, has borne seven sons to him. He now bids her prepare to welcome home his real bride, and she meekly obeys, suppressing her tears with difficulty. Lord Thomas and his new-come bride here, through the wall of their bridal chamber, Annie bewailing her lot, and wishing her seven sons had never been born. The bride goes to comfort her, discovers in her a long-lost sister, and departs, thanking heaven she goes a maiden home. The story of this ballad, heard printed a fragment in 1769, some stanzas being incorporated in the present version. Similar tales abound in the folklore of Scandinavia, Holland, and Germany. But three hundred years older than any version of the ballad is the Lay of Marie de France, Le Lie de Fraine, which, nevertheless, is only another offshoot of some undiscovered common origin. It is imperative, in four, that Annie should braid her hair, as a sign of virginity. Married women only bound up their hair, or wore it under a cap. Fair Annie. It's narrow, narrow, make your bed. It's and learn to lie your lane. For I'm Gian o'er the sea, fair Annie. A broad bride to bring hame. Why her I will get gowed in gear. Why you I ne'er got nane. But wa will bake my bridal bread. Or brew my bridal ale. And wa will welcome my brisk bride. That I bring o'er the dale. It's I will bake your bridal bread. And brew your bridal ale. And I will welcome your brisk bride. That you bring o'er the dale. But she that welcomes my brisk bride. Mon gang like maiden fair. She mon lace on her robe as a jimp. And braid her yellow hair. But how can I gang maiden like? When maiden I am nane. Have I not borne seven sons to thee? And am with child again? She's tain her young son in her arms. Another in her hand. And she's up to the highest tower. To see him come to land. Come up, come up, my eldest son, and look o'er yon sea strand, and see your father's new-come bride, before she come to land. Come down, come down, my mother dear, come fray the castle wa. I fear, if langer ye stand there, you'll let yourself down f a dot, and she geed down, and farther down, her love's ship for to sea, and the topmast and the mainmast. Shone like the silver free, and she's gained down and farther down.
the bride's ship to behold, and the topmast and the mainmast. They shone just like the gold. She's ta'en her seven sons in her hand. I what she didna fail. She met Lord Thomas and his bride, as they came o'er the dale. You're welcome to your house, Lord Thomas. You're welcome to your land. You're welcome with your fair lady, that you lead by the hand. You're welcome to your haws, lady. You're welcome to your bowers. You're welcome to your hame, lady. For a that's here is yours. I thank thee, Annie, I thank thee, Annie. Essay ye dearly as I thank thee. You're the likest to my sister Annie, that ever I did see. There came a night out o'er the sea, and steeled my sister away. The shame scoop in his company, and land where'er he gee. She hang a napkin at the door, another in the ha, and it to wipe the trickling tears. Essay fast as they did F.A., and I she served the long tables, with white bread and with wine, and I she drank the wan water, to had her color fine, and I she served the lang tables, with white bread and with brown, and I she turned her round about. Essay fast the tears fell down, and he's tamed down the silk napkin, hung on a silver pin, and I he wipes the tear trickling, adown her cheek and chin, and I he turned him round about, and smilled among his men. Says like he best the old lady, or her that's new come hame, when bells were rung, and mass was sung, and a man bound to bed, Lord Thomas and his new-come bride, to their chamber they were geed. Annie made her bed a little forby, to hear what they might say. And ever alas, fair Annie cried, that I should see this day. Gin my seven sons were seven young rats, running on the castle wall, and I were a gray cat missile. I soon would worry them a. Gin my seven sons were seven young hares, running o'er yon lily lee, and I were a grew hound missile. Soon worried they should be, and way and sad fair Annie sat, and Dreari was her saying, and ever, as she sobbed and grat, way to the man that did the rang. My gown is on, said the newcome bride, my shoes are on my feet, and I will to fair Annie's chamber, and see what gars her greet. What ails ye, what ails ye, fair Annie, that ye make sick a moan? Has your wine barrels cast the girds? Or is your white bread gone? Or wa was was your father, Annie? Or wa was was your mother? And had ye only sister, Annie? Or had ye only brother? The Earl of Wemyss was my father, the Countess of Wemyss my mother, and of the folk about the house. To me were sister and brother. If the Earl of Wemyss was your father, I would essay he was mine, and it shall not be for lack, O gowd, that ye your love saw time. For I have seven ships o' mine eyne, a loaded to the brim, and I will gie them a to thee. Why for to thine eldest son? But thanks to the powers in heaven, that I gie maiden hame, the cruel mother. The text is given from Motherwell's minstrelsy, earlier versions being only fragmentary. The text. The story has a close parallel in a Danish ballad, and another, popular all over Germany, is a variation of the same theme but in place of the mother's final doom being merely mentioned, in the German ballad she is actually carried away by the devil. The story. In a small group of ballads, 
the penknife appears to be the ideal weapon for murder or suicide. See the TWA brothers and the Bonnie Hind. The cruel mother. She leaned her back onto a thorn. She. Three, three, and three by three. And there she has her two babes born. Three, three, and thirty-three. She took Frey about her ribbon belt. And there she bound them hand and foot. She has ta'en out her wee penknife. And there she ended baith their life. She has howked a whole baith deep and wide. She has put them in baith side by side. She has covered them o'er why a marble stain. Thinking she would gang maiden hame. As she was walking by her father's castle wa. She saw TWA pretty babes playing at the bay. Oh bonnie babes, jean you were mine. I would dress you up in satin fine. Oh I would dress you in the silk. And wash you I in morning milk. Oh cruel mother, we were thine. And thou made us to wear the twine. Oh curse mother, heaven's high. And that's where thou will ne'er win nigh. Oh curse mother, hell is deep. And there thou'll enter step by step. Child waters. The text is here given from the Percy folio, with some emendations as suggested by child. The text. The story, if we omit the hard tests imposed on the maid's affection, is widely popular in a series of Scandinavian ballads, Danish, Swedish, and Norwegian. And Percy's edition, in the relics, was popularized in Germany by Berger's translation. The story. The disagreeable nature of the final insult, STT. 27 to 29 retained here only for the sake of fidelity to the original text, may be paralleled by the similarly sudden lapse of taste in the nut-brown maid. We can but hope, as indeed is probable, that the objectionable lines are in each case interpolated. Child, as in Child Roland, etc., is a title of courtesy equals knight. Child Waters. Child Waters in his stable stood. Child Waters. And stroke at his milk-white steed. To him came a fair young lady, as e'er did wear woman's weed. Says, Christ you saw, good chyld waters. Says, Christ you saw and see, my girdle of gold which was to lunch, is now to short for me, and all is with one chyld of yours. I feel stir att my side. My gown of green, it is to straight. Before it was to wide. If the child be mine, fair Ellen, he said. Be mine, as you tell me. Take you Cheshire and Lancashire both. Take them your own to be. If the child be mine, fair Ellen, he said. Be mine, as you do swear. Take you Cheshire and Lancashire both. And make that child your heir. She says, I had rather haw one kiss. Child waters of thy mouth. Then I would have Cheshire and Lancashire both. That lies by north and south. And I had rather haw twinkling. Child waters of your eye. Then I would have Cheshire and Lancashire both. To take them mine own to be. Tomorrow, Ellen, I must forth ride. So far into the north country. The fairest lady that I can find. Ellen, must go with me. And you or I pray you, child waters. Your food page let me be. If you will my food page be, Ellen. As you do tell ITT me. Then you must cut your gown of green, an inch above your knee. So must you do your yellow locks, another inch above your eye. You must tell no man what is my name. My food page then you shall be. 
all this long day child waters rode. She ran barefoot by his side. Yet was he noir so courteous a knight. To say, Ellen, will you ride? But all this day child waters rode. She ran barefoot though o' the broom. Yet he was noir so courteous a knight. As to say, put on your show on. Ride soft fly, she said, child waters. Why do you ride so fast? The child, which is no man's but yours. My body itt will burst. He says, sees thy yonder water, Ellen. That flows from bank to brim? I trust to God, child waters, she said. You will noir see me swime. But when she came to the water's side, she sailed to the chin. Except the Lord of Hohen be my speed. Now must I learn to swime. The salt waters bear VP Ellen's clothes. Our Lady bear VPP her chin. And child waters was a woe man, good Lord. To see fair Ellen swime. And when she o year the water was. She then came to his knee. He said, Come hither, fair Ellen. Lo yonder what I see. Sayest thou not yonder hall, Ellen? Of red gold shine the eights. There's four and twenty fair ladies. The fairest is my worthy make. Sayest thou not yonder hall, Ellen? Of red gold shineth the tower. There is four and twenty fair ladies. The fairest is my paramour. I do see the hall now, child waters. That of red gold shineth the eights. God, you're good then of yourself. And of your worthy make. I do see the hall now, child waters. That of red gold shineth the tower. God, you're good then of yourself. And of your paramour. There were four and twenty ladies. Were playing ATT the ball. And Ellen was the fairest lady. Must bring his steed to the stall. There were four and twenty fair ladies. Was playing ATT the chess. And Ellen, she was the fairest lady. Must bring his horse to grass. And then bespake child water's sister. And these were the words said she. You ha the prettiest food page, brother. That ever I saw with mine eye. But that his belly it is so big. His girdle goes wondrous high. And you are I pray you, child waters. Let him go into the chamber with me. It is more meat for a little food page. That has run through moss and mire. To take his supper upon his knee. And sit down by the kitchen fire. Then to go into the chamber with any lady. That wears so rich attire. But when they had supped Yuri one. To bed they took the way. He said, Come hither, my little foot page. Hearken what I do say. And go thee down into yonder town. And low into the street. The fairest lady that thou can find. Hire her in mine arms to sleep. And take her VP in thine arms too. For filange of her feet. Ellen is gone into the town. And low into the street. The fairest lady that she cold find. She hired in his arms to sleep. And took her in her arms too. For filing of her feet. I pray you now, good child waters. That I may creep in eighty to your bed's feet. For there is no place about this house. Where I may say asleep. This night and ITT draw on afterward. Till ITT was near the day. He said, Rise VP, my little food page. And you my steed corn and hay. And so do thou the good black oats. That he may carry me the better away. And VP then rose fair Ellen. And gave his steed corn and hay.
and so she did and the good black oats, that he might carry him the better away. She leaned her back to the manger side, and Gryosly did groan, and that be heard his mother dear, and heard her make her moan. She said, Rise, VP, thou child waters. I think thou art a cursed man, for yonder is a ghost in thy stable, that grievously doth groan, or else some woman labours of child. She is so woe begone. But VP then rose child waters, and did on his shirt of silka. Then he put on his other clothes, on his body as white as milk, and when he came to the stable door, full still that he did stand, that he might hear now fair Ellen, how she made her manan. She said, Lullaby, my own dear child, lullaby, dear child, dear, I would thy father were a king. Thy mother laid on a bier. Peace now, he said, good fair Ellen, and be of good cheer, I thee pray. And the bride all and the churching both. They shall be upon one day. Earl Brand, the Douglas tragedy, and the child of El. There are here put in juxtaposition three versions in ballad form of the same story, though fragmentary in the two latter cases, not only because each is good, but to show the possibilities of variation in a popular story. There is yet another ballad, Erlinton, printed by Sir Walter Scott in the minstrelsy, embodying an almost identical tale. Earl Brand preserves most of the features of a very ancient story with more exactitude than any other traditional ballad. But in this case, as in too many others, we must turn to a Scandinavian ballad for the complete form of the story. A Danish ballad, Ribold and Guldborg, gives the fine tale thus. There. Ribold, a king's son, in love with Guldborg, offers to carry her away to a land where death and sorrow come not, where all the birds are cuckoos, where all the grass is leeks, where all the streams run with wine. Guldborg is willing, but doubts whether she can escape the strict watch kept over her by her family and by her betrothed lover. Ribold disguises her in his armor and a cloak, and they ride away. On the moor they meet an earl, who asks, Whither away? Ribold answers that he is taking his youngest sister from a cloister. This does not deceive the earl, nor does a bribe close his mouth, and Guldborg's father, learning that she is away with Ribold, rides with his sons in pursuit. Ribold bids Guldborg hold his horse, and prepares to fight. He tells her that, whatever may chance, she must not call on him by name. Ribold slays her father and some of her kin and six of her brothers. Only her youngest brother is left. Guldborg cries, Ribold, spare him, that he may carry tidings to her mother. Immediately Ribold receives a mortal wound. He ceases fighting, sheaths his sword, and says to her, Wilt thou go home to thy mother again, or wilt thou follow so sad a swain? And she says she will follow him. In silence they ride on. Why art not thou merry as before? asks Goldborg. And Ribold answers, Thy brother's sword has been in my heart. They reach his house. He calls for one to take his horse, another to fetch a priest, for his brother shall have Goldborg. But she refuses. That night dies Ribold, and Goldborg slays herself and dies in his arms. A second and even more dramatic ballad, Hildebrand and Hilda, tells a similar story. A comparison of the above tale with Earlbrand will show a close agreement in most of the incidents. The chief loss in the English ballad is the request of Ribold, that Goldborg must not speak his name while he fights. 
The very name Brand is doubtless a direct derivative of Hildebrand. Winchester, 13. As it implies a nunnery, corresponds to the cloister in the Danish ballad. Earl Brand directs his mother to marry the king's daughter to his youngest brother. But her refusal, if she did as Guldborg did, has been lost. The Douglas tragedy, a beautiful but fragmentary version, is, says Scott, one of the few to which popular tradition has ascribed complete locality. The ascribed locality, if more complete, is no more probable than any other. To ascribe any definite locality to a ballad is in all cases a waste of time and labor. The Child of El and the Percy Folio may have contained anything, but immediately we approach a point where comparison would be of interest, we meet in hiatus vald de flendis. Percy, in the relics, expanded the fragment here given to about five times the length. Earl Brand. From R. Bell's Ancient Poems, Ballads, etc. R. Bell's. Oh, did ye ever hear O Brave Earl Brand? Oh. I lally, O Lily lally. He courted the king's daughter of fair England. All I the night essay early. She was scarcely fifteen years of age. Till essay boldly she came to his bedside. O Earl Brand, fain what I see. A pack of hounds let loose on the Leah. O lady, I have no steeds but one. And thou shalt ride, and I will run. O Earl Bran, my father has two. And thou shalt have the best o' them a dot. They have ridden o'er moss and moor. And they met neither rich nor poor. Until they met with old Carl Hood. He comes for ill, but never for good. Earl Bran, if ye love me. Seize this old earl, and gar him die. O lady fair, it wad be sir. To slay an old man that has gray hair. O lady fair, I'll no do essay ye. I'll gie him a pound and let him gee. Oh, where hae ye ridden this lee lang day? Oh, where hae ye stolen this lady away? I have not ridden this lee lang day. Nor yet have I stolen this lady away. She is my only, my sick sister, whom I have brought from Winchester. If she be sick and like to dead, why wears she the ribbon essay red? If she be sick and like to die, then why wears she the gold on high? When he came to this lady's gate, essay rudely as he rapped at it. Oh, where's the lady o' this ha? She's out with her maids to play at the ba dot. Ha ha ha! Ye are a mister in. Ye count your maidens o'er again. I saw her far beyond the moor, away to be the earl o' Brand's whore. The father armed fifteen of his best men to bring his daughter back again. O'er her left shoulder the lady looked then. O Earl Bran, we both are tain. If they come on me ain't buying, you may stand by and see them slain. But if they come on me one and all, you may stand by and see me fall. They have come on him ain't buying, and he has killed them all but ain. And that ain't came behind his back, and he's gian him a deadly whack. But for a essay wounded as Earl Bran was, he has set his lady on her horse. They rode till they came to the water O'Dune, and then he alighted to wash his wounds. O Earl Bran, I see your heart's blood, tis but the gleet o' my scarlet hood. They rode till they came to his mother's gate, and essay rudely as he rapped at it. O my son slain, my son's put down, and afore the sake of an English loon. O say not essay my dear mother, but marry her to my youngest brother. This has not been the death o'ain. 
but it's been that old fair seventeen. The Douglas Tragedy. From Scott's Minstrelsy. Scott's. Rise up, rise up now, Lord Douglas, she says. Rise. And put on your armor so bright. Let it never be said that a daughter of thine was married to a lord under night. Rise up, rise up, my seven bold sons. And put on your armor so bright. And take better care of your youngest sister. For your eldest's hour the last night. He's mounted her on a milk-white steed. And himself on a dapple gray. With a bugelet horn hung down by his side. And lightly they rode away. Lord William looked o'er his left shoulder. To see what he could see. And there he spied her seven brethren bold. Come riding over the lee. Light down, light down, Lady Margaret, he said. And hold my steed in your hand. Until that against your seven brethren bold. And your father, I Macca stand. She held his steed in her milk-white hand. And never shed one tear. Until that she saw her seven brethren F.A. And her father hard fighting, who loved her so dear. Oh, hold your hand, Lord William, she said. For your strokes they are wondrous, sir. True lovers I can get many ain. But a father I can never get mare. Oh, she's ta'en out her handkerchief. It was old the Holland essay fine. And I she dyed her father's bloody wounds. That were redder than the wine. Oh, choose, oh, choose, Lady Margaret, he said. Oh, whether will ye gang or bide? I'll gang, I'll gang, Lord William, she said. For ye have left me no other guide. He's lifted her on a milk-white steed. And himself on a dapple gray. With a bugelet horn hung down by his side. And slowly they bathe raid away. Oh, they raid on, and on they raid. And by the light of the moon. Until they came to Yanwan water. And there they lighted down. They lighted down to tack a drink. Of the spring that ran essay clear. And down the stream ran his good heart's blood. And Sarah she gone to fear. Hold up, hold up, Lord William, she says. For I fear that you are slain. Tis nothing but the shadow of my scarlet cloak. That shines in the water essay plain. Oh, they raid on, and on they raid. And by the light of the moon. Until they came to his mother's hot door. And there they lighted down. Get up, get up, lady mother, he says. Get up, and let me in. Get up, get up, lady mother, he says. For this night my fair lady I've win. O mac my bed, lady mother, he says. O mac it braid and deep. And lay lady Margaret close at my back. And the sounder I will sleep. Lord William was dead lang ere midnight. Lady Margaret lang ere day. And all true lovers that go thedgither. May they have mere luck than they. Lord William was buried in Esty Mary's kirk. Lady Margaret in Mary's choir. Out o' the lady's grave grew a bonny red rose. And out o' the knights a briar. And they T.W.A. met, and they T.W.A. plat. And fain they wad be near. And o' the world might can right wheel. They were T.W.A. lovers dear. But by and raid the black Douglas. And wow but he was rough. For he pulled up the bonny briar, and flanked in S.T. Mary's lock, the child of L. Fragment from the Percy Folio says, Christ thee saw, good child of L. Christ saw thee and thy steed. My father says he will no meet, 
nor his drink shall do him no good. Till he has slain the child of El, and has seen his heart's blood, I would I were in my saddle set, and a mile out of the town. I did not care for your father, and all his merrymen. I would I were in my saddle set, and a little space him fro. I did not care for your father, and all that long him too. He leaned o'er his saddle bow, to kiss this lady good. The tears that went them two between were blend water and blood. He set himself on one good steed, this lady on one palfrey, and set his little horn to his mouth, and round lie he rode away. He had not ridden past a mile, a mile out of the town. Her father was ready with her seven brether. He said, Set thou my daughter down, for it ill beseems thee, thou false churl's son, to carry her forth of this town. But load thou liest, sir, I in the night. Thou now doest lie of me. A knight me got, and a lady me bore. So noyer did none by thee. But light now down, my lady gay. Light down and hold my horse. Whilest I and your father and your brether. Don't play versus at this cross. But light now down, my own true loo. And meekly hold my steed. Whilest your father and your brether bold. Lord Thomas and Fair Annet. The text is from Percy's Relics, Volume 2, 1765, Volume 3, 1767. In the latter edition, he also gives the English version of the ballad earlier in the same volume. The text, the story, this ballad, as it is one of the most beautiful, is also one of the most popular. It should be compared with Fair Margaret and Sweet William, in which the forlorn maid dies of grief not by the hand of her rival. The story. A series of Norse ballads tell much the same tale, but in none is the friend's will a crucial point. Chansons from Burgundy, Britannia, Provence, and Northern Italy faintly echoed the story. Lord Thomas's mythos says that fair Annette has no gowd and gear, yet later on we find that Annette's father can provide her with a horse shod with silver and gold, and four and twenty silver bells in his mane. She is attended by a large company, her cleating skinkles, and her belt is of pearl. Lord Thomas and Fair Annette. Lord Thomas and Fair Annette. Lord Thomas. Say to day on a hill. One night was come, and sun was set. They had not talked their fill. Lord Thomas said a word in jest. Fair Annette took it ill. A, I will never wed a wife. Against my own friend's will. Jif you will never wed a wife. A wife will near wed ye. Essay he is hame to tell his mither. And knelt upon his knee. O read, O read, mither, he says. A good read ye ye to me. O Saul I tack the nut-brown bride. And let fair Annette be? The nut-brown bride has gowd and gear. Fair Annette she has got nanny. And the little beauty fair Annette has. O it will soon be gain. And he has till his brother gain. Now, brother, read ye me. A. Saul I marie the nut-brown bride. And let fair Annette be? The nut-brown bride has oxen, brother. The nut-brown bride has kai. I wad hey ye marie the nut-brown bride. And cast fair Annette by. Her oxen may die at the house, Billy. And her kai into the byre. And I saw hey nothing to missile. But a fat fadge by the fire. And he has till his sister gain. Now, sister, read ye me.
O Saul, I marie the nut brown bride. And set fair Annette free? I see read ye tack fair Annette Thomas. And let the brown bride Elaine. Lest ye sold sigh, and say, Alace. What is this we brought hame? No, I will tack my mither's counsel. And marie me out, O hand. And I will tack the nut brown bride. Fair Annette may live the land. Up then rose fair Annette's father. TWA hours or at WR day. And he is gain into the bower, wherein fair Annette lay. Rise up, rise up, fair Annette, he says. Put on your silk and sheen. Let us gee to Esti Marie's kirk. And see that rich wedding. My maids, gee to my dressing room. And dress to me my hair. Where'er ye laid a plate before. See ye lay ten times mare. My maids, gee to my dressing room. And dress to me my smock. The one half is o' the holland fine. The other o' needlework. The horse fair Annette rade upon. He amblet like the wind. Why siller he was shod before? Why burning goud behind? Four and twenty siller bells. W.R. a tide till his mane. And yea tift o' the norland wind. They tinkled in buying. Four and twenty gay good nicks. Rade by fair Annette's side. And four and twenty fair ladies. As gin she had been a bride. And once she came to Marie's kirk. She sat on Marie's steen. The cleating that fair Annette had on. It skinkled in their een. And once she came into the kirk. She shimmered like the sun. The belt that was about her waist. Was a white pearl's bed one. She sat her by the nut-brown bride. And her in they w-r-s-a clear. Lord Thomas he clean forget the bride. Wan fair Annette drew near. He had a rose into his hand. He gee it kisses three. And reaching by the nut-brown bride. Laid it on fair Annette's knee. Up then spack the nut-brown bride. She spack why meekle spite. And where get ye that rose water? That does Mackie essay white? Oh, I did get the rose water. Where you will near get none. For I did get that very rose water. Into my mythos wame. The bride she drew a long bodkin. Fray out her gay headgear. And strake fair Annette unto the heart. That word spack never mare. Lord Thomas he saw fair Annette wex pale. And marvel at what mote be. But one he saw her dear heart's blood. A wood wroth wexed he. He drew his dagger that was essay sharp. That was essay sharp and meat. And drave it into the nut-brown bride. That fell dead at his fight. Now stay for me, dear Annette, he said. Now stay, my dear, he cried. Then strake the dagger until his heart. And fell dead by her side. Lord Thomas was buried without Kirkwa. Fair Annette within the quair. And o' the tain there grew a birk. The other a bonny brer. And I they grew, and I they threw. As they wad fain be near. And by this ye may ken right while. They were T.W.A. lovers, dear. The brown girl. The text of this ballad was taken down before the end of the nineteenth century by the Rev. S. Baring Gould, from a blacksmith at Thrushelton, Devon. The text. The story is a simple little tale which recalls Barbara Allen, Clerk Sanders, Lord Thomas and Fair Annette, and others. I have placed it here for contrast, and in illustration of the disdain of brown maids. The story. The brown girl. 
I am as brown as brown can be. I am. And my eyes as black as slow. I am as brisk as brisk can be. And wild as forest doe. My love he was so high and proud. His fortune too so high. He for another fair pretty maid. Me left and passed me by. Me did he send a love letter. He sent it from the town. Saying no more he loved me. For that I was so brown. I sent his letter back again. Saying his love I valued not. Whether that he would fancy me. Whether that he would not. When that six months were overpassed. Were overpassed and gone. Then did my lover, once so bold. Lie on his bed and groan. When that six months were overpassed. Were gone and overpassed. Oh then my lover, once so bold. With love was sick at last. First sent he for the doctor man. You doctor me must cure. The pains that now do torture me. I cannot long endure. Next did he send from out the town. Oh next did send for me. He sent for me, the brown, brown girl. Who once his wife should be. Oh ne'er a bit the doctor man. His sufferings could relieve. Oh never in one but the brown, brown girl. Who could his life reprieve. Now you shall hear what love she had. For this poor lovesick man. How all one day, a summer's day. She walked and never ran. When that she came to his bedside. Where he lay sick and weak. Oh then for laughing she could not stand. Upright upon her feet. You flouted me, you scouted me. And many another one. Now the reward is come at last. For all that you have done. The rings she took from off her hands. The rings by two and three. O oh, take, O oh, take these golden rings. By them remember me. She had a white wand in her hand. She strake him on the breast. My faith and troth I give back to thee. So may thy soul have rest. Prithee, said he, forget, forget. Prithee, forget, forgive. O oh, grant me yet a little space. That I may be well and live. Oh, never will I forget, forgive. So long as I have breath. I'll dance above your green, green grave. Where you do lie beneath. Fair Margaret and sweet William. The text is from a broadside in the Douse Ballads, with a few unimportant corrections from other stall copies, as printed by Percy and Ritson. The text. The story is much the same as Lord Thomas and Fair Annet, except in the manner of Margaret's death. The story. None of the known copies of the ballad are as early in date as The Night of the Burning Pestle, a play by Beaumont and Fletcher, first produced, it is said, in 1611, in which the humorous old Marathot sings two fragments of this ballad, stanza 5 in Act 2, SC 8, and the first two lines of stanza 2 in Act 3, SC 5, as they're given, the lines are slightly different. 2. 3. The last four stanzas of this ballad again present the stock ending, for which see the introduction to Lord Lovell. The last stanza condemns itself. Fair Margaret and sweet William. As it fell out on a long summer's day. As. Two lovers they sat on a hill. They sat together that long summer's day. And could not talk their fill. I see no harm by you, Margaret. Nor you see none by me. Before tomorrow eight o'clock. A rich wedding shall you see. Fair Margaret sat in her bower window. A combing of her hair. And there she spied sweet William and his bride. 
as they were riding near. Down she laid her ivory comb, and up she bound her hair. She went her way forth of her bower, but never more did come there. When day was gone, and night was come, and all men fast asleep, then came the spirit of fair Margaret, and stood at William's feet. God give you joy, you two true lovers, in bridebed fast asleep. Lo, I am going to my green grass grave, and am in my winding sheet. When day was come, and night was gone, and all men whacked from sleep, sweet William to his lady said, My dear, I have cause to weep. I dreamed a dream, my dear lady. Such dreams are never good. I dreamed my bower was full of red swine, and my bride-bed full of blood. Such dreams, such dreams, my honored lord, they never do prove good. To dream thy bower was full of swine, and thy bride-bed full of blood. He called up his merry men all, by one, by two, and by three, saying, I'll away to fair Margaret's bower, by the leave of my lady. And when he came to fair Margaret's bower, he knocked at the ring. So ready was her seven brethren, to let sweet William in. He turned up the covering sheet. Pray let me see the dead. Methinks she does look pale and wan. She has lost her cherry red. I'll do more for thee, Margaret, than any of thy kin. For I will kiss thy pale wan lips, though a smile I cannot win. With that bespeak her seven brethren, making most piteous moan. You may go kiss your jolly brown bride, and let our sister alone. If I do kiss my jolly brown bride, I do but what is right. For I made no vow to your sister dear, by day or yet by night. Pray tell me then how much you'll deal, of your white bread and your wine. So much as is dealt at her funeral today, tomorrow shall be dealt at mine. Fair Margaret dewide today, today. Sweet William he dewide the morrow. Fair Margaret dewide for pure true love. Sweet William he dewide for sorrow. Margaret was buried in the lower chancel. Sweet William in the higher. Out of her breast there sprung a rose. And out of his a briar. They grew as high as the church top. Till they could grow no higher. And then they grew in a true lover's knot. Which made all people admire. There came the clerk of the parish. As you this truth shall hear. And by misfortune cut them down. Or they had now been there. Lord Lovell. It is silly sooth. And dallies with the innocence of love. Like the old age. Twelfth night too. Four. Two. The text. This ballad, concluding a small class of three, Lord Thomas and Fair Annet, and Fair Margaret, and Sweet William being the other two, is distinguished by the fact that the lady dies of hope deferred. It is a foolish ballad, at the opposite pole to Lord Thomas and Fair Annet, and is preeminently one of the class meant only to be sung, with an effective burden. The text given here, therefore, is that of a broadside of the year 1846. The text. The story in outline is extremely popular in German and Scandinavian literature. Of the former the commonest is Der Ritter und die Made, also found north of Germany, twenty-six different versions in all, and some of which lilies spring from the grave. In a Swedish ballad a linden tree grows out of their bodies, in Danish ballads, roses, lilies, or lindens. 
This conclusion, a commonplace in folk song, occurs also in a class of Romaic ballads, where a clump of reeds rises from one of the lovers, and a cypress or lemon tree from the other, which bend to each other and mingle their leaves whenever the wind blows. Classical readers will recall the tale of Philemon and Baucis. The story. For further information on this subject, consult the special section of the introduction. Various other versions of this ballad are named Lady Ounspell, Lord Lavel, Lord Travel, and Lord Revel. Lord Lovell. Lord Lovell he stood at his castle gate. Lord Lovell. Combing his milk-white steed. When up came Lady Nancy Bell. To wish her lover good speed, speed. To wish her lover good speed. Where are you going, Lord Lovell? she said. Oh, where are you going? said she. I'm going, my Lady Nancy Bell. Strange countries for to see. When will you be back, Lord Lovell? she said. Oh, when will you come back? said she. In a year or two or three at the most. I'll return to my fair Nancy. But he had not been gone a year and a day. Strange countries for to see. When languishing thoughts came into his head. Lady Nancy Bell he would go see. So he rode, and he rode, on his milk-white steed, till he came to London town. And there he heard St. Pancras bells, and the people all mourning round. Oh, what is the matter? Lord Lovell, he said. Oh, what is the matter? said he. A lord's lady is dead, a woman replied. And some call her Lady Nancy. So he ordered the grave to be opened wide and the shroud he turned down, and there he kissed her clay-cold lips, till the tears came trickling down. Lady Nancy she died, as it might be today. Lord Lovell he died as tomorrow. Lady Nancy she died out of pure, pure grief. Lord Lovell he died out of sorrow. Lady Nancy was laid in St. Pancras Church. Lord Lovell was laid in the choir, and out of her bosom there grew a red rose and out of her lovers a briar. They grew, and they grew, to the church steeple too. And then they could grow no higher. So there they entwined in a true lover's knot. For all lovers true to admire. Lady Maisry. The text. From the Jameson Brown MS. All the other variants agree as to the main outline of the ballad. The text. MS. The story. Lady Maisry refusing the young lords of the north country, and saying that her love is given to an English lord, is suspected by her father's kitschy boy, who goes to tell her brother. He charges her with her fault, reviles her for drawing up with an English lord, and commands her to renounce him. She refuses, and is condemned to be burned. A bonny boy bears news of her plight to Lord William, who leaps to boot and saddle, but he arrives too late to save her, though he vows vengeance on all her kin, and promises to burn himself last of all. The story. Burning was the penalty usually allotted in the romances to a girl convicted of unchastity. Lady Maisry. The young lords owe the north country. The. Have all a wooing gone. To win the love of Lady Maisry. But owe them she would hay none. Oh, they hay courted Lady Maisry. Why akin kind of things and they hay sought her Lady Maisry. Why brooches and why rings? And they ha sought her Lady Maisry. Frey father and Frey mother. And they ha sought her Lady Maisry. Frey sister and Frey brother. And they ha followed her Lady Maisry. Through chamber and through ha. 
but of that they cowed say to her. Her answer still was nah. Oh, hod your tongues, young men, she says, and think nay marrow me, for I've gien my love to an English lord, and think nay marrow me. Her father's kitchy boy heard that, and ill death may he dee, and he is on to her brother, as fast as gang cowed he. Oh, is my father and my mother well? But in my brother's three? Gin my sister Lady Maisry be well. There's naething can ail me. Your father and your mother is well. But in your brother's three. Your sister Lady Maisry's well. So big wide bairn gangs she. Gin this be true you tell to me. My may license light on thee. But gin it be a lie you tell. You shall be hanged high. He's done him to his sister's bower. Why meekle duel and care? And there he saw her Lady Maisry, kemming her yellow hair. Oh, why is aught that bairn, he says, that ye essay ye big are why? And jean ye winna on the truth. This moment ye saw thee. She turned her right and runed about. And the kem fell fray her han. A trembling sazed her fair body. And her rosy cheek grew wan. Oh, pardon me, my brother dear. And the truth I'll tell to thee. My baronet is to Lord William, and he is betrothed to me. O cowed now ye gotten dukes or lords, until your own country, that ye draw up why an English dog, to bring this shame on me? But ye mon gi up the English lord, when your young babe is born. For, gin you keep by him an hour langer, your life shall be forlorn. I will gi up this English blood, till my young babe be born. But the never a day nor hour langer, though my life should be forlorn. O oh, where is a my merry young men, whom I gi meet and fee, to pee the thistle and the thorn, to burn this while whore why? O oh, where will I get a bonny boy, to help me in my need, to rin why hast to Lord William, and bid him come why speed? O oh, out it spake a bonny boy, stood by her brother's side. O oh, I would run your errand, lady. Or the world wide. Aft have I run your errands, lady. One blonde bath win and wheat. But now I'll run your errand, lady. Why essay tears on my cheek? Oh, one he came to broken briggs. He bent his bow and swam. And one he came to the green grass growin'. He slacked his show one and ran. Oh, one he came to Lord William's gates. He bade not to chap or see. But set his bent bow till his breast. And lightly lapped the wa. And or the porter was at the gate. The boy was I the ha. Oh, is my biggins broken, boy? Or is my towers one? Or is my lady lighter yet? Of the dear daughter or son? Your biggin is now broken, sir. Nor is your towers one. But the fairest lady in the lawn. For you this day, Monburn. Oh, saddle me the black, the black. Or saddle me the brown. Oh, saddle me the swiftest steed that ever raid Freya town. Or he was near a mile hour. She heard his wild horse sneeze. Mend up the fire, my false brother. It's not come to my knees. Oh, one he lighted at the gate. She heard his bridle ring. Mend up the fire, my false brother. It's far yet fray my chin. Mend up the fire to me, brother. Mend up the fire to me. For I see him coming hard and fast. Will soon mend he up to thee. 
Oh, Jin, my hands had been loose, Willie. As see hard as they are bound. I would have turned me fray the gleed. And castin' out your young son. Oh, I'll gar burn for you, Maisry. Your father and your mother. And I'll gar burn for you, Maisry. Your sister and your brother. And I'll gar burn for you, Maisry. The chief of your kin. And the last bonfire that I come to. Missile I will cast in. The cruel brother. The text is that obtained in 1800 by Alexander Fraser Teitler from Mrs. Brown of Falkland, and by him committed to writing. The first ten and the last two stanzas show corruption, but the rest of the ballad is in the best style. The text. The story emphasizes the necessity of asking the consent of a brother to the marriage of his sister, and therefore the title The Cruel Brother is a misnomer. In ballad times, the brother would have been well within his rights. It was rather a fatal oversight of the bridegroom that caused the tragedy. The story. Danish and German ballads echo the story, though in the commonest German ballad, Graf Friedrich, the bride receives an accidental wound, and that from the bridegroom's own hand. The testament of the bride, by which she benefits her friends and leaves curses on her enemies, is very characteristic of the ballad style, and is found in other ballads, as Lord Ronald and Edward Edward. In the present case, Sister Grace obtains what would seem to be a very doubtful benefit. The cruel brother. There was three ladies played at the B.A. There. With a hey-ho and a lily-gay. There came a knight and played o'er them a. As the primrose spread so sweetly. The eldest was both tall and fair. But the youngest was beyond compare. The midmost had a graceful mien. But the youngest looked like beauty's queen. The knight bowed low to the three. But to the youngest he bent his knee. The lady turned her head aside. The knight he wooed her to be his bride. The lady blushed a rosy red. And said, Sir knight, I'm too young to Wednesday. O lady fair, give me your hand. And I'll make you lady of a my land. Sir knight, ere ye my favor win. You maun get consent fray a my kin. He's got consent fray her parents dear and likewise fray her sister's fair. He's got consent fray her kin each one, but forgot to speak to her brother John. Now, when the wedding day was come, the knight would take his bonny bride home, and many a lord and many a knight came to behold that lady bright, and there was nay man that did her see, but wished himself bridegroom to be. Her father dear led her down the stair, and her sister's twain they kissed her there. Her mother dear led her through the cloths, and her brother John set her on her horse. She leaned her o'er the saddle bow, to give him a kiss ere she did go. He has ta'en a knife, baith lang and sharp, and stabbed that bonny bride to the heart. She had no ridden half through the town, until her heart's blood stained her gown. Ride softly on, says the best young man, for I think our bonny bride looks pale and wan. O lead me gently up yon hill, and I'll there sit down, and make my will. O what will you leave to your father dear, the silver-shod steed that brought me here? What will you leave to your mother dear, my velvet pall and my silken gear? What will you leave to your sister Anne, my silken scarf and my gout and fan? What will you leave to your sister Grace, my bloody clothes to wash and dress? What will you leave to your brother John? the gallows tree to hang him on. What will you leave to your brother John's wife? The wilderness to end her life. 
this lady fair in her grave was laid, and many a mass was o'er her said, but it would have made your heart right, sir, to see the bridegroom rive his hair, the nut-brown maid. The text is from Arnold's Chronicle, of the edition which, from typographical evidence, is said to have been printed at Antwerp in 1502 by John Dosborough. Each stanza is there printed in six long lines. Considerable variations appear in later editions. There is also a Balliol MS. 354, which contains a contemporary version, and the Percy Folio contains a corrupt version. The text. MS. This should not be considered as a ballad proper. It is rather a dramatic lyric. Its history, however, is quite as curious as that of many ballads. It occurs, as stated above, in the Farrago known as the Chronicle of Richard Arnold, inserted between a list of the tolls due on merchandise entering or leaving the port of Antwerp, and a table giving Flemish weights and monies in terms of the corresponding English measures. Why such a poem should be printed in such incongruous surroundings, what its date, or who its author was, are questions impossible to determine. Its position here is perhaps almost as incongruous as in its original place. From 3. To the end of the last verse but one, it is a dialogue between an earl's son and a baron's daughter, in alternate stanzas. A prologue and an epilogue are added by the author. Matthew Pryor printed the poem in his works, in order to contrast it with his own version, Henry and Emma, which appealed to contemporary taste as more elegant than its rude original. The Nut Brown Maid be it right or wrong, these men among. B. On women do complain. Affirming this, how that it is. A labor spent in vain. To lo them wheel, for noir a deli. They lo a man again. For lead a man do what he can. The far to attain. Yet, why if anew to them pursue? The first true lower then. Labareth for not, and from her though t. He is a banished man. I say not nay, but that all day. It is boderit and said. That woman's fate is as who say the. All utterly decayed. But Nuthalie's right good winds. In this case might be laid. That they look true and continue. Record the nut-brown maid. Which from her lo wan hurt to pro. He came to make his moan. Wold the not depart for in her hurt. She lured but hym all on. Then between us lead us discuss. What was all the manner? Between them two, we wyll also. Tell all they pain and fear. That she was in, now I begin. Sue that ye me answer. Wherefore ye, that present be. I pray you ju an air. I am the can yght, I come be nyght. As secret as I can. Saying, alas! Thus standeth the cause. I am a banished man, and I your will for to fulfill, and this will not refuse. Trusting to shu in war is few, that men haw and I'll use, to their own shame women to blame, and cause us them accuse. Before to you I answer now, all women to excuse. Am wine on her dear, with you what cheer? I pray you tell anon. For in my mind, of all mankind, I love but you alon. It standeth so, a deity is due. Wherefore most harm shall grow. My destiny is for today. A shamful thee thy tro. Or else to flee, the ton must be. None other way I know. 
but to withdraw as an outlaw, and take me to my bow. Wherefore, adieu, my own her true. None other red I can, for I must to the green woad goo. Alone a banished man. O Lord, what is this worldy's bliss? That chongeth as the moan. My summer's day in lusty May. Is Dirk before the nun? I hear you say farewell, nay, nay. We depart not so soon. Why say ye so? Wetter wyla ye goo. Alas! What ha ye done? I'll let my welfare to sorrow and care. Shul the change, why if ye were gone? For in my mind of all mankind, I love but you alone. I can blue, it shall you grew. And some would you distrain. But afterward your pain's hard. Within a day or twain. Shall sona slake, and ye shall take. Comfort to you again. Why should ye not? For to make thought. Your labor were in vain. And thus I do, and pray you loo. As hurtly as I can. For I must to the green woad goo. Alone a banished man. Now, s white yeach that ye ha shoot to me. The secret of your mind. I shall be plain to you again. Like as ye shall me find. S white it is so, that ye wyll goo. I will not louis behind. Shall Neuer be said, the nut brown maid. Was to her le unkind. Make you ready for so am I. Although it were in them. For in my mind, of all mankind, I love but you alone. Yet I you read take good hada. One men will think and say, Of young and old it shall be told a, That you be gone away. Your wanton will for to fulfill. In green would you to play. And that ye am YGHT from your delight. No langer make delay. Rather than ye should thus for me. Be called an ill woman. Yet woe the I to the green wad goo. Alone a banished man. Though it be sanj of old and young. That I should be to blame. Theirs be the charge that speaks so large. In hurting of my name. For I will pro that faithful lo. It is dud of shame. In your distress and heaviness. To part with you the same. And sure all though that do not so. True lowers they are they noon. But in my mind, of all mankind, I love but you alone. I counsel Yao, remember how. It is no maiden's law. Nothing to doubt, but to rent out. To double you od with an outlaw. For you must there in your hand bear. A bow to bear and draw. And as a thief, thus must ye live. You are in dread and awe. By which to Yao great harm am YGHT grow. Yet had I lure then, that I had to the greenwood goo, alone a banished man. I think not nay, but as ye say, it is no maiden's lore, but lim may make me for your sake, as ye ha said before, to come on foot, to hunt, and shoat, to get us meat in store, for sue that I your company. May ha, I ask no more, from which to part, it makeeth them why and hurt. As cold as Onistan. For in my mind, of all mankind, I love but you alone. For an outlaw, this is the law. That men HYM take and bind. Without piety hang to be. And wower with the wind. Why if I had need, as God forbid, What rescus could a ye find? For so I trow you and your bow. Should draw for fear behind.
and no Meruel, for Lytle all, were in your counsel then. Wherefore I too the wood will do, alone a banished man. Full W.E.L. know ye, that Wyman be. Full febble for to F.Y.G.H.T. No a woman head is it indeed, to be bold as a knight. Yet in such fear, why if that you were, a munge enemy's day and N.Y.G.H.T. I will there withstand, with bow in hand, to grow them as I am YGHT, and you to saw, as Wyman Hall, from death many one. For, in my mind, of all mankind, I love but you alone. Yet take good Huda, for you are I dreed, that ye could a not sustain. The thorny ways, the depe valleys, the snow, the frost, the rain, the cold, the heat, for dry or wheat. We must lodge on the plain. And us a bow, new another ray, but a break bouche or twain, which soon shall agree you, I below. And you wold that gladly then, that I had too the greenwood goo, alone a banished man, a swite each I haw here ben partner, with you of joy and bliss. I must also part of your woo, endure as reason is, yet am I sure of one pleasure, and shortly it is this. That where ye be me semeth purred, I could a not fair amiss. Without more spesh I you besesh, that we were soon agone. For, in my mind, of all mankind, I love but you alone. Yef ye goo theater ye must consider. One ye ha lust to dine, there shall no meat before to geet. Nor drink beer, ale, any wine. Any sheet is clean, to lie between. Made of thread and twine. Noon other house but Louise and Bose. To cure your head and M. Wyan. Lou, M. Wyan hurts sweet, this ill diet. Should make you pale and wan. Wherefore I to the wood will do. Alone, a Benician man. Amongst the wild deer, such an archer. As men say that ye be. Any may not fail of good vitail. Where is so great a plent? And water clear of the riora. Shall be full sweet to me. Wythe wish in hell I shall right wheel. Endure, as ye shall see. And or we do a bed or two. I can pride in him. For, in my mind, of all mankind, I love but you alone. Loo, yet before ye must do more. Why if ye will go with me? As cut your hair up by your air. Your kirtle by the knee. Wythe bow in hand, for to withstand. Your enemies, why if need be and this same NYGHT before daylight. To Woodward will I flee, and ye will all this fulfill. Do it shortly as ye can. Ellis will I to the greenwood goo. Alone, a banished man. I shall as now do more for you. That longeth to womanhead. To short my hair, a bow to bear. To short in time of need. O oh, my sweet maud, or before all other. For you haw I most dread. But now adieu, I must ensue, where fortune doth me lead. All this make ye, now lead us flee. The day come fast upon. For, in my mind, of all mankind, I love but you alone. Nay, nay, not sue, ye shall not goo. And I shall tell you why. Your appetite is to be L-Y-G-H-T. Of lul I will ask be. For, right as ye ha said to me, and likewise hardly. You will the answer a whoso you are it were. In way of company. 
It is said of old, so note, so cold. And so is a woman. Wherefore I too the wood wly goo. Alone, a Benitian man. Yef ye take it a, yet is no need. Such word is to say by me. For oft ye prayed, and lunge assayed. Or I you lewit pard. And though that I have ancestry. A baron's doter be. Yet ha you prod ha you lewd. A squire of low degree. And you are show, whatso befall. Today the foreign in. For, in my mind, of all mankind. I love but you alone. A baron's child to be beguiled. It were a cursed deity. To be fellow with an outlaw. Almighty God forbid. Yet better were the power squire. Alone to forest yetta. Then ye shall say another day. That be my white deity. You were betrayed, wherefore, good maid. The best red that I can. Is that I too the greenwood goo. Alone, a banished man. Whatso you are befall, I noir show. Of this thing you upbraid. But why if ye do, and Louis me sue? Then ha ye me betrayed. Remember you will, how that ye deli. For why if ye is the wise said, Be so unkind, to Louis behind. Your Lou, the now brown maid. Trust me truly, that I shall day. Soon after ye be gone. For, in my mind, of all mankind, I love but you alone. Yef that ye went, ye shul the repent. For in the forest now, I ha period me of a maid, whom I love more than you, another fairer than you or you were. I dare it wl alway, and of you boda esh shul the berove, with other as I trow. It were am wyanese to lie in peace, so will I, why if I can. Wherefore I to the woad will goo, alone a Benician man. Though in the wood I understood, ye had a paramour. All this may not rein in my thought, but that I will be your. And she shall find me soft and kinda, and courteous you are are, glad to fulfill all that she will. Come on me to my power, for had ye, Lu, an hundred moo, yet wold I be that one. For, in my mind, of all mankind, I love but you alone, and why non dare lo I see the pro. That ye be kinda and true. Of maid and wyf in all my life. The best that you are I know. Be merry and glad, be no more sad. The case is Chong new. For it were Ruth that for your trouth. Ye should ha cause to rue. Be not dismayed, whatsoever I said. To you one I began. I will not to the green wod goo. I am no banished man. This tidingus be more glad to me than to be made a queen. Why, if I were sure they should endure? But it is often seen. When men will break promise, they speak. The ward is on the spleen. Ye shape some while me to beguile, and steal fro me, I wane. Then were the case worse than it was, and I more will be gone. For, in my mind, of all mankind, I love but you alone. Ye shall not need further to dread. I will not disparage. You, God, defend, s y t h ye descend, of so great a lineage. Now understand, to Westmerland. Wish is my heritage. I will you bringe, and wife a ringe, by way of marriage. I will you take, and lady make, as shortly as I can. 
Thus haw ye Wonanil's son, and not a banishing man. Here may ye see that Wyman be, in lieu meek, kind, and stable. Late Neuer man repro them then, or kaye them variable, but rather pray God that we may, to them be comfortable. Wish sometime prowess such as Luth. Why if they be charitable? For sith men wolda that wyman showed. Be meek to them echion. Most more ought they to God obey. And serub but hym alone. Fair Janet. The text. Of seven or eight variants of this ballad. Only three preserve the full form of the story. On the whole, the one here given, from Sharp's ballad book, as sung by an old woman in Perthshire, is the best, as the other two, from Heard Scott's songs, and the Kinloch Mises, are slightly contaminated by extraneous matter. The text. Mmss. The story is a simple ballad tale of true love twinned, but the episode of the dancing forms a link with a number of German and Scandinavian ballads, in which compulsory dancing and horse riding is made a test of the guilt of an accused maiden. In the Scotch ballad the horse riding has shrunk almost to nothing, and the dancing is not compulsory. The resemblance is faint, and the barbarities of the continental versions are happily wanting in our ballad. The story. Fair Janet. Ye mon gang to your father Janet. Ye. Ye mon gang to him soon. Ye mon gang to your father Janet. In case that his days are doomed. Janet's hour to her father. As fast as she could hie. Oh what's your will why me father? Oh what's your will why me? My will why you fair Janet he said. It is both bed and board. Some say that ye lowy sweet willy. But ye mon wed a French lord. A French lord mon I wed, father? A French lord mon I wed? Then, by my sooth, quoth fair Janet, he's ne'er enter my bed. Janet's awet to her chamber. As fast as she could go. Was the first in that tap there. But sweet Willie her joe. Oh, we mon part this love, Willie. That has been lying between. There's a French lord coming o'er the sea. To wed me wire ring. There's a French lord coming o'er the sea. To wed and tack me hame. If we mon part this love, Janet. It causeth mickle woe. If we mon part this love, Janet. It makes me into mourning go. But ye mon gang to your three sisters. Meg, Marion, and Jean. Tell them to come to fair Janet. In case that her days are doon. Willie's hour to his three sisters. Meg, Marion, and Jean. O oh, haste, and gang to fair Janet. I fear that her days are doon. Some drew to them their silken hose. Some drew to them their shoon. Some drew to them their silk mantles. Their coverings to put on. And their hour to fair Janet. By the high light o' the moon. Oh, I have borne this babe, Willie. Why mickle toil and pain? Take aim, take aim, your babe, Willie. For nurse I dare be none. He's tain his young son in his arms. And kissed him cheek and chin. And he's hour to his mother's bower. By the high light o' the moon. O open, open, mother, he says. O open, and let me in. The rain rains on my yellow hair. And the dew drops o'er my chin. And I hay my young son in my arms. I fear that his days are doon. With her fingers lang and SMA. She lifted up the pin. And with her arms lang and SMA. 
received the baby in. Gee back, gee back now, sweet Willie, and comfort your fair lady. For where ye had but a ye new rice, your young son shall hay three. Willie he was scarce awa, and the lady put to bed, went in and came her father dear. Make haste, and bust the bride. There's a sair pain in my head, father. There's a sair pain in my side. And ill, oh ill, am I, father, this day for to be a bride. O ye mon bust this bonny bride, and put a gay mantle on, for she shall wed this old French lord, gin she should die the morn. Some put on the gay green robes, and some put on the brown, but Janet put on the scarlet robes, to shine foremost through the town, and some they mounted the black steed, and some mounted the brown, but Janet mounted the milk-white steed, to ride foremost through the town. Oh, what will guide your horse, Janet? Oh, what will guide him best? Oh, what but Willie, my true love? He kens I lowe him best. And when they came to Marie's kirk, to tie the halliban, fair Janet's cheek looked pale and wan, and her color geed and cam. When dinner it was past and done, and dancing to begin, oh, we'll go take the bride's maidens, and we'll go fill the ring. Oh, Ben, then came the old French lord saying, Bride, will ye dance with me? Awa, awa, ye old French lord, your face I down a see. O Ben then came now, sweet Willie. He came with ain advance. O I'll go tack the bride's maidens, and we'll go tack a dance. I've seen ith a days why you, Willie, and so has Moni May. You would hey dance why me missile. Let a my maidens gee. O Ben then came now, sweet Willie. Saying, Bride, will ye dance why me? Ay, by my sooth, and that I will. Gin my back should break in three. She had nay turned her throw the dance. Throw the dance but thrice. Once she fell down at Willie's feet. And up did never rise. Willie's tained the key of his coffer. And giant it to his man. Gehame, and tell my mother dear. My horse he has me slain. Bid her be kind to my young son. For father has he none. The tain was buried in Marie's kirk, and the tither in Marie's choir. Out of the tain there grew a birk, and the tither a bonny briar. Brown Adam. The text is given from the Jameson Brown MS. It was first printed by Scott, with the omission of the second stanza, perhaps justifiable, and a few minor changes. He notes that he had seen a copy printed on a single sheet. The text. MS. The story has a remote parallel in a Danish ballad, extant in manuscripts of the 16th century and later, Danifun Hand. The tale is told as follows. Lutzelil, knowing the evil ways of Lai Peterson, rejects his proffered love. Lai vows she shall repent it, and the maiden is afraid for nine months to go to church, but goes at Easter. Lai meets her in a wood, and repeats his offer. She begs him to do her no harm, feigns compliance and makes an assignation in the chamber of her maids. She returns home and tells her father, who watches for Lai. When he comes and demands admission, she denies the assignation. Lai breaks down the door, and discovers Lutzelil's father with a drawn sword, with which he cuts off Lai's hand. The story. The reason for objecting to the second stanza as here given is not so much the inadequacy of a golden hammer, or the unusual whiteness of the smith's fingers, 
but the rhyme in the third line. Brown Adam. Oh, wa would wish the wind to blow. Oh, wa. Or the green leaves that fade therewith. Or wa wad wish a leela love. Then Brown Adam the smith. His hammers owe the beaten gold. His studies owe the steel. His fingers white are my delight. He blows his bellows well. But they ha banished him Brown Adam. Frey father and Frey mither. And they ha banished him Brown Adam. Frey sister and Frey brither. And they ha banished Brown Adam. Frey the floor o'a his kin. And he's bigot a bower i the good green wood. Bet when his lady and him. Oh it fell once upon a day. Brown Adam he thought lang. And he would to the greenwood gang. To hunt some venison. He's tain his bow his arm o'er. His bran until his han. And he is to the good green wood. As fast as he cowed gang. Oh he's shot up and he shot down. The bird yippo the briar. And he's sent it hame to his lady. Bade her be of good cheer. Oh he's shot up and he shot down. The bird yippo the thorn. And sent it hame to his lady. And he'd be hame the morn. One he came till his lady's bower door. He stood a little forby. And there he heard a foo fac knight. Temptin' his gay lady. Oh he's tain out a gay gold ring. Had cost him money a pound. Oh grant me love for love, lady. And this sal be your own. I loo brown Adam Wells, she says. I would essay does he me. And I would not gi brown Adam's love. For nay fac knight I see. Out he has tain a purse of gold. Was a food to the string. Grant me but love for love, lady. And a this sal be thine. I loo brown Adam Wells, she says. And I can essay ye does he me. And I wouldna be your light leman. For mare nor ye cowed gi. Then out has he drawn his lang, lang bran. And he's flashed it in her een. Now grant me love for love, lady. Or through you this sal gang. Oh, sighing said that gay lady. Brown Adam tarries lang. Then up it starts Brown Adam. Says I'm just at your han dot. He's guard him leave his bow, his bow. He's guard him leave his bran. He's guard him leave a better pledge. Four fingers o' oh, his right han. Willie o' Winsbury. The text is from the Campbell MSS. The text. MSS. The story was imagined by Kinloch to possess a quasi-historical foundation, James V., of Scotland, who eventually married Madeline, elder daughter of Francis I., having been previously betrothed by treaty to Marie de Bourbon, daughter of the Duke of Vendôme, returned to Scotland in 1537. The theory is either probable nor plausible. The story. V. I. Willie O. Winsbury. The king he hath been a prisoner. The. A prisoner lang in Spain, O. Oh. And Willie O the Winsbury. Has lain lang why his daughter at hame, O. Oh. What aileth thee, my daughter Janet? Ye look so pale and wan? Have ye had any sore sickness? Or have ye been lying why a man? Or is it for me, your father dear? And biding essay lang in Spain? I have not had any sore sickness. Nor yet been lying why a man. But it is for you, my father dear. In biding essay lang in Spain. Cast ye off your berry brown gown. Stand straight upon the stone. That I may ken ye by your shape. Whether ye be a maiden or none. She's cruised ten off her berry brown gown. 
stood in straight Yupoyan stone. Her apron was short, her haunches were round. Her face it was pale and wan. Is it to a man o' oh might, Janet? Or is it to a man of fame? Or is it to any of the rank robbers? That's lately come out o' oh Spain. It is not to a man of might, she said. Nor is it to a man of fame. But it is to William of Winsbury. I could lie nay langer my lane. The kings called on his merry men all. By thirty and by three. Go fetch me William of Winsbury. For hanged he shall be. But when he came the king before, he was clad o' the red silk. His hair was like to threads o' gold, and his skin was as white as milk. It is nay wonder, said the king, that my daughter's love ye did win. Had I been a woman, as I am a man, my bedfellow ye should hae been. Will ye marry my daughter Janet? By the truth of thy right hand, I'll jay ye gold, I'll jay ye money, and I'll jay ye an earldom o' land. Yes, I'll marry your daughter Janet, by the truth of my right hand. But I'll hae none o' your gold, I'll hae none o' your money. Nor I winna hae an earldom o' land, for I hae eighteen corn mills, runs all in water clear, and there's as much corn in each o' them, as they can grind in a year. The Marriage of Sir Gawain The text is from the early part of the Percy Folio, and the ballad is therefore deficient. Where gaps are marked in the text with a row of asterisks, about nine stanzas are lost in each case, half a page torn out by a seventeenth-century maidservant to light a fire. Luckily we can supply the story from other versions. The text. The story, also given in the wedding of S. Gaon and Dame Rangnell, in the Rawlinson M.S. C. 86 in the Bodleian Library, runs as follows. The story. M.S. C. Shortly after Christmas, Arthur, riding by Tarn Waddling, still so called, but now pasture land, in the forest of Inglewood, meets a bold baron, who challenges him to fight unless he can win his ransom by returning on New Year's Day with an answer to the question, What does a woman most desire? Arthur relates the story to Gawain, asks him and others for an answer to the riddle, and collects their suggestions in a book, Letters, 24. On his way to keep his tryst with the baron, he meets an unspeakably ugly woman, who offers her assistance. If she will help him, Arthur says, she shall wed with Gawain. She gives him the true answer, a woman will have her will. Arthur meets the baron, and after proffering the budget of answers, confronts him with the true answer. The baron exclaims against the ugly woman, whom he asserts to be his sister. Arthur returns to his court, and tells his knights that a wife awaits one of them on the moor. Sir Lancelot, Sir Stephen, who is not mentioned elsewhere in Arthurian tales, Sir Kay, Sir Bowyer, probably Bedour or Bedivere, Sir Bor, Bors de Goves, Sir Garrett, Gareth, and Sir Tristram ride forth to find her. At sight, Sir Kay, without overmuch chivalry, expresses his disgust, and the rest are unwilling to marry her. The king explains that he has promised to give her to Sir Gawain, who, it seems, bows to Arthur's authority, and weds her. During the bridal night, she becomes a beautiful young woman. Further to Tescawain, she gives him his choice. Will he have her fair by day and foul by night, or foul by day and fair by night? Fair by night, says Gawain. And foul to be seen of all by day? She asks. Have your way, says Gawain, and breaks the last thread of the spell, as she forthwith explains. Her stepmother had bewitched both her, 
to haunt the more in ugly shape, till some night should grant her all her will, and her brother, to challenge all comers to fight him or answer the riddle. Similar tales, but with the important variation, undoubtedly indigenous in the story, that the man who saves his life by answering the riddle has himself to wed the ugly woman, are told by Gower, Confessio Amantes, Book I, and Chaucer, The Tale of the W.Y.F. of Bathe. The latter, which is also Arthurian in its setting, was made into a ballad in the Crown Garland of Golden Roses, circ. 1600, compiled by Richard Johnson. A parallel is also to be found in an Icelandic saga. I. The Marriage of Sir Gawain. King Arthur Luz and Mary Carlyle. King Arthur. And Similia's to see. And there he hath with him Queen Geneva. That bride so bright of blee. And there he hath with him Queen Geneva. That bride so bright in bower. And all his barons about him stood. That were both stiff and store. The king kept a royal Christ mass. Of mirth and great honor. And when. And bring me word what thing it is. That a woman will most desire. This shall be thy ransom, Arthur, he says. For I loha no other here. King Arthur then held VP his hand. According then as was the law. He took his low of the baron there. And hum ward can he draw. And when he came to marry Carlyle. To his chamber he is gone. And there came to him his cousin Sir Gawain. As he did make his moan. And there came to him his cousin Sir Gawain. That was a courteous knight. Why sigh you so sore, Venkel Arthur, he said. Or who hath done thee right? O peace, O peace, thou gentle Gawain. That fair may thee befall. For if thou knew my sighing so deep. Thou wold not Meruel att all. For when I came to turn waddling. A bold baron there I fand. With a great club upon his back. Standing stiff and strong. And he asked me whether I wold fight. Or from him I should be gone. Or else I must him a ransom pay. And so depart him from. To fight with him I saw no cause. Methought it was not meet. For he was stiff and strong withal. His strokes were nothing sweet. Therefore this is my ransom, Gawain. I ought to him to pay. I must come again, as I am sworn. Upon the New Year's Day. And I must bring him word what thing it is. Then King Arthur drayest him for to ride. In one so rich array. Toward the foresaid turn waddling. That he might keep his day. And as he rode over a moor. He see a lady where she sate. Betwixt an oak and a green holland. She was clad in red scarlet. Then there a shoulder hoss stood her mouth. Then there was set her eye. The other was in her forehead fast. The way that she might see. Her nose was crooked and turned outward. Her mouth stood full awry. A worse formed lady than she was. Neuer man saw with his eye. To halch upon him, King Arthur. This lady was full fain. But King Arthur had forgot his lesson. What he should say again. What knight art thou, the lady said. That will not speak to me? Of me be thou nothing dismayed. Though I be vigiawai to see. For I ha helps you courteous lie. And you will not me again. Yet I may happen, sir knight, she said. To ease thee of thy pain. Jer thou ease me, lady, he said. Or help me anything. 
Thou shalt have gentle Gawain, my cousin, and marry him with a ring. Why, if I help thee not, thou noble King Arthur, of thy own heart's desirange, of gentle Gawain. And when he came to the turn waddling, the baron there cold he find, with a great weapon on his back, standing stiff and strange. And then he took King Arthur's letters in his hands, and away he cold them fling. And then he pulled out a good brown sword, and C.R.Y.D. himself a king. And he said, I haw thee and thy land, Arthur, to do as it pleaseth me. For this is not thy ransom sure, the fore yield thee to me. And then bespoke him noble Arthur, and bade him hold his hand, and do me low to speak my mind, in defense of all my land. He said, as I came over a moor, I see a lady where she sate, between an oak and a green holland. She was clad in red scarlet, and she says a woman will haw her will, and this is all her chief desire. Do me right, as thou art a baron of skill. This is thy ransom and all thy hire. He says, an early vengeance light on her. She walks on yonder moor. It was my sister that told thee this. And she is a mishappen whore. But here he make mine avow to God. To do her and you'll turn. For in you or I may fate foul death get. In a fire I will her burn. The two depart. Sir Lancelot and Sir Stephen Bold. They rode with them that day. And the foremost of the company. There rode the steward Kay. So did Sir Bowyer and Sir Bore. Sir Garrett with them so gay. So did Sir Tristram that gentle knight. To the forest fresh and gay. And when he came to the green forest. Underneath a green holly tree. There sate that lady in red scarlet. That seemly was to see. Sir Kay beheld this lattice face. And looked upon her swire. Husur kisses this lady, he says. Of his kiss he stands in fear. Sir Kay beheld the lady again. And looked upon her snout. Husur kisses this lady, he says. Of his kiss he stands in doubt. Peace, cousin Kay, then said Sir Gawain. Amend thee of thy life. For there is a knight amongst versus all. That must marry her to his wife. What? Wed her to whiff, then said Sir Kay. In the Diwell's name, Anon, get me a whiff where I may. For I had rather be slain, than some took VP their hawks and hast, and some took VP their hounds, and some swear they will not marry her, for a city nor for town, and then bespake him noble King Arthur, and swear thereby this day, for a little foolish sight and misliking. Then she said, Choose thee, gentle Gawain, truth as I do say. Whether thou wilt harm me in this lickness, in the night or else in the day, and then bespake him gentle Gawain, was one so mild of mud, says, Well, I know what I will say. God grant it may be good to haw thee foul in the night, when I with thee should play. Yet I had rather, if I might, haw thee foul in the day. What? When lords go with the fires, she said, both to the ale and wine? Alas, then I must hide myself. I must not go within. And then bespake him gentle Gawain. Said lady, that's but skill. And because thou art my own lady, thou shalt haw all thy will. Then she said, Bless be thou, gentle Gawain. 
this day that I thee see. For as thou see, sd me att this time. From henceforth I will be. My father was an old knight. And yet it chanced so. That he married a young lady. That brought me to this woe. She witched me, being a fair young lady. To the green forest to dwell. And there I must walk in woman's litness. Most like a fiend of hell. She witched my brother to a carlish bee. That looked so foule, and that was wont. On the wild moor to go. Come kiss her, brother Kay, then said Sir Gawain. And amend of thy lif. I swear this is the same lady. That I married to my whiff. Sir Kay kissed that lady bright. Standing upon his feet. He swore, as he was true knight. The spice was noir so sweet. Well, cousin Gawain, says Sir Kay. Thy chance has fallen aright. For thou hast gotten one of the fairest maids. I you saw with my sight. It is my fortune, said Sir Gawain. For my venkle Arthur's sake. I am glad as grass wold be of rain. Great Iowe that I may take. Sir Gawain took the lady by the one arm. Sir Kay took her by the tother. They led her straight to King Arthur. As they were brother and brother. King Arthur welcomed them there all. And so did Lady Janua his queen. With all the knights of the round table. Most seemly to be seen. King Arthur beheld that lady fair. That was so fair and bright. He thanked Christ in Trinity. For Sir Gawain that gentle knight. So did the knights, both more and less. Reoist all that day. For the good chance that happen was. To Sir Gawain and his lady gay. The boy and the mantle. Text. The Percy Folio is the sole authority for this excellent lively ballad. It is here given as it stands in the manuscript, except for division into stanzas. Percy printed the ballad verbatim, that is, with emendations, and also a revised version. Text. The story, which exists in countless variations in many lands, is told from the earliest times in connection with the Arthurian legend cycle. Restricting the article used as a criterion of chastity to a mantle, we find the elements of this ballad existing in French manuscripts of the 13th century, the romance called Court Mantle, in a Norse translation of this fabliel, in the Icelandic mantle rhymes of the 15th century, in the Scala Chronica of Sir Thomas Gray of Heaton, circ. 1355, in Germany, and in Gaelic, a ballad known in Irish writings, but not in Scottish, as well as in many other versions. The Story the trial by the drinking horn is a fable equally old, as far as the evidence goes, and equally widespread, but it is not told elsewhere in connection with the parallel story of the mantle. Other tests used for the purpose of discovering infidelity or unchastity are a crown, a magic bridge, German, a girdle, English, C.P. Florimel's girdle in the Fairy Queen, Book 4, Canto 5, a bed, a stepping stone by the bedside, a chair, Scandinavian, Flowers, Sanskrit, a shirt, German and Flemish, a picture, Italian, translated to England, C.P. Massinger's The Picture, 1630, where he localizes the story in Hungary, a ring, French, a mirror, German, French, and Italian, and so forth. Caxton, in his preface to K.Y.N.G. Arthur, 1485, says, Item, in the castle of Dewey ye may see Gawain's skull and Craddock's mantle. Sir Thomas Gray says the mantle was made into a chasuble and was preserved at Glastonbury.
Thomas Love Peacock says, The Misfortunes of Elfin, Chapter 12. Tegau Yervrin, or Tegau of the Golden Bosom, was the wife of Caradoc, Craddock, and one of the three chaste wives of the island of Britain. A similar statement is recorded by Percy at the end of his revised and altered ballad, taking it from the Rev. Evan Evans, editor of the Specimens of Welsh Poetry. The Boy and the Mantle. In the third day of May. In. To Carlisle did come. A kind courteous child. That cold much of wisdom. A kirtle and a mantle. This child had pawn. With brooches and rings. Full richly bed one. He had a soot of silka. About his middle drawn. Without he cold of courtesy. He thought itt much shame. God speed thee, King Arthur. Sitting at thy meat. And the goodly queen Ganur. I cannot her forget. I tell you lords in this hall. I hetch you all heed. Except you be the more sure. Is you for to dread. He plucked out of his potwer. And longer wold not dwell. He pulled forth a pretty mantle. Between two nutshells. Haw thou here, King Arthur. Haw thou here of me. Give itt to thy comely queen. Shopin as itt is already I. Itt shall noir become that with. That hath once done amiss. Then Uri Knight in the king's court. Began to care for his whiff. Forth came Dame Ganuer. To the mantle she her bid. The lady she was newfangle. But yet she was afraid. When she had taken the mantle. She stood as she had been mad. It was from the top to the toe. As shears had ITT shred. One while was ITT gowl. Another while was ITT green. Another while was ITT wadded. Ill ITT did her beseem. Another while was it black. And bore the worst hue. By my troth, quoth King Arthur. I think thou be not true. She threw down the mantle. That bright was a blee. Fast with a red red. To her chamber can she flee. She cursed the weir and the walker. That cloth that had wrought. And bade a vengeance on his crown. That hither hath ITT brought. I had rather be in a wood. Vender a green tree. Then in King Arthur's court. Shamed for to be. Kay called forth his lady. And bade her come near. Says, Madam, and thou be guilty. I pray thee hold thee there. Forth came his lady. Shortly and anon. Bold lie to the mantle. Then is she gone. When she had ta'en the mantle. And cast it her about. Then was she bare. All above the buttocks. Then Uri Knight. That was in the king's court. Talked log h ed and shot ed. Full oft att that sport. She threw down the mantle. That bright was a blee. Fast with a red rud. To her chamber can she flee. Forth came an old knight. Pattering or a creed. And he proffered to this little boy. Twenty marks to his mead. And all the time of the Christ Mass. Willingly to feed. For why this mantle might. Doe his whiff some need. When she had ta'en the mantle. Of cloth that was made. She had no more left on her. But a tassel and a threed. Then Uri Knight in the king's court. Bade yo might she speed. She threw down the mantle. That bright was a blee. And fast with a red rud. To her chamber can she flee. Craddock called forth his lady.
and bade her come in. Seth, when this mantle, lady, with a little din, when this mantle, lady, and it shall be thine, if thou noir didemis, since thou wast mine. Forth came Craddock's lady, shortly and anon, but bold light to the mantle. Then is she gone, when she had tain the mantle, and cast itt her about, vppatt her great toe. Itt began to crinkle and crowd. She said, Bow down, mantle, and shame me not for naught. Once I did amiss, I tell you certainly, when I kissed Craddock's mouth, vendor a green tree, when I kissed Craddock's mouth, before he married me, when she had her shrewin, and her signs she had told her, the mantle stood about her, right as she wold, seemly of color, glittering like gold. Then Uri Knight in Arthur's court did her behold. Then spake Dame Ganur to Arthur our king. She hath ta'en yonder mantle, not with right but with wrong. See you not yonder woman, that mocketh herself so clean? I ha seen ta'en out of her bed, of men fayutine, priests, clerks, and wedded men, from her bydeen. Yet she taketh the mantle, and mocketh herself clean. Then spake the little boy, that kept the mantle in hold. Says, King, chasten thy whiff. Of her word she is to bold. She is a bitch and a witch. And a whore bold. King, in thine own hall. Thou art a cuckold. A little boy stood. Looking o ye adore. He was ware of a wild boar. Wold haw wearied a man. He pulled forth a whiff. Faster the that he ran. He brought in the boar's head. And quitted him like a man. He brought in the boar's head. And was wondrous bold. He said there was noir a cuckold's sniff. Kura itt that cold. Some rubbed their knius. Pon a whetstone. Some threw them vendor the table. And said they had none. King Arthur and the child. Stood looking them upon. All their knius edges. Turned back again. Craddock had a little new. Of iron and of steel. He burtled the boar's head. Wondrous wheel. That Yuri knight in the king's court. Had a morsel. The little boy had a horn. Of red gold that ringe. He said there was no cuckold. Shall drink of my horn. But he showed itt sheed. Either behind or before. Some shed on their shoulder. And some on their knee. He that cold not hit his mouth. Put it in his eye. And he that was a cuckold. Uri man might him see. Craddock won the horn. And the boar's head. His lady won the mantle. To her mead. Uri such a luily lady. God send her well to speed. Johnny Scott. The text of this popular and excellent ballad is given from the Jameson Brown MS. It was copied, with willful alterations, into Scott's Abbotsford MS. Called Scottish Songs. Professor Child prints sixteen variants of the ballad, nearly all from manuscripts. The text. Mess. Mess. The story of the duel with the Italian is given with more detail in other versions. In two ballads from Motherwell's MS, where the Italian becomes the talent or the talent, the champion jumps over Johnny's head and descends on the point of Johnny's sword. 
This exploit is paralleled in a Breton ballad, where the seigneur Les Aubrys of St. Brieux is ordered by the French king to combat his wild moor, who leaps in the air and is received on the sword of his antagonist. Again, in Scottish tradition, James McGill, having killed Sir Robert Balfour about 1679, went to London to procure his pardon, which Charles II offered him on the condition of fighting an Italian gladiator. The Italian leaped once over James McGill, but in attempting to repeat this maneuver was spitted by his opponent, who thereby procured not only his pardon, but also knighthood. The story. Mess. 2. Johnny Scott. Oh, Johnny was as brave a knight. Oh, Johnny. As ever sailed the sea. And he's done him to the English court. To serve for meat and fee. He had nay been in fair England. But yet a little while. Until the kingy's a daughter. To Johnny proves why cheel. O words come to the king himself. In his chair where he sat. That his a daughter was wide bairn. To Jack the little Scot. Gin this be true that I do here. As I trust well it be. Ye pit her into prison strong. And starve her till she die. O Johnny's on to fair Scotland. A what he went why speed. And he has left the kingy's court. A what good was his need. Oh, it fell once upon a day. That Johnny he thought lang. And he's gained to the good green wood. As fast as he cowed gang. Oh, where will I get a bonny boy? To rin my errand soon. That will rin into fair England. And haste him back again? Oh, up it starts a bonny boy. Gold yellow was his hair. I wish his mother Michael Joy. His bonny love Michael Mare. Oh, here am I, a bonny boy. Will rin your errand soon. I will gang into fair England. And come right soon again. Oh, one he came to broken brigs. He bent his bow and swam. And one he came to the green grass grow on. He slaked his show on and ran. One he came to yon high castle. He ran it rune about. And there he saw the king's daughter. At the window looking out. Oh, here's a sarco silk lady. Your ein hand sewed the sleeve. You are bidden come to fair Scotland. Spear nane o your parents leave. Ha, take this sarco silk lady. Your ein hand sewed the gear. You're bidden come to good green wood. Love Johnny waits you there. She's turned her right and rune about. The tear was in her ee. How can I come to my true love? Except I had wings to flee? Here am I kept wide bars and bolts. Most grievous to behold. My breastplates owed the sturdy steel. Instead of the beaten gold. But tack this purse, my bonny boy. You well deserve a fee. And bear this letter to my love. And tell him what you see. Then quickly ran the bonny boy. Again to Scotland Fair. And soon he reached Penacton's Torres. And soon found Johnny there. He pat the letter in his han. And told him what he essay. But ere he half the letter read. He loot the tears down F.A. Oh, I will gee back to Farallon. Though death showed me betide. And I will relieve the damsel. That lay last by my side. Then out it spake his father dear. My son, you are to blame. And Jean, you are catched on English ground. I fear you'll ne'er win hame. Then out it spake a valiant knight. Johnny's best friend was he. I can command five hundred men. 
and I'll his surety be. The first in town that they came till. They guard the bells be rung. And the next in town that they came till. They guard the mess be sung. The third in town that they came till. They guard the drums beat rune. The king but in his nobles a. Was startled at the sone. When they came to the king's palace. They raid it rune about. And there they saw the king himself. At the window looking out. Is this the Duke O'Albany? Or James, the Scottish king? Or are ye some great foreign lord? That's come a-visiting? I'm nay the Duke of Albany. Nor James, the Scottish king. But I'm a valiant Scottish knight. Penacton is my name. Oh, if Penacton be your name. As I trust well it be. The morn, or I task meat or drink. You shall be hanged high dot. Then out it spake the valiant knight. That came brave Johnny Y. Behold five hundred bowmen bold. Will die to set him free. Then out it spake the king again. And a scornful laugh laugh he. I have an Italian in my house. Will fight you three by three. Oh grant me a boon, brave Johnny cried. Bring your Italian here. Then if he fall beneath my sword. I've won your daughter dear. Then out it came that Italian. An agurious ghost was he. You pulled the point, O Johnny's sword. This Italian did die. Out has he drawn his lang, langbran. Struck it across the plain. Is there any more, O your English dogs, that you want to be slain? A clerk, a clerk, the king then cried. To write her talker free. A priest, a priest, says love Johnny. To marry my love and me. I'm seeking none, O your gold, he says nor of your silver clear. I only seek your daughter fair, whose love has cost her dear, Lord Ingram and Sheo Wyatt. The text is taken from Motherwell's Minstrelsy, a similar version being given in Maidment's North Country Garland. A few alterations from the latter version are incorporated. The text. The story bears tokens of confusion with Lady Maisry and some of the variants of either, but here the tragedy is that the bridegroom is brother to the lover. The end of this ballad in all its forms is highly unnatural in its style. Why should Maisry's remorse at having been such an expense to Lord Ingram be three times as great as her grief for the loss of her lover? It is by no means romantic. The story. Lord Ingram and Sheo Wyatt. Lord Ingram and Sheo Wyatt. Lord Ingram. Was baith born in one bower. Laid baith their hearts on one lady. The less was their honor. Chiel Wyatt and Lord Ingram was baith born in one hall, laid baith their hearts on one lady. The worst did them befall. Lord Ingram wooed her Lady Maisry, from father and from mother. Lord Ingram wooed her Lady Maisry, from sister and from brother. Lord Ingram wooed her Lady Maisry, with leave of a her kin, and every one gave full consent. But she said no to him. Lord Ingram wooed her Lady Maisry. Into her father's ha. Chiel Wyatt wooed her Lady Maisie. Among the sheets so SMA. Now it fell out upon a day. She was dressing her head. That Ben did come her father dear. Wearing the gold so red. He said, Get up now, Lady Maisie. Put on your wedding gown. For Lord Ingram he will be here. Your wedding must be done. I'd rather be Chiel Wyatt's wife. The white fish for to sell. Before I were Lord Ingram's wife. 
to wear the silk so well. I'd rather be Chio Wyatt's wife, with him to beg my bread, before I were Lord Ingram's wife, to wear the gold so red. Where will I get a bonny boy? Will win gold to his fee, and will run unto Chio Wyatt's. With this letter from me? Oh, here I am, the boy says one. Will win gold to my fee, and carry away any letter, to Chio Wyatt from thee. And when he found the bridges broke, he bent his bow and swam. And when he found the grass growing, he hastened and he ran. And when he came to Chio Wyatt's castle, he did not knock nor call, but set his bent bow to his breast, and lightly leaped the wall. And ere the porter opened the gate, the boy was in the hall. The first line he looked on, a grieved man was he. The next line he looked on, a tear blinded his e. Says, I wonder what ails my one brother. He'll not let my love be, but I'll send to my brother's bridal. The bacon shall be mine, full four and twenty buck and row, and ten ton of the wine, and bid my love be blithe and glad, and I will follow sign. There was not a groom about that castle, but got a gown of green, and all was blithe, and all was glad. But Lady Maisie she was neen. There was no cook about that kitchen, but got a gown of grey, and all was blithe, and all was glad. But Lady Maisie was way, between Mary Kirk and that castle, was all spread hour with garl, to keep Lady Maisie and her maidens from tramping on the morrow. From Mary Kirk to that castle was spread a cloth of gold to keep Lady Maisie and her maidens from treading on the mold. When mass was sung and bells was rung and all men bound for bed, then Lord Ingram and Lady Maisie in one bed they were laid. When they were laid into their bed, it was bathed soft and warm. He laid his hand over her side. Says, I think you are with Bairn. I told you once, so did I twice, when ye came me to woo, that Chiel Wyatt, your only brother, one night lay in my bower. I told you twice, I told you thrice, ere ye came me to wed, that Chiel Wyatt, your one brother, one night lay in my bed. Oh, will you father your bairn on me, and on no other man? And I'll give him to his dowry, full fifty ploughs of land. I will not father my bairn on you nor on no rangeous man, though you would give him to his dowry, five thousand ploughs of land. Then up did start him Chio Wyatt, shed by his yellow hair, and gave Lord Ingram to the heart, a deep wound and a sare. Then up did start him Lord Ingram, shed by his yellow hair, and gave Chio Wyatt to the heart, a deep wound and a sare. There was no pity for that two lords, where they were lying slain. But all was for her Lady Maisie. In that bower she gave brain. There was no pity for that two lords, when they were lying dead. But all was for her Lady Maisie. In that bower she went mad, said, Get to me a cloak of cloth, a staff of good hard tree. If I have been an evil woman, I shall beg till I dee. For a bit I'll beg for Chio Wyatt. For Lord Ingram I'll beg three, all for the good and honorable marriage. At Mary Kirk he gave me, the T.W.A. Sisters O'Binnery. Texts.
The version here given is compounded from two different sources, almost of necessity. Stanzas 1 to 19 were given by Scott, compounded from W. Teitler's Brown MS, and the recitation of an old woman. But at stanza 20 Scott's version becomes eccentric, and he prints such verses as Texts Mess A famous harper passing by The sweet pale face he chanced to spy the strings he framed of her yellow hair, whose notes made sad the listening air. Stanzas 20 to 25, therefore, have been supplied from the Jameson Brown MS, which after this point does not descend from the high level of ballad poetry. MS. The story. This is a very old and a very popular story. An early broadside exists, dated 1656, and the same version is printed in Whit Restored, 1658. Of Scandinavian ballads on the same subject, nine are Danish, two Icelandic, twelve Norwegian, four Faroe, and eight or nine Swedish. The story. The TWA sisters o binary. There were TWA sisters sat in a boar. There. Binary, o binary. There came a knight to be their wooer. By the bonny milldams o binary. He courted the eldest wide glove and ring. Binary, o binary. But he loathed the youngest abuna thing. By the bonny mill dams o binary. He courted the eldest with brooch and knife. Binary, o binary. But he loathed the youngest abun his life. By the bonny mill dams o binary. The eldest she was vexed sir. Binary, o binary. And sir envied her sister fair. By the bonny mill dams o binary. The eldest said to the youngest thing. Binary, o binary. Will ye go and see our father's ships come in? By the bonny mill dams o binary. She's tain her by the lily hand. Binary, o binary. And led her down to the river strand. By the bonny mill dams o binary. The youngest stood upon a stain. Binary, o binary. The eldest came and pushed her in. By the bonny mill dams o binary. She took her by the middle SMA. Binary, o binary and dashed her bonny back to the jaw. By the bonny milldams o binary slash. O sister, sister, reach your hand. Binary, o binary, and ye shall be heir of half my land. By the bonny milldams o binary. O sister, I'll not reach my hand. Binary, o binary, and I'll be heir of all your land. By the bonny milldams o binary. Shame effay the hand that I should take. Binary, O binary, it's twin me and my world's make. By the bonny mill dams o binary. O sister reach me but your glove. Binary, O binary, and sweet William shall be your love. By the bonny mill dams o binary. Sink on, nor hope for hand or glove. Binary, O binary, and sweet William shall better be my love. By the bonny mill dams o binary. Your cherry cheeks and your yellow hair. Binary, o binary, guard me gang maiden evermere. By the bonny mill dams o binary, sometimes she sunk, and sometimes she swam. Binary, o binary, until she came to the miller's dam. By the bonny mill dams o binary, o father, father, draw your dam. Binary, o binary, there's either a mermaid or a milk-white swan. By the bonny mill dams o binary. The miller hasted and drew his dam. Binary, o binary, 
and there he found a drowned woman. By the Bonnie Mill Dam's O'Binnery. You could not see her yellow hair. Binnery, O'Binnery, for goud and pearls that were essay rare. By the Bonnie Mill Dam's O'Binnery. You could not see her middle SMA. Binnery, O'Binnery, her goud and girdle was essay bra. By the Bonnie Mill Dam's O'Binnery. And by there came a harper fine. Binnery, O Binnery, that hark to the king at dine. By the Bonnie Mill Dam's O Binnery, when he did look that lady upon. Binnery, O Binnery, he sighed and made a heavy moan. By the Bonnie Mill Dam's O Binnery, he stained three locks o' her yellow hair. Binnery, O Binnery, and why them strung his harp essay fair. By the Bonnie Mill Dam's O Binnery, the first tune he did play and sing. Binnery, O Binnery, was farewell to my father the king. By the Bonnie Mill Dam's O Binnery, the next in tune that he played sign. Binnery, O Binnery, was farewell to my mother the queen. By the Bonnie Mill Dam's O Binnery, the last in tune that he played then. Binnery, O Binnery, was way to my sister, fair Ellen. By the Bonnie Mill Dam's O Binnery, young waters. The text is that of a copy mentioned by Percy, printed not long since at Glasgow, in one sheet a veal. The world was indebted for its publication to the Lady Jean Hume, sister to the Earl of Hume, who died lately at Gibraltar. The original edition, discovered by Mr. MacMath after Professor Child's version, from the relics, was in print, is Young Waters, an ancient Scottish poem, never before printed. Glasgow Printed and sold by Robert and Andrew Foulis, 1755. This was also known to Maimont. Hardly a word differs from Percy's version, but here I have substituted the spellings WH for Percy's K, in Sihin, etc., and Y for his Z in Zum, Zo, etc. The text. The story has had historical foundations suggested for it by Percy and Chambers. Percy identified young waters with the Earl of Murray, murdered according to the chronicle of Sir James Balfour, on the 7th of February, 1592, Chambers, in 1829, relying on Buchan's version of the ballad, had no doubt that young Waters was one of the Scots nobles executed by James I, and was very probably Walter Stuart, second son of the Duke of Albany. Thirty years later, Chambers was equally certain that the ballad was the composition of Lady Wardlaw. The story? I. In a Scandinavian ballad, Folky Lovemanson is a favorite at court. A little wee page makes the fatal remark and excites the king's jealousy. The innocent knight is rolled down a hill in a barrel set with knives, a punishment common in Scandinavian folklore. Young Waters. About Yule, when the wind blew cool. About. And the round tables began. A there is come to our king's court. Moni a well-favored man. The queen looked o'er the castle Beheld bath dale and down. And there she saw young waters. Come riding to the town. His footmen they did rin before. His horsemen rade behind. In mantle of the burning goud. Did keep him fray the wind. Goud and graith his horse before. And sillashod behind. The horse young waters rade upon. Was fleeter than the wind. Out then spack a wily lord. Unto the queen said he. O oh, tell me why ask the fairest face. Rides in the company? I've sent a lord, and I've sent a laird. And knights of high degree.
but a fairer face than young waters. Mine I did never see. Out then spake the jealous king. And an angry man was he. Oh, if he had been twice as fair. You micked have accepted me. You're neither laird nor lord, she says. But the king that wears the crown. There is not a knight in fair Scotland. But to thee mon bow down. For a that she cowed do or say. Appeased he wad nay be. But for the words which she had said. Young waters he mon die. They hatain young waters. And put fetters to his feet. They hatain young waters. And thrown him in dungeon deep. Aft have I ridden through Stirling town. In the wind bot and the white. But I near raid through Stirling town. Why fetters at my feet? Aft have I ridden through Stirling town. In the wind bot and the rain. But I near raid through Stirling town. Near to return again. They hatain to the hiding hill. His young son in his cradle. And they hatain to the hiding hill. His horse bot and his saddle. They hatain to hiding hill. His lady fair to see. And for the words the queen had spoke. Young waters he did die. Barbara Allen. The text is from Allen Ramsey's Tea Table Miscellany, 1763. It was not included in the first edition, 1724 to 1727, nor until the ninth edition in 1740, when to the original three volumes there was added a fourth, in which this ballad appeared. There is also a Scotch version. Sir John Graham and Barbara Allen. Percy printed both in the Relics, Volume 3. The text. The story of Barbara Allen's scorn of her lover and subsequent regret has always been popular. Peep's records of Mrs. Nip, in perfect pleasure I was to hear her sing, and especially her little Scotch song of Barbary Allen, January 2nd, 1665-6. Goldsmith's words are equally well known. The music of the finest singer is dissonance to what I felt when an old dairymaid sung me into tears with Johnny Armstrong's last good night, or the cruelty of Barbara Allen. The tune is excessively popular. It is given in Chappelle's English song and ballad music. The story. Barbara Allen. It was in and about the Martimus time. It. When the green leaves were a-falling. That Sir John Graham in the West Country. Fell in love with Barbara Allen. He sent his men down through the town. To the place where she was dwelling. Oh haste and come to my master dear. Gin ye be Barbara Allen. Oh hooly, hooly rose she up. To the place where he was lying. And when she drew the curtain by. Young man, I think you're dying. Oh it's I am sick, and very, very sick. And tea is a for Barbara Allen. Oh, the better for me ye yes, never be, though your heart's blood were a-spilling. Oh, dinna ye mind, young man, said she, when ye was in the tavern a-drinking, that ye made the healthsky round and round, and slighted Barbara Allen? He turned his face unto the wall, and death was with him dealing. Adieu, adieu, my dear friends all, and be kind to Barbara Allen, and slowly, slowly raised she up, and slowly, slowly left him and sighing said she cowed not stay, since death of life had reft him. She had not gained a mile but T.W.A., when she heard the dead bell ringing, and every jowl that the dead bell gayed. It cried, Woe to Barbara Allen! O mother, mother, make my bed! O make it soft and narrow, 
since my love died for me today. I'll die for him tomorrow. The Gay Goshawk. The text is from the Jameson Brown MS, on which version Scott drew partly for his ballad in the minstrelsy. Mrs. Brown recited the ballad again to William Teitler in 1783, but the result is now lost, with most of the other Teitler Brown versions. The text. Mess. The story. One point, the maid's feint of death to escape from her father to her lover, is the subject of a ballad very popular in France. A version entitled Belle Isenberg is printed in a collection called Airs de Cour, 1607. Feigning death to escape various threats is a common feature in many European ballads. The story. It is perhaps needless to remark that no goshawk sings sweetly, much less talks. In Buchan's version, of 49 stanzas, the goshawk is exchanged for a parrot. The gay goshawk. Oh well es me oh my gay goshawk. Oh well. That he can speak and flee. He'll carry a letter to my love. Bring back another to me. Oh, how can I your true love can? Or how can I her know? When fray her mouth I never heard cuth. Nor why my eyes her saw. Oh, well, sal ye my true love can. As soon as you her see. For other the floress in Farallon. The fairest floor is she. At even at my love's bower door. There grows a bowing birk. And sit ye down and sing thereon. As she gangs to the kirk and four and twenty ladies fair, will wash and go to Kirk. But well shall ye my true love ken, for she wears gout on her skirt, and four and twenty gay ladies, will to the mass repair. But well sal ye my true love ken, for she wears gout on her hair. Oh, even at that lady's bower door, there grows a bow in birk. And she sat down and sang thereon, as she ged to the Kirk. O oh, eat ye and drink, my Mary's a. The wine flows you among. Till I gang to my shot window. And hear yon bonny bird's song. Sing on, sing on, my bonny bird. The song ye sang the stream. For I kin by your sweet singin'. You refray my true loves and dot. Oh, first he sang a merry song. And then he sang a grave. And then he pecked his feathers gray. To her the letter gave. Ha, there's a letter fray your love. He says he send you three. He can await your love languor. But for your sake he'll die. He bids you write a letter to him. He says he send you five. He can await your love languor. Though you're the fairest woman alive. Ye bid him bake his bridal bread. And brew his bridal ale. And I'll meet him in fair Scotland. Lang, lang, or it be stale. She's done her to her father dear. A fan low down on her knee. A boon, a boon, my father dear. I pray you, grant it me. Ask on, ask on, my daughter. And granted it shall be. Except a squire in fair Scotland. And him you saw never see. The only boon, my father dear. That I do crave of the. Is, gin I die in southern lands. In Scotland to bury me. And the first in Kirk that ye come till. Ye gar the bells be rung. And the next in Kirk that ye come till. Ye gar the mess be some. And the third in Kirk that ye come till. You deal gold for my sake. And the fourth in Kirk that ye come till. You tarry there till night. She has done her to her bigly bower. As fast as she cowed fair. 
and she has ta'en a sleepy draught, that she had mixed white care. She's laid her down upon her bed, and soon she's effin asleep, and soon o'er every tender limb, called death began to creep. One night was flown, and day was come. Nay, in that did her see, but thought she was as surely dead, as only lady cowed be, her father and her brothers dear. Guard make to her a beer. The tay half was o g u i d red gold. The tither o silver clear. Her mither and her sisters fair. Guard work for her a sark. The tay half was o cambric fine. The tither o needle work. The furs and kirk that they came till. They guard the bells be rung. And the next in kirk that they came till. They guard the mess be sung. The third in kirk that they came till. They dealt gold for her sake. And the fourth in kirk that they came till. Lo, there they met her make. Lay down, lay down the bigly beer. Let me the dead look on. Why cherry cheeks and ruby lips. She lay and smilled on him. O oh, aye shivo your bread, true love. And aye glass o your wine. For I hae fasted for your sake. These fully days is nine. Gang hame, gang hame, my seven bold brothers. Gang hame and sound your horn. And ye may boast in southern lands. Your sisters played you scorn. Brown Robin. The text is here given from the Jameson Brown M.S. Versions, lengthened and therefore less succinct and natural, are given in Christie's traditional ballad airs, Love Robbie, and in Buchan's Ballads of the North of Scotland, Brown Robin and Mally. The text. M.S. The story is a genuine bit of romance. The proud porter is apparently suspicious, believing that the king's daughter would not have made him drunk for any good purpose. In spite of that he cannot see through Brown Robin's disguise though the king remarks that this is a sturdy dame, the king's daughter, one would think, who conceals Robin's bow in her bosom, must also have been somewhat sturdy. Note the picturesque touch in 8. The story. Brown Robin. 1. The king but in his nobles a sat burling at the wine. The king but in his nobles a. The. Sat burling at the wine. This. He would ha nane but his ae daughter to wait on them at dine. He would ha nane but his ae daughter. To wait on them at dine. She served them but she served them ben. Until a gown of green. But her e was I on brown robin. That stood low under the rain. She's done her to her bigly bower. As fast as she cowed gang. And there she's drawn her shot window. And she's harked and she sang. There sits a bird on my father's garden. And oh, but she sings sweet. I hope to live and see the day. When why my love I'll meet. Oh, gin that ye like me as well. As your tongue tells to me. What hour o' oh, the night, my lady bright. At your bower shall I be? Wan my father and gay Gilbert. Our bath set at the wine. Oh, ready, ready I will be. To lap my true love in. Oh, she has burled her father's porter. Why strong beer and why wine? Until he was as beastly drunk. As only wildwood swine. She stunned the keys o' her father's yates. And latin her true love in. When night was gain and day was come. And the sun shone on their feet. Then out it spake him brown robin. I'll be discovered yet. Then out it spake that gay lady. My love ye need not doubt. For why e while I've got you in? 
Why, Anita, I'll bring you out. She's ta'en her to her father's cellar. As fast as she can fare. She's drawn a cup of the good red wine. Hung tea low down by her gear. And she met why her father dear. Just coming down the stair. I would nod ye I that cup, daughter. That ye hold I your han. Four of the wines in my cellar. And gauntries where the why stand dot. Away be to your wine, father. That ever tea came o'er the sea. Tis pit and my head and sick a steer. I my bower I canna be. Gang out, gang out, my daughter dear. Gang out and tack the air. Gang out and walk I the good green wood. And a your Mary's fair. Then out it spake the proud porter. Our lady wished him shame. We'll send the Marys to the wood. But we'll keep our lady at hame. There's thirty Marys I my bower. There's thirty o' them and three. But there es nay ain't am them a. Kens what flow our gains for me. She's done her to her bigly bower. As fast as she could gang. And she has dressed him brown robin. Like ony bower woman. The gown she pat upon her love. Was o' the dainty green. His hose was o' the soft, soft silk. His shoe o' the cordwain fine. She's pit and his bow in her bosom. His arrow in her sleeve. His sturdy brand her body next. Because he was her love. Then she is unto her bower door. As fast as she cowed gang. But out it spake the proud porter. Our lady wished him shame. We'll count our Marys to the wood. And we'll count them back again. The first ten Marys she sent out. Was brown robin by name. Then out it spake the king himself. This is a sturdy dame. Oh, she went out in a May morning. In a May morning so gay. But she never came back again. Her old father to see. Lady Alice. The text of this little ballad is given from Bell's ancient poems, ballads, and songs of the peasantry of England. The text. It should be compared with Lord Lovell. Lady Alice. Lady Alice was sitting in her bower window. Lady Alice, at midnight mending her coif, and there she saw as fine a corpse, as ever she saw in her life. What bear ye, what bear ye, ye six men tall? What bear ye on your shoulders? We bear the corpse of Giles Collins, an old and true lover of yours. Oh, lay him down gently, ye six men tall, all on the grass so green. And tomorrow, when the sun goes down, Lady Alice a corpse shall be seen, and bury me in St. Mary's Church, all for my love so true, and make me a garland of marjoram, and of lemon thyme, and rue. Giles Collins was buried all in the east, Lady Alice all in the west, and the roses that grew on Giles Collins's grave, they reached Lady Alice's breast, the priest of the parish he chanced to pass, and he severed those roses in twain. Sure never were seen such true lovers before. Nor e'er will there be again. Child Maurice. The text is from the Percy Folio, given literatum, with two rearrangements of the lines, in STT. Four and twenty-two, and a few obvious corrections, as suggested by Hales, and Furnival, and Child. The folio version was printed by Jameson in his popular ballads and songs. The text. The Scotch version, Gil Morris, was printed by Percy in the relics and preference to the version of his folio. He notes that the ballad has lately run through two editions in Scotland, 
The second was printed at Glasgow in 1755, thanks to an advertisement prefixed to these Scottish editions. Sixteen additional verses were obtained and added by Percy, who thought that they were perhaps after all only an ingenious interpolation. Gil Morris introduces Lord Barnard in place of John Stewart, adopted, perhaps, from Little Musgrave and Lady Barnard. Motherwell's versions were variously called Child Norris, Bob Norris, Gil Morris, Child Morris. Certainly the folio ballad is unsurpassed for its vigorous, objective style, and forcible, vivid pictures. The story of this ballad gave rise to Holmes Douglas, a tragedy, produced in the Concert Hall, Canongate, Edinburgh, 1756, on which occasion the heroine's name was given as Lady Barnard and transferred to Covent Garden Theatre, in London, in 1757, the heroine's name being altered to Lady Randolph. The story. Perhaps in the same year in which the play was produced in London, the poet Gray wrote from Cambridge, I have got the old Scotch ballad on which Douglas was founded. It is divine, and as long as from hence to Aston. Aristotle's best rules are observed in it in a manner which shows the author never had heard of Aristotle. It begins in the fifth act of the play. You may read it two-thirds through without guessing what it is about, and yet, when you come to the end, it is impossible not to understand the whole story. Child Maurice. Child Maurice hunted at Cillier Wood. Child Maurice. He hunted I.T.T. roundabout. And nobody that he found therein. Nor none there was without. And he took his Cillier comb in his hand. To chem his yellow locks. He says, Come hither, thou little food page. That runneth lowly by my knee. For thou shalt go to Ian Steward's with. And pray her speak with me. Aye, and greet thou do that lady well. You are so well from me. And, as I titi falls, as many times. As knots been knit on a kill. Or marchant men gone to the London. Either to buy where or sell. And, as I titi falls, as many times. As any heart can think. Or schoolmasters are in any schoolhouse. Ridding with pen and ink. For if I might, as well as she may. This night I wold with her speak. And here I send her a mantle of green. As green as any grass. And bid her come to the Cillua wood. To hunt with child Maurice. And there I send her a ring of gold. A ring of precious stone. And bid her come to the Cillua wood. Let for no kind of man. One while this little boy he owed. Another while he ran. Until he came to Ian Steward's hall. I wish he never bland. And of nurture the child had good. He ran VP Hall and Bower Free. And when he came to this lady fair. Says, God you saw and see. I am come from child Maurice. A message to thee. And child Maurice he greets you well. And you are so well from me. And, as I titi falls, as oftentimes. As knots been knit on a kill. Or marchant men gone to the London. Either for to buy where or sell. And as oftentimes he greets you well. As any heart can think. Or schoolmasters are in any skull. Writing with pen and ink. And here he sends a mantle of green. As green as any grass. And he bids you come to the Cillua wood. To hunt with child Maurice. And here he sends you a ring of gold. A ring of the precious stone. He prays you to come to the Cillua wood. Let for no kind of man. 
Now peace, now peace, thou little food page. For Christ's sake, I pray thee. For if my Lord hear one of these words, thou must be hanged high. I and steward stood vendor the castle wall. And he wrote the words Yuri one. And he called to his oarkeeper, Make ready you my steed. I, and so he did to his chamberlain. Make ready thou my weed. And he cast a lease upon his back. And he rode to the Silua wood. And there he sought all about. About the Silua wood. And there he found him child Maurice. Sitting upon a block. With a Silua comb in his hand. Kemming his yellow lock. But then stood VP him child Maurice. And said these words truly. I do not know your lady, he said. If that I do her see. He says, How now, how now, child Maurice? Alack, how may this be? For thou hast sent her little tokens, more now than two or three. For thou hast sent her a mantle of green, as green as any grass, and bade her come to the Silua wood, to hunt with child Maurice. And thou hast sent her a ring of gold, a ring of precious stone, and bade her come to the Silua wood. Let for no kind of man, and by my faith, now, child Maurice, the tone of verses shall die. Now be my troth, said child Maurice, and that shall not be I. But he pulled forth a bright brown sword, and dried ITT on the grass, and so fast he smote ATT iron steward. I was he noir rest. Then he pulled forth his bright brown sword, and dried ITT on his slough, and the first good stroke iron steward stroke. Child Maurice head he did clue, and he pricked ITT on his sword's point, went singing there beside, and he rode till he came to that lady fair. Where is this lady lead? And says, Dost thou know child Maurice head? If that thou dost ITT see, and lap ITT soft, and kiss ITT oft. For thou lovest him better than me. But when she looked on child Maurice head, she noir spake words but three. I noir bear no child but one. And you haw slain him truly. Says, wicked be my merriment all. I gay meat, drink, and clothe. But cold they not haw holden me. When I was in all that wrath. For I haw slain one of the courteousest knights. That you are best strode a steed. So haw I done one of the fairest ladies. That you are where woman's weed. Faw's foot rage. The text is from Alexander Fraser Teitler's Brown MS, which was also the source of Scott's version in the minstrelsy. 1 line 31. Closely resembling a line in Lady Wardlaw's forged ballad Hardenet, caused Sir Walter to investigate strictly the authenticity of the ballad, but the evidence of Lady Douglas, that she had learned the ballad in her childhood, and could still repeat much of it, removed his doubts. It is, however, quite possible, as Professor Child points out, that Mrs. Brown may unconsciously have adopted this verse from the tiresome and affected heart in it, so much esteemed in her day. The text. Mess. The story. In the Complaint of Scotland, 1549, there is mentioned a tale how the king of Esmuirland married the king's daughter of Westmuirland, and it has been suggested that there is a connection with the ballad. The story. This is another of the ballads of which the English form has become so far corrupted that we have to seek its Scandinavian counterpart to obtain the full form of the story. The ballad is especially popular in Denmark, 
where it is found in 23 manuscripts, as follows. The rich Sven woos Lisbeth, who favors William for his good qualities. Sven, ill with grief, is well advised by his mother, not to care for a plighted maid, and ill advised by his sister, to kill William. Sven takes the latter advice, and kills William. Forty weeks later, Lisbeth gives birth to a son, but Sven is told that the child is a girl. Eighteen years later, the young William, sporting with a peasant, quarrels with him. The peasant retorts, you had better avenge your father's death. Young William asks his mother who slew his father, and she, thinking him too young to fight, counsels him to bring Sven to a court. William charges him in the court with the murder of his father, and says that no compensation has been offered. Not a penny shall be paid, says Sven. William draws his sword, and slays him. Icelandic, Swedish, and Pharaoh ballads tell a similar story. Fa's footrage. King Easter has courted her for her gout. King Easter. King Wester for her fee. King Honor for her lands essay braid. And for her fair body. They had not been four months married. As I have heard them tell. Until the nobles of the land. Against them did rebel. And they cast cables them amain. And cables them between. And they cast cables them amain. Wash out ye kill the king. Oh some said yeah and some said nay. Their words did not agree. Till up agat him face footrage. And swear it shall be he. When bells were rung, and mass was sung. And a man booned to bed. King Honor, and his gay lady. In a high chamber were laid. Then up it raised him face footrage. Walla were fast asleep. And slew the porter in his lodge. That watch and ward did keep. Oh, four and twenty silver keys. Hang high upon a pin. And I as a door he did unlock. He has fastened it him behind. Then up it raised him king honor. Says, what means of this din? Now what's the matter, Fasi footrage? Or what was loot you in? Oh, ye my errand well shall learn. Before that I depart. Then drew a knife bath lang and sharp. And pierced him through the heart. Then up it got the queen herself. And fell low down on her knee. Oh, spare my life now, Fasi footrage. For I never injured thee. Oh, spare my life now, Fasi footrage. Until I lighter be. And see gin it be lad or lass. King Honor has left me why dot. Oh, gin it be a lass, he says. We'll nurse she shall be. But gin it be a lad bairn. He shall be hanged high. I winna spare his tender age. Nor yet his high, high kin. But as soon as e'er he born is. He shall mount the gallows pin. O oh, four and twenty valiant knights. Where set the queen to guard. And four stood I at her bower door. To keep baith watch and ward. But when the time drew till an end. That she should lighter be. She cast about to find a while. To set her body free. Oh, she has burled these merry young men. Why strong beer and why wine? Until she made them as drunk. As any Walwood swine. Oh, narrow, narrow is this window. And big, big am I grown. Yet through the might of Our Lady. Out at it she has won. She wandered up, she wandered down. She wandered out and in. And at last into the very swine's sty. The queen brought forth a son. 
Then they cast cavils them among. Why should ye seek the queen? And the cavil fell upon wise William. And he sent his wife for him. Oh, when she saw wise William's wife. The queen fell on her knee. Win up, win up, madam, she says. What means this courtesy? Oh, out of this I win arise. Till a boon ye grant to me. To change your lass for this lad bairn. King honor left me why. And ye maun learn my gay goes hawk. Well how to breast a steed. And I shall learn your turtle dial. As well to write and read. And ye maun learn my gay goes hawk. To wield baith bow and brand. And I saw learn your turtle dial. To lay gowd why her hand. At Kirk and Market where we meet. We dare name Merival. But, dame, how does my gay ghost hawk? Madam, how does my dow? When days were gain, and years come on. Wise William he thought long. Out has he tain King Honor's son. A hunting for to gang. It essay fell out at their hunting. Upon a summer's day. That they came by a fair castle. Stood on a sunny bray. Oh, dinna ye see that bonny castle? Why was and towers essay fair? Janilka man had back his eyne. Of it you shall be heir. How I shall be heir of that castle. In sooth I canna see. When it belongs to F.A.C. Footrage. And he's nae kin to me. O Jin ye shall kill him F.A.C. Footrage. You would do what is right. For I what he killed your father dear. Ere ever you saw the light. Jin ye shall kill him F.A.C. Footrage. There is nae man durst you blame. For he keeps your mother a prisoner. And she dares no take you hame. The boy stared wild like a gray ghost hawk. Says, what may a this mean? My boy, you are King Honor's son. And your mother's our lawful queen. O Jin, I be King Honor's son. By Our Lady, I swear. This day I will that traitor slay. And relieve my mother dear. He has set his bent bow till his breast. And lapped the cassowa. And soon he ceased on F.A.C. Footrage. While loud for help gone C.A. Oh, hod your tongue now, F.A.C. Footrage. Fray me ye shano flee. Sign pierced him through the foul F.A.C. heart. And set his mother free. And he has rewarded wise William. Why the best half of his land. And S.A.E. has he the turtle dow. Why the truth o' oh, his right hand. Fair any of rough royal. Over a top port. German, c'est moi chouis ton mari. Donnez moi de index de la première nuit. Et par la j'ai croirai que vous étiez mon mari. Germain. The text is Fraser Teitler's, taken down from the recitation of Mrs. Brown in 1800, who had previously, 1783, recited a similar version to Jameson. The later recitation, which was used by Scott, with others, seems to contain certain improvisations of Mrs. Browns which do not appear in the earlier form. The text. The story. A mother, who feigns to be her own son and demands tokens of the girl outside the gate, turns her son's love away, and is cursed by him. Similar ballads exist in France, Germany, and Greece. The story. There is an early 18th century M.S. Elizabeth Cochran's songbook of this ballad, which gives a preliminary history. Isabel of Rockrawl dreams of her love Gregory. She rises up, calls for a swift steed, and rides forth till she meets a company. They ask her who she is, 
and are told that she is fair Isabel of Rockrowell, seeking her true love Gregory. They direct her to yon castle, and thenceforth the tale proceeds much as in the other versions. Miss. Lockryan, says Scott, lies in Galloway, rock, or rough, royal, I have not found, but there is a rough castle in Stirlingshire, child. Fair any of rough royal. Oh, wa will shoe my foo fair foot. Oh, wa. And wa will glove my hand. And wa will lace my middle jimp. Why the new made London band? And wa will came my yellow hair. Why the new made silver came? And wa will father my young son? Till love Gregor come hame? Your father will shoe your foo fair foot. Your mother will glove your hand. Your sister will lace your middle jimp. Why the new made London band? Your brother will came your yellow hair. Why the new made silver came? And the king of heaven will father your bairn. Till love Gregor come highem. But I will get a bonny boat. And I will sail the sea. For I mon gang to love Gregor. Since he cannot come hame to me. Oh, she has gotten a bonny boat. And sailed the essayed sea fame. She lang to see her eye in true love. Since he could no come hame. O row your boat, my mariners, and bring me to the land. For yonder I see my love's castle, close by the S.H.C. strand. She has ta'en her young son in her arms, and to the door she's gone. And lang she's knocked and sair she seed, but answer got she none. O open the door, love Gregor, she says. O open, and let me in, for the wind blows through my yellow hair, and the rain draps o'er my chin. Awa, awa, ye a woman. You are nay come here for good. You are but some witch, or wild warlock, or mare maid of the flood. I am neither a witch nor a wild warlock, nor mare maid of the sea. I am fair any of rough royal. O oh, open the door to me. Gin ye be any of rough royal. And I trust ye are not she. Now tell me some of the love tokens that passed between you and me. Oh, dinna you mind now, love Gregor, when we sat at the wine, how we changed the rings fray our fingers, and I can show thee thine. Oh, yours was good, and good enough, but I the best was mine, for yours was oh the good red gowd, but mine oh the diamonds fine. But open the door now, love Gregor, oh, open the door, I pray, for your young son that is in my arms will be dead ere it be day. Awa, awa, ye a woman, for here ye shanna win in. Ye drown ye in the raging sea, or hang on the gallows pin. When the cock had crawn, and day did dawn, and the sun began to peep, then it raised him love Gregor, and sere, sere did he weep. Oh, I dreamed a dream, my mother dear, the thought so it gars me greet, that fair Annie of rough royal lay called dead at my feet. Gin it be for Annie of rough royal, that ye make of this din. She stood a last night at this door. But I trow she won no in. Away betide ye, ill woman. And ill dead may ye die, that ye would no open the door to her. Nor yet would waken me. Oh, he has gone down to yon shoreside. As fast as he could fare. He saw fair Annie in her boat. But the wind it tossed her sair. And hey, Annie. And how, Annie? O oh, Annie, when ye bide? But I the mare that he cried, Annie. The braider grew the tide. And hey, Annie, 
And how, Annie? Dear Annie, speak to me. But I the louder he cried Annie. The louder roared the sea. The wind blew loud, the sea grew rough. And dashed the boat on shore. Fair Annie floats on the raging sea. But her young son raised no more. Love Gregor tear his yellow hair. And made a heavy moan. Fair Annie's corpse lay at his feet. But his bonny young son was gone. O cherry, cherry was her cheek. And gowden was her hair. But clay cold were her rosy lips. Nay spark of life was there. And first he's kissed her cherry cheek. And neast he's kissed her chin. And softly pressed her rosy lips. But there was nay breath within. O way betide my cruel mother. And in ill dead may she die. For she turned my true love fray the door. When she came essay far to me. Hindhorn. The text is from Motherwell's MS. Written from the recitation of a Mrs. King of Kilbarchen. The text. MS. The story of the ballad is a mere remnant of the story told in the jest of King Horn. Preserved in three manuscripts. The oldest of which belongs to the 13th century. Similar stories are given in a French romance of the 14th century. And an English manuscript of the same date. The complete story in the jest may be condensed as follows. The story. Horn, son of Murray, king of Sedan, was captured by Saracens, who killed his father, and turned him and his twelve companions adrift in a boat, which was eventually beached safely on the coast of Westerness, and Aylmar the king took them in and brought them up. Ryman howled his daughter, falling in love with Horn, offered herself to him. He refused, unless she would make the king knight him. She did so, and again claimed his love, but he said he must first prove his knighthood. She gave him a ring set with stones, such that he could never be slain if he looked on it and thought of her. His first feat was the slaying of a hundred heathens, then he returned to Rymenhild. Meanwhile, however, one of his companions had told the king that Horn meant to kill him and wed his daughter. Elmar ordered Horn to quit his court, and Horn— having told Rymenhild that if he did not come back in seven years she might marry another, sailed to the court of King Thurston in Ireland, where he stayed for seven years, performing feats of valor with the aid of Rymenhild's ring. At the end of the allotted time, Rymenhild was to be married to King Modi of Rainies. Horn, hearing of this, went back to Westerness, arrived on the marriage morn, met a palmer, the old beggarman of the ballad, changed clothes with him, and entered the hall. According to custom, Rymenhild served wine to the guests, and as Horn drank, he dropped her ring into the vessel. When she discovered it, she sent for the palmer and questioned him. He said Horn had died on the voyage thither. Rymenhild seized the knife she had hidden to kill King Modi and herself if Horn came not, and set it to her breast. The palmer threw off his disguise, saying, I am Horn. Still he would not wed her till he had regained his father's kingdom of Sedan and went away and did so. Meanwhile a false friend seized Rymenhild, but on the marriage day Horn returned, killed him, and finally made Rymenhild his wife and queen of Sedan. Compare the story of Torello and the Saladin in the Decameron, Tenth Day, Novel 9. Hindhorn. In Scotland there was a baby born. In. Lil Lal, etc. And his name it was called Young Hindhorn. With a foul lal, etc. He sent a letter to our king, that he was in love with his daughter Jean. 
he's gin to her a silver wand, with seven living lavericks sitting thereon. She's gin to him a diamond ring, with seven bright diamonds set therein. When this ring grows pale and wan, you may know by it my love is gain. One day as he looked his ring upon, he saw the diamonds pale and wan. He left the sea and came to land, and the first that he met was an old beggar man. What news, what news, said young Hindhorn. No news, no news, said the old beggar man. No news, said the beggar, no news, Edda. But there is a wedding in the king's ha. But there is a wedding in the king's ha. That has hauled in these forty days and TWA. Will you lend me your begging coat? And I'll lend you my scarlet cloak. Will you lend me your beggar's rum? And I'll gi you my steed to ride upon. Will you lend me your wig o' hair? To cover mine, because it is fair? The old beggar man was bound for the mill. But young Hindhorn for the king's hall. The old beggar man was bound for to ride. But young Hindhorn was bound for the bride. When he came to the king's gate, he sought a drink for Hindhorn's sake. The bride came down with a glass of wine. When he drank out the glass and dropped in the ring, Oh, got ye this by sea or land? Or got ye it off a dead man's hand? I got not it by sea, I got it by land. And I got it, madam, out of your own hand. Oh, I'll cast off my gowns of brown. And beg why you fray town to town. Oh, I'll cast off my gowns of red. And I'll beg why you to win my bread. Ye needna cast off your gowns of brown. For I'll make you lady o many a town. Ye needna cast off your gowns of red. It's only a sham, the begging o my bread. The bridegroom he had wedded the bride. But young Hindhorn he took her to bed. Edward. The text is that given by Percy in the Relics, 1765, with the substitution of W for initial Chu and Y for initial Z, as in Young Waters, see page 146. In the fourth edition of the Relics, Percy states that this curious song was transmitted to the editor by Sir David Dalrymple, Bart, late Lord Hylies. The text. Percy's adoption of antique spelling in this ballad has caused some doubt to be thrown on its authenticity, but there is also a version son Davy, given in his minstrelsy by Motherwell, who, in referring to the version in the relics, said there was reason for believing that Lord Hylies made a few slight verbal improvements in the copy he transmitted, and altered the hero's name to Edward, a name which, by the by, never occurs in a Scottish ballad except where allusion is made to an English king. The story has a close parallel in Swedish, the form of the ballad remaining in dialogue. The story. Motherwell points out that the verses of which Edward consists generally form the conclusion of the ballad of the TWA brothers, and also of certain versions of Lizzie Wan, and is inclined to regard Edward as detached from one of those ballads. More probably the reverse is the case, that the story of Edward has been attached to the other ballads. The present version of the ballad exhibits an unusual amplification of the refrain. The story is told in two lines of each eight-line stanza, but the lyrical effect added by the elaborate refrain is almost unique. Edward. Why doys your brand essay drap why blew it? Why? Edward, Edward. Why doys your brand essay drap why blew it? And why essay sad gang ye, oh? Oh, I hate killed my hauka essay guid. Mither, mither. Oh, I hate killed my hauka s a e g u i d. And I had nae mare bod he, oh. 
Your hockey's blood was never essay read. Edward, Edward. Your hockey's blood was never essay read. My dear son, I tell thee, oh. Oh, I hay killed my redrone stied. Mither, mither. Oh, I hay killed my redrone stied. That erst was essay fair and free, oh. Your stied was auld, and ye hay gat mare. Edward, Edward. Your stied was auld, and ye hay gat mare. Some other dilly ye dry, oh. Oh, I hay killed my fatter dare. Mither, mither. Oh, I hay killed my fatter dare. Alas! And way is me, oh! And what ten penance will ye dry for that? Edward, Edward? And what ten penance will ye dry for that? My dear son, now tell me, oh! I'll set my fight in yonder boat. Mither, mither. I'll set my fight in yonder boat. And I'll fare over the sea, oh! And what will ye do why your tours and your ha? Edward, Edward? And what will ye do why your tours and your ha? That were essay fair to see, oh. I'll let them stand till they down F.A. Mither, mither. I'll let them stand till they down F.A. For here never mare mon I be, oh. And what will ye live to your bairns and your wife? Edward, Edward. And what will ye live to your bairns and your wife? When ye gang over the sea, oh. The worldies room, let them beg thray life. Mither, mither. The worldies room, let them beg thray life. For thame never mare will I see, oh. And what will ye live to your ein mither dare? Edward, Edward? And what will ye live to your ein mither dare? My dear son, now tell me, oh. The curse of hell frame me saw ye buyer. Mither, mither. The curse of hell frame me saw ye buyer. Sick counsels ye gave to me, oh. Lord Randall. The text is from Scots Minstrelsy of the Scottish Border, 1803. Other forms give the name as Lord Ronald, but Scott retains Randall on the supposition that the ballad originated in the death of Thomas Randolph, or Randall, Earl of Murray, nephew to Robert Bruce, and Governor of Scotland, who died at Musselburgh in 1332. The text. The story of the ballad is found in Italian tradition nearly 300 years ago, and also occurs in Dutch, German, Swedish, Danish, Magyar, Wendyish, etc. The story. Certain variants of the ballad bear the title of the Crudlin Dew, and the handsome young man is changed for a child, and the poisoner is the child's stepmother. Scott suggests that this change was made to excite greater interest in the nursery. In nearly all forms of the ballad, the poisoning is done by the substitution of snakes, eels, for fish, a common method amongst the ancients of administering poison. Child gives a collation of seven versions secured in America of late years, in each of which the name of Lord Randall has become corrupted to Taranti. The antiphonetic form of the ballad is popular, as being dramatic and suitable for singing. Compare Edward, also a dialogue between mother and son. Lord Randall. Oh, where hay ye been, Lord Randall, my son? Oh, where? Oh, where hay ye been, my handsome young man? I hay been to the wildwood. Mother, make my bed soon. For I'm weary why hunting, and fain walled lie down. Where gat ye your dinner, Lord Randall, my son? Where gat ye your dinner, my handsome young man? I didn't why my true love. Mother, make my bed soon. For I'm weary why hunting, and fain walled lie down. What gat ye to your dinner, Lord Randall, my son? What gat ye to your dinner, my handsome young man? I gat eels boiled and brew. 
Mother, make my bed soon. For I'm weary why hunting, and fain walled lie down. What became of your bloodhounds, Lord Randall, my son? What became of your bloodhounds, my handsome young man? Oh, they swelled and they died. Mother, make my bed soon. For I'm weary why hunting, and fain walled lie down. Oh, I fear ye are poisoned, Lord Randall, my son. Oh, I fear ye are poisoned, my handsome young man. Oh, yes, I am poisoned. Mother, make my bed soon. For I'm sick at the heart, and I fain walled lie down. Lampkin. The text is from Jameson's Popular Ballads. He obtained it from Mrs. Brown. It is by far the best version of a score or so in existence. The name of the hero varies from Lampkin, Lankin, Lankin, etc., to Rankin and Balcanquil. I have been informed by Andrew McDowell, ESQ, of an incomplete version in which Lampkin's name has become Bold Hang M. The text. Finley Scottish Ballads remarks. All reciters agree that Lamekin, or Lamkin, is not the name of the hero, but merely an epithet. The story varies little throughout all the versions, though in some, as in one known to Percy, it lacks much of the detail here given. The story. Lamkin. It s Lamkin was a mason good. It. Has ever built Y Stain. He built Lord Weary's castle. But payment got he none. Oh, pay me, Lord Weary. Come pay me my fee. I canna pay you, Lamkin. For I mon gang o'er the sea. O pay me now, Lord Weary. Come pay me out, O hand. I canna pay you, Lamkin. Unless I sell my land. O gin you winna pay me. I hear sail Mac avow. Before that ye come hame again. Ye saw hay cause to rue. Lord Weary got a bonny ship. To sail the sought sea fame bade his lady will the castle keep. I till he should come hame. But the new rice was a faw's limmer. As e'er hung on a tree. She laid a plot why lambkin. Wan her lord was o'er the sea. She laid a plot why lambkin. When the servants were awa. Loot him in at a little shop window. And brought him to the ha. Oh where's the men o' oh, this house? That's ye me lambkin? They're at the barnwell thrashing. Twill be lang ere they come in. And where's the women o' this house? That's ye me lambkin? They're at the far well washing. Twill be lang ere they come in. And where's the barons o' this house? That's ye me lambkin? They're at the school reading. Twill be night or they come hame. Oh, where's the lady o' this house? That's ye me lambkin? She's up in her bower sewing. But we soon can bring her down. Then Lampkin's tain a sharp knife. That hung down by his gear. And he has Gian the bonny babe. A deep wound and a sare. Then Lampkin he rocked. And the faw's new rice sang. Till Frey Ilky bore o the cradle. The red blood out sprang. Then out it spack the lady. As she stood on the stair. What ails my bairn new rice? That he's greeting essays, sir? Oh, still my bairn new rice. Oh, still him why the pap? He winna still, lady. For this nor for that. Oh, still my bairn, new rice. Oh, still him why the wand? He winna still, lady. For his father's land. Oh, still my bairn, new rice. Oh, still him why the bell? He winna still, lady. Till ye come down your cell dot. Oh, the first ten step she step it. She step it on a stain. 
but the nice and step she step it. She met him Lampkin. Oh mercy, mercy, Lampkin. Hey mercy upon me. Though you've tain my young son's life. You may let missile be. Oh Saul I kill her, new rice. Or Saul I let her be. Oh kill her, kill her, Lampkin. For she ne'er was good to me. Oh scour the basin, new rice. And mac it fair and clean. For to keep this lady's heart's blood. For she's come, O oh, noble kin. There need nay basin, lambkin. Let it run through the floor. What better is the heart's blood? O oh, the rich than O oh, the poor? But ere three months were at an end, Lord Weary came again. But Dowie, Dowie was his heart. When first he came home. O oh, wasp blood is this, he says. That lies in the chammer? It is your lady's heart's blood. T is as clear as the lamer. And what's blood is this, he says, that lies in my ha? It is your young son's heart's blood. Tis the clearest Ava. Oh, sweetly sang the blackbird, that sat upon the tree. But Sarah Grat Lampkin, when he was condemned to die, and Bonnie sang the Mavis, out o' oh, the thorny brake. But Sarah Grat the new rice, when she was tied to the stake, fair Mary of Wallington. The text is from lovely Jenny's Garland, as given with emendations by Professor Child. There is also a curiously perverted version in Hurd's manuscript, in which the verses require rearrangement before becoming intelligible. The text. The story can be gathered from the version here given without much difficulty. It turns on the marriage of Fair Mary, who is one of seven sisters fated to die of their first child. Fair Mary seems to be a fatalist and, after vowing never to marry, accepts as her destiny the hand of Sir William Fenwick of Wallington. Three-quarters of a year later she sends to Fair Publington for her mother. Her mother is much affected at the news, st. 22, and goes to Wallington. Her daughter, in travail, lays the blame on her, cuts open her side to give birth to an heir, and dies. The story. In a Breton ballad Pontplanco thrice marries a Marguerite, and each of his three sons cost his mother her life. In the Scottish ballad, a scope is put in Mary's mouth when the operation takes place. In the Breton ballad it is a silver spoon or a silver ball. Scope, or scobs as it appears in herd, means a gag, and was apparently used to prevent her from crying out. But the silver spoon and ball in the Breton ballad would appear to have been used for Marguerite to bite on in her anguish, just as sailors chewed bullets while being flogged. Fair Mary of Wallington, when we were silly sisters seven, when sisters were so fair, five of us were brave knights' wives, and died in childbed lair. Up then spake fair Mary, Mary would she nane, if ever she came in man's bed, the same gate wad she gang, make no vows, fair Mary, for fear they broken be. Here's been the knight of Wallington, asking goodwill of thee. If here's been the night, mother, asking goodwill of me, within three quarters of a year, you may come bury me. When she came to Wallington, and into Wallington Hall, there she spied her mother dear, walking about the wall. You're welcome, daughter dear, to thy castle and thy bowers. I thank you kindly, mother. I hope they'll soon be yours. She had not been in Wallington, three quarters and a day till upon the ground she could not walk. She was a weary prey. 
She had not been in Wallington. Three quarters and a night. Till on the ground she cowed not walk. She was a weary white. Is there ne'er a boy in this town? Who'll win hose and shun? That will run to fair Pudlington. And bid my mother come? Up then spake a little boy. Near unto Aiken. Full oft I have your errands gone. But now I will it run. Then she called her waiting maid. To bring up bread and wine. Eat and drink, my bonny boy. Thou'll ne'er eat more of mine. Give my respects to my mother. She sits in her chair of stone. And ask her how she likes the news. Of seven to have but one. Give my respects to my mother. As she sits in her chair of oak. And bid her come to my sickening. Or my merry lake wake. Give my love to my brother. William, Ralph, and John. And to my sister Betty Fair. And to her white as bone. And bid her keep her maidenhead. Be sure make much on tea. For if e'er she come in man's bed. The same gate will she gang. Away this little boy is gone. As fast as he could run. When he came where Briggs were broke. He lay down and swum. When he saw the lady he said. Lord may your keeper be. What news my pretty boy. Hast thou to tell to me? Your daughter Mary orders me. As you sit in a chair of stone. To ask you how you like the news. Of seven to have but one. Your daughter gives commands. As you sit in a chair of oak. And bids you come to her sickening. Or her merry lake wake. She gives command to her brother. William, Ralph, and John. And to her white as bone. She bids her keep her maidenhead. Be sure make much on tea. For if e'er she came in man's bed. The same gate would she gang. She kicked the table with her foot. She kicked it with her knee. The silver plate into the fire. So far she made it flee. Then she called her waiting maid. To bring her riding hood. So did she on her stable groom. To bring her riding steed. Go saddle to me the black, the black. Go saddle to me the brown. Go saddle to me the swiftest steed. That e'er rid to Wallington. When they came to Wallington. And into Wallington Hall. There she spied her son Fenwick. Walking about the wall. God save you, dear son. Lord may your keeper be. Where is my daughter fair? That used to walk with thee? He turned his head round about. The tears did fill his ee. Tis a month, he said, since she took her chambers from me. She went on, and there were in the hall four and twenty ladies, letting the tears down fall. Her daughter had a scope, into her cheek and into her chin, all to keep her life, till her dear mother came. Come take the rings off my fingers, the skin it is so white, and give them to my mother dear, for she was all the white. Come take the rings off my fingers. The veins they are so red. Give them to Sir William Fenwick. I'm sure his heart will bleed. She took out a razor. That was both sharp and fine. And out of her left side has taken. The heir of Wallington. There is a race in Wallington. And that I rue full sir. Though the cradle it be full spread up. The bride bed is left bare. End of the first series. Index of titles. Index of titles. Index of first lines. Index of first lines.
printed by T. N. A. Constable, Printers to His Majesty at the Edinburgh University Press. Constable.